Costume Station Zero. I am joined this week by Mr. Kevin Kittredge. Hey, that's me. And Lauren Bancroft. It's also me. Uh, we're having a very special, uh, yes, me and me. We're having a very special side episode uh, discussing Doctor Who. Uh, this week we're going to be long delayed, but never better late than never, uh, discussing Series 10 and the specials with the end of the Capaldi era. For those interested in Kevin and I's uh, reviews of Series 8 and 9, please check out Episodes 69 and 55B. Yeah, it's usually just us two, but uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, we thought it might be nice to, since we're so negative a lot, <laughs> uh, it might be nice to bring on a Doctor Who apologist. Apologies. So that's where that's where Lauren fits in. She's um, also a girl. I don't know if you um, noticed that. I'm going to need a working definition for that term. Um, to see how upset I should get at it. Well, tell you what. What do you mean? I think there will be a number of points during this podcast where I will say, oh, you know that uh, apologist thing? That's it, right there. Right. Because so what you're excited. just talking about right now is garbage. Cool. So when I like things you don't like, that's when... Oh, man. Yeah, should, first, we, should we just ask him to leave? For a second, I Look, thought, we, we I, thought I, I thought we I'd were, have to explain it to you, but you got it right away. Sure. Guys, we were doing this for balance, remember? That was the whole point. Was to try to have a nice positive. Yeah. What ha- what happened when we did balance in Star Wars? We got fucking Vader. <laughs> Jeez, man. Wow. All right. Let's uh, keep it to Doctor Who. Uh, so we are going to be covering all of series ten as well as Twice Upon a Time and uh, the Return of Doctor Mysterio, which we didn't get to last time, obviously, because it's sort of a satellite special out there. Uh, all right. So let's just dive right in, shall we? We shall. Christmas 2016, the return of Dr. Mysterio. What are your thoughts? Christmas 2016. That's almost two years ago. I know, Mm -hmm. I know. And at the time, it had been a whole year since we got, we had our last new episode, right? Yeah, we we, we were starving, man. Because, yeah, it was Christmas to Christmas. So it was Husbands of River Song, and then we were right to Dr. Mysterio. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, As a Christmas episode, I think uh, both you and I have have often, uh, we'll give it more leeway. It's Christmas. It's supposed to be more lighthearted. It's not supposed to be, you know, fucking yeah. Star Galactica 2005. Um, yeah, understandably so, yeah. Um, I, I guess I look for, for balance in the Christmas episodes. I still think the best ones they've done are, are probably Christmas Carol and probably Christmas Invasion. I would agree. Um, yeah. yeah, but so I, I try to look for something. Yeah, it's going to serve the Christmas crowd, but it also still gives me enough of my who that I'm happy. Because sometimes I feel like they, they lay on the, the syrup a bit too thick. Um, so with this one, uh, they almost, um, belatedly hit the superhero genre. I mean, it's a little strange because you think of how big superhero movies have been for so long. Mm -hmm. For as long as who's been back. Yeah. And now, 
finally is when they they tackle this because if you think about it the only other time they ever did a comic book superhero character in doctor who was in uh the mind robber way back in the 60s so it's just kind of strange to me that we're getting it now anyway so bob you're a huge superman guy i am so the ghost is basically superman and and this story is basically 1978 Superman for a, a good chunk anyway. He uh, wasn't a yeah. nanny, but mm-hmm. maybe it's just the whole she doesn't know who I am kind of thing. Maybe and it's just her that. being a reporter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Straight up. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Lots of nods. Rooftop uh, interview. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, straight out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that that's what Moffat was clearly drawing on, which is cool. I'm all for Superman. Uh, and I guess maybe he felt he had to counteract all the Marvel stuff we've been getting. I'm just, I'm totally conjecturing there. I haven't read notes or anything like that. Um, but as a Doctor Who story, it does feel weird. It feels very strange to have a legit superhero in the Doctor Who universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like it's a dream. It's not like, oh, he had powers just for this one episode and now he's gone. No, he technically still has powers and he could come back at any time. It's kind of like uh, someone was telling me how one thing that I liked about Doctor Who was anytime there was a ghost or, uh, or, or, or something like that, it was always an alien. It was always something yep. scientific mm-hmm. that, that was not um, a ghost. And it's Superman. Superman's here. The ghost is here. Well, God, it's weird that I related it to a ghost. Yes. When, in fact... His name is the ghost. His name is the ghost. Yes. It's very confusing. Uh-huh. Mm. So, um, I I do have a question out, out of the gate. Uh, as, I, as I recall, the episode opens with um, now a nice comic book panels. We zoom in, and we have uh, young, young Grant, was his yep. name? And he wakes up, and there's the doctor swinging outside like, like, like I guess, a, a bad Santa Claus, <laughs> um, trying to set up a trap. And this all leads to him, you know, giving him the Hazandra gemstone, which is then he swallows thinking it's medicine mm-hmm. and it gives him the superpowers. All right, cool. Here's my thing. Um, and something that, you know, I, I know Moffat likes to kind of say like, yeah, yeah, there's this thing, but really we're going to focus on this other thing. And my thing is he was trying to set up a trap and I'm amazed how I've seen this episode at least four times. <laughs> I can't remember what the trap was for. And I'm pretty sure they abandoned the trap after they deal with the superpowers. Like, I don't think we ever go back to, did he finish the trap and did it do what it was supposed to do? Yeah. I want to say, and this is the one of the batch that I didn't rewatch mm-hmm. to prep for the podcast, but, um, you want to maybe check the wiki. I believe he was, it was supposed to be a callback to, um, angels take Manhattan. Oh, Oh, okay. You're right. You're yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So that's nice. But did he actually finish the trap? Oh no, I don't I, see. I don't I think. Don't I think. think so. I think him swallowing the gemstone kind of threw off the whole trap. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay, so basically, whatever he meant to do there for, I guess the angels or the time paradox there, just, just, oh well, doesn't kinda, get solved. Kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. And if he did figure it out, I have since forgotten. So, Kevin. With, yeah. Right I'm not seeing it. Not in uh, Tardis Wiki. I'm in the continuity section, hmm? and there's no discussion of. All right. Uh, so oh, I'm, wait, wait. Here it is. The doctor attempts to repair a temporal disruption he previously caused in New York. It doesn't have anything to do with a trap. Okay. There we go. Well, I hope he succeeded. Mm-hmm. Off screen. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I usually, I think, a lot of times I would bitch about that, but I think the doctor's always doing shit that we don't know mm-hmm. happened. I mean, there, between seasons and everything like that, there's all sorts of adventures. So I'm fine knowing that the doctor's doing stuff, and I'm not always going to know what it is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm perfectly fine with this if it truly takes place between episodes, but when it seems in the episode and they don't resolve it, that's where I have issues. Well, it sounds like it wasn't a trap, so it was him trying to fix something that he messed up seasons before. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like he's trying to be uh, proactive about something, right? Well, Which is fine. It's very reactive, actually. Uh, Which is fine. There was no immediate need for him to fix that. He was like, huh, it's Christmas. Let's go uh, fix fix that thing that I uh, caused oh, a few this, seasons. This yeah. kid has powers. Let's go flying, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have another. I, I have a. I have a, a gripe right out of the gate here, though, and that is uh, Moffat. By this point, is starting to kind of overuse narrative devices. Um, in particular, let's visit a character who we're mainly going to deal with as an adult, but the doctor's going to make an impression on them as a child. And we've had this now like six or seven times over with like, you know, uh, Madame de Pompadour and Amy and River technically and um, Clara technically in the deleted scene, I believe. And this has been a thing. And I'm like, oh, and here we're doing it again with Grant. Mm. And it's like, all right. I get it, though. It's tying in very directly with his childhood love of superheroes. But from my perspective, it's yet again, the doctor influences a character as a child and and it reaps its rewards or complications as an adult. No, that's valid. Yeah, I know it's valid. I'm not going to balk at that at all. Okay. Good point, Bob. Are you sure you don't want to? Yeah. I'm not. Man, I'm not I'm saying gonna, it completely I'm destroys agree the episode. With both of you, but, yeah. so much just <laughs> because you said I wasn't gonna. Good God. Welcome to the next three hours of our lives, guys. Uh, so fast forward to the future, and uh, what's uh, what's happening? There's uh, we have these funky uh, split their head uh, blue a blue brain aliens. Yeah, these alien invaders who are coming into their their. Swapping brains. Yes, they're, they're taking over like world leaders to take over. That, that's the plan. Yes, yeah, that's yes. the plan. It's very, uh, it's very superhero from space. So you know, you know, tried and true. And we, uh, we, their big plan was to what? They'd have these buildings that would be impervious to a big alien attack or nuclear attack, and mm-hmm. all the world leaders would come to their buildings as quote bunkers, which yeah. it's almost like privatized bunkers. Which I'm not sure if that plan would totally work with like the president, mm-hmm. but I guess it could work with other business leaders or something. Right. And then that's when, when they have them captive, they would they would swap out their brains. Um, fair enough. I mean, it's it's a pretty stock plot. I'm not going to totally criticize that. But um, the the fact that the guys have these seams going down their heads and their heads are mainly there to like hold guns. Mm-hmm. That's that's pushing the silly boundaries for me. Um, uh, and they they I actually completely forgot this. They're from uh, Husbands of a River Song. Mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten this when I watched it then. And every subsequent time I watched it, because it's been that extra long since I've seen Husbands of River Song. Right. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, the ones that were trying to buy the yes the gems, right? Yeah. Remember? Right. So that is an actual. They were sort of set up. So, hmm. all right. Something Keep. that I did notice, and I'm reminded of it here on the TARDIS wiki, it's that this title is The Return of Dr. Mysterio. Yes. And as a viewer, especially when we see that there's some sort of a superhero... There might be assumed that Dr. Mysterio is the name of the superhero, but the, it, Dr. Mysterio is the doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it is his return from when he saw Grant as a kid. Right. So it's uh, it's all about perspective. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally see Big Finish doing a whole line of just Dr. Mysterio audios where we just get Adventures of Capaldi as, quote, Dr. Mysterio. 
Or the ghost. I, you know, look, if we can get River Song and Tales from New Earth and Jenny the Doctor's daughter, oh, it's a thing. They're, mm-hmm. they're, it's probably on the docket. Like, they're probably looking at it right now. So, sidetrack. Anyway. I did hear that there was, wasn't there some sort of sequel that came out right after, but it was just like in comics or something? I, I think w- it was a comic. I wouldn't be surprised. It says, the following day, the return of Doctor Mysterio was granted a sequel entitled Ghost Stories. This story made the ghost, Lucy, and baby Jennifer all companions of the 12th Doctor. And, and this is a comic book. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. That would make sense. Hmm. Click on it and see what comes up. Superhero companion. Comic story, there it is. And family. And family. Mm. Boy. Yeah, which we sort of had with um, Amy and River. Or, I'm sorry, Amy. Well, technically Amy and River, but Amy and Rory. <laughs> but, um... I'm trying to think. Oh, so basically, what they're they're infiltrating the the company. Uh, the ghost saves Lucy, who's there as a reporter. You're Lois Lane surrogate. Um, there's they play up the whole double life thing because Grant is as a nanny, mild mannered nanny. Is Lucy's nanny? Lucy's nanny, yeah, not just uh, a nanny. And so she kind of takes him for granted, but she's into the ghost. Obviously, she's going to interview the ghost. He wants to reveal himself, and you got that going on. The aliens want to do an invasion. Uh, we find that Nardle is uh, properly a companion at this point. The Doctor has salvaged his head slash body. And rebuilt him, yeah. And rebuilt him. Uh, they're on board a spaceship, and they're accelerating the clock so that uh, the aliens aren't ready. Grant stops the ship, reveals himself to Lucy. They, of course, are totally digging each other. It doesn't backfire on him. He's cool. And he doesn't he swear at the end to not be the ghost anymore? Mm-hmm. To not use right. his powers. But uh, we'll see how long that sticks, right? Yeah. Well, so. you got a comic series. I'm sure when he was the companion, he was using the powers. There you go. Um, so that's that's the long and short of it. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm I I remember being rather meh about this when it aired, um, and it's weird for me to say that because I love superheroes, but I think it's strange for me to see the two genres mix because, as he just said, I say he I'm pointing to Kevin. Uh, the idea that when you introduce these elements into Doctor Who, you always expect kind of a Doctor Who slant on them. And the only real slant here is the origin of it being this sort of magical gemstone the kid takes. And as soon as I hear the kid takes it, I was expecting there to be a consequence. Like, okay, you have powers, but it's only for a week, or it's only for 20 years. Or It's kind of like Shazam. Yeah, it's a wish fulfillment, totally. And but Or, or you know, yes, but you, you're going to slowly, I don't know, uh, lose your memory or something like there'd be a price to pay for those powers and there really isn't so i thought okay well uh we're just we're just we're just doing this we're just going right down the rabbit hole right. um and i think i was would have been a little bit more on board if yes if it had been a temporary thing where he was only around for this one episode um but the fact that nope this is him and he can he can come back at any time makes me go it just feels really odd that there's that there is a soup a legit superhero in the Doctor Who universe, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I, I feel know. like people ask themselves with every Doctor Who episode, it's like, how does this at least I do, how does this change mm. Doctor Who in general? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I mean we'll we'll get into that with when we get down to the uh, Christmas yeah. uh, twice upon a time. Yeah. Um, of how that what that could mean for future episodes. But mm-hmm. I mean that's I mean, there's now a superhero in canon in the universe mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i think it's totally fair to ask yourself what does that mean or how does the world change how has this episode changed the world and in the new series it happened it suddenly aliens were real and people had to accept it the world had been invaded on christmas a number of times <laughs> yeah True. and but that wasn't there a thing that they did where it erased everybody's memory of aliens or do we all remember now 
Uh, for which one? This one or previous? I don't know, just well, just through previous episodes, how uh, the planet Earth was then aware of aliens, mm-hmm. and they've been here. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a thing that they just wiped that away? I mean, arguably, the crack in the universe seemed to get a little selective about that. How Amy didn't know the Daleks for a while. Yeah, um, and there's a little bit of that, or about how humans don't remember. Just in season ten, with okay. the with the um, the monks, right? Uh, well, the, the monks is at. its own weird memory thing, though. I mean, uh, that yeah, this is part of my problem where Doctor Who tries to sort of play uh, the the real world as we know it, where you approach someone on the street and they're like, "Aliens, you're crazy." But after so many of these episodes in the new show, especially the Christmas ones, where there's a big invasion going on, yeah. you know, Christmas Star and stuff like that, it's harder and harder for people to have that reaction, you know. So it's hard to keep playing it both ways. Uh, if anything, they just make a joke about it usually. Like, oh, it's Christmas, must be an invasion. Um, so, and how else can you play it unless you do a reset, really? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. It's uh, You kind of have to roll with it. It's one of those things where, yeah, they should acknowledge it more, but they don't. They're also probably running out of ways to say humans don't remember aliens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. I, I liked Sylvester McCoy's take on it in Remembrance of the Daleks, where he says that humans have a greater capacity for self-deception uh, when he was talking about, you know, the Zygon thing from Terror of the Zygons and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I like that. Like, oh, it, it got written off as, like, like weird, like, War of the Worlds, like, you know, crank stuff. And no one really bought into it uh, because it was like more localized. But the problem is stuff like this in the modern day when it's covered by news outlets, probably by CNN or something. Uh, you can't you can't do that anymore. I mean, the proof's right there. So mm. anyway, um, so I don't know. As a Doctor Who episode, did you like this? I mean, at the time, it had been a whole year since I had another episode. So okay. I, I liked it. I think it was fun. All right. Kevin? Yeah, I liked it too. Uh, especially as Christmas. It's like, mm-hmm. alright, this is a fun, you know, it's a superhero. It's it's the doctor meets a superhero. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. Alright. Well, I, I, I think my main complaint was just, as usual, felt lightweight, and I wish the su- the superhero hadn't been quite so derivative of Superman, <laughs> as we parodied in our sketch, but uh, I, I had wished that he'd have some cool differences outside yeah. of, like, costume choice. Idiot's lantern plug. Yeah, idiot's lantern plug. Uh, so, uh, so what do you rate this one? Dad, I hate these numbers. Wait, what's, with the, what's numbers. the scale? Uh, one to ten, ten being best, one being absolute abysmal. It was a fun Christmas romp. I'll give it an eight. Okay. I was also going to give it an eight. Great. All right. I'm going to write down my scores. I'm going to give it Based purely on my emotional memory of the episode, and I'm sure it would change if I had actually rewatched it recently as well, um, I'm going to go six and a half. All right. Six and a half. To me, it was just, it was there. It was an episode, did its job. It didn't blow me away. All right. You're right. As a Christmas episode, I could be more generous, but no, I'm staying with six Mm -hmm. and a half. Uh, Also written by Stephen Moffat. Yes. Stephen Moffat wrote all the specials. Mm -hmm. Uh, So moving on to uh, fast forwarding (laughs) slightly Mm -hmm. to uh, spring of 2017 with uh, the soft reboot, The Pilot. Yeah. The introduction also of, written by Stephen Moffat. Yes, also written by Stephen Moffat. In, introducing Bill, well, outside the little short we got the year before, but properly introducing Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so we uh, we have... I always felt this episode was kind of like Moffat trying to do RTD. 
Um, it had a, it had a very rose kind of feel to me where we're going to focus on the companion and her life and this, whatever alien plots can be very secondary. Well, that made sense. And you already called it a soft reboot. That's exactly what it was. Yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole structure of the season, at least for the first half was almost complete mirror of season one with Eccleston in terms of the types of stories and, mm-hmm. you know, where they go and so on. So I think they were clearly trying to replicate that success. Mm-hmm. Present, future, past. I guess yes. even the same order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. Although I really like how in the pilot we got to see, obviously we got we got to see Bill like meet the doctor, mm-hmm. and we get to see like the first six months of their totally normal, yeah, relationship. Mm-hmm. They're no- totally normal, like professor, student. I guess I don't think she even went to the school, but she calls herself a student. Well, she was his personal student, so right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to see them form a relationship without the TARDIS being anything but besides an office. You know, decor. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to see them really, like, trust each other, and it was really cool. Before, like, even the aliens got involved, so. Right. I, I think this episode looked gorgeous. True. The cinematof- cinematography, the direction, um, it just looked really cool. And that, the first scene where uh, the doctor is out on it, he's giving his lecture, and there's, you know, he's got a couple hundred kids out there, and he's... Was he on the chalkboard? Yeah. And he was being a professor. I just really liked it. I like that, I liked that bit. Didn't like his hoodie. <laughs> yeah, he still kept the hoodie. No, but I liked, uh, I, liked all, I liked a lot of this episode, just the way it looked. Uh, what I noticed about it was, uh, yeah, upon rewatching it, that I'd forgotten how much, how much time it takes up. Um, it's not just like, oh, it's like a week. I mean, it's months. Like, between mm-hmm. her showing up and... Yeah. You know, is wanting to be a student, and he knows he, he she audits his classes, and then we quickly establish, you know, um, that you know uh, Bill is gay, and the doctor is going to bring her on, and what is it? Um, a little bit about this gets a little hazy for me later. She's got a like a stepmom, I think, foster or? mom, foster mom. Yeah, because she has a line that says, "You know how you're my foster mom. Okay. He's my foster uh, tutor." So we establish that, yeah. and then um, eventually we, we get her setting up with the, the girl that will become the pilot, um, Heather, mm-hmm. um, and setting that up as a, as a romance. I feel like they skipped over something with Heather, that she seemed like she naturally was very troubled about something that we don't... Oh yeah, on. she was a downer. Something oh, was up with but her. the thing is, yeah. it... If I recall, was it even Heather or was it an imitation of Heather? The first two scenes was Heather. Yeah, it, okay. it started before she Heather. becomes the pilot. Yeah, <laughs> and then that uh, sentient engine oil uh, picks her, and then yes. she becomes the pilot. Yeah, and she gets even creepier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I feel like there could be more there. That's one of those things where if there was a target novelization, we would probably find out what the heck was going on with Heather. But I, all you can take is, okay, there's something up with her, and that's probably why she wants to leave, hence why the, the mm-hmm. goo picks her, because she wanted to leave, and it wants someone who wants to, you know, venture out. Yeah. It is funny, on the, on the TARDIS wiki, it says the main enemy, sentient oil puddle. Yes. That's... Yeah. Sentient oil puddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bing, 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 Um... Uh, but yeah, I, I like the doctor. This doctor in particular, I think, um, works well in a, in a school setting. Uh, it, we also set up the arc for the season. Every season has some kind of arc, and this arc is about the vault. Um, and we find out that the doctor has been somehow entrusted to watch this thing. We're not sure what's in it at this stage. Uh, and he's not traveling anymore. The TARDIS is out of order. And I still call back to the war, uh, uh, sorry, the war machines. And we have the doctor 
clearly not quite entirely happy with this. Like, he, he you can tell he wants to go out, but Nardole's kind of trying to keep him at bay. Mm-hmm. The thing that, well, I'll get back to the arc when we get further in. Um, but definitely sets up some mystery there. Uh, I even like the the nice little touch where Bill gives him the rug for Christmas, mm. and then the rug later is under the TARDIS. Yes, and you know breaking this rule of she doesn't understand it, like yet what it moves and so mm-hmm. on. Like it's increasing the mystery for her, which I like. Yeah, and I think that does it does a really good job of um, pointing out how observant she is, and, yes. and how she doesn't she doesn't miss mm-hmm. she doesn't miss a, th- miss a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she asks a ton of questions because she's paying very close attention. Yes. Tell you what I didn't like. Okay. I didn't like. Well, I love the fact that he had his old sonic screwdrivers there. Oh. I was I was gonna bring that up, but go yeah go for it. <laughs> um. But he gives it to fucking Nardole, like uh, like a chew toy. <laughs> here, here, play with this. Well, you can have this. It was a great trailer moment, though, right? Oh, right, with the, the toss of the Sonic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't um, get me fucking started about trailers. <laughs> we can talk about trailers later. <laughs> you can't see me right now, but I'm repositioning myself for battle. Uh, whatever. Uh, speaking of Nardole, also what I another thing I did not like is the Doctor. Just what a charge. Period. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets to yell at the Doctor, mm. especially Nardole. I see it. I would see it. Uh, okay, obviously the doctor said, "Hey, uh, uh, try to keep me around here. I, I need to focus on this Earth shit for whatever reason. I don't know why he had it. He just have to stay there. Did he have to stay there to, to watch the master, mm-hmm. Missy? Yeah. Uh, well, he had it wherever the vault was. He was supposed to stay wherever the vault was. Yeah, but he, he can't come back. He's a time machine. He can't come back well, three seconds after. Apparently, he, the the promise was to stay and guard it. He can't go. Who's off the, the who's the promise to? Yeah, are, the, are we getting into this now? I thought we were going to wait till we the, get to this the in the extremist, but... It's like the, you know, like those people and their whole business is to know how to kill every species. The, the weird executioner planet, yeah, With I know. the robes. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that later. Yeah, oh, this, yeah, no, we, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, this is really a conversation for extremists. Right. Um, yeah, put a pit in for five episodes. But I admit, at this stage, mystery sounded kind of intriguing. And because of the fact that he has a photo of River and Susan, I was like, yay, Susan. Um... He actually has a bit, remember, I think it's at the end, where he's he wants to take Bill away on an, on an adventure after the events of the pilot, and he can't look at their photos, and he even looks specifically at Susan and goes, shut up. And I'm like, ooh, maybe the promise is something to do with Susan. I was very intrigued, and then I was let down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but the Sonic thing is interesting. So yeah, one of the first shots is Bill sitting waiting for the doctor. He ro- he's rocking out on his guitar, nice callback to season nine. Um... And literally, he has a coffee mug. It's like, it might as well be any Doctor Who fan nerd's desk, right? Because it's filled with every single iteration of the Sonic, except for War, by the way. But even the Trenton pen lights in there. Like, every other iteration is in there. And I'm like, okay, all right. Somebody, and it's cool. It, oh, I'm sorry. And the Davison one. The Davison one is what he tosses Nardole. Because the Pertwee and Tom Baker ones are in there. And then the third one is Davison. It's, okay, I know. I'm a big nerd. Just saying. Um... <laughs> So they almost all get a name check in there. But my thing is, is I'm like, okay, here's my thing. I always like the idea that the Sonic sort of is sort of evolving and changing with the Doctor. And I'm sure he's, I'm sure, you know, out of boredom, maybe because he was stuck there for 50 years, he had the TARDIS whip him up copies of all of his old Sonics for old time's sake. That must be the case. Because I kept going, where did he get all these? Because 
that should have changed from this, this, this. That one got destroyed. That one got morphed into this. That one got destroyed. Like, where did this all come from? And I'm like, he is, he, he's, he's, he's the ultimate RPF fanboy. He made replicas of his own stuff. And maybe they weren't even the only ones of the one he had. Maybe he had multiples of the same one. If that's the case, then how come after the visitation, we don't see the Sonic for years? Maybe because... <laughs> Mr. Classic old guy fan over here, you know better. I know, I know that the, I know it got destroyed in the visitation. Yes, and uh, maybe the doctor was like, "All right, listen, that's not a good, that's a terrible question." Is it? I don't know. I think it's interesting if the Sonic actually has a lifespan. And then well, maybe okay. One. I guess it's a good question if the Sonic can do anything in the entirety of realm of possibility which apparently it can thanks to the new show rope uh yes rope and wood rope and wood yes i know um but yeah i mean obviously the new show is established that the tardis just sort of spits it out whenever he needs one so good for that but prior to that it actually seemed more like a here's a thing i'm gonna make and i like that Mm. yeah this is this could be a whole different sonic screwdriver podcast anyways it is nice to see them it's a nice fan callback um and uh we uh eventually get the sentient puddle I do like the increasing mystery of the symmetry of faces mm-hmm. and uh, and like the fact that this puddle is, what is it, part of a spaceship. Even the scorch marks on the ground is very remembrance of the Daleks. I like that. Increasing more. Okay, it's an alien origin. Uh, and then eventually it takes uh, Heather. Heather then spots, because of her connection to Bill, wants to take her as a passenger, and now it's chasing Bill all over. The one issue with the episode is that, well, in terms of the alien, is... Clearly there's a ship that landed there. It left some oil, mm-hmm. but somehow the oil is sentient and can travel itself. But it needs a pilot. But it needs a pilot. Yeah. It's a little... Yeah. Huh? Like, all right. Like, I, I almost either didn't want to know there was a surrounding spaceship. Like, that's just how this thing travels. And mm-hmm. I could go with that better rather than... You know what I mean? It's like saying your gasoline can go off and do <laughs> crazy shit without your car. You know, that's the, to me, the, the analogy doesn't quite work, but, uh, anyway, but, uh, it does make for cool visuals and when they're traveling around trying to get away in Australia and on the weird mm-hmm. alien geyser, I call it the geyser planet. I know it caused the geyser, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, so there's some neat, there is some neat stuff there and just Bill's reactions to everything, especially her first reaction to the TARDIS, which was pretty amusing. I liked that a lot. That was a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Where she calls it a kitchen. If you remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was down with that. Um, but I, I, I agree. Nardle kind of being the mother hen got a bit old for me really quickly. You don't get to yell at the doctor. Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, when Nardle first, first walks in when he's showing Bill into the office, uh, a screw, like a nut and bolt yeah. drop from yeah. his... Somewhere. Like, we get it. Yeah. You were rebuilt. Yeah. We all saw the last Christmas special. Pretty much. Uh, I don't think we needed that no. at all. Yeah, I agree. But um, also Bill's theme in that same scene. Bill's what? Bill's theme. Good theme, yes. Such mm-hmm. a great, mm-hmm. hopeful theme. I would say Murray Gold generally does a good job with companion themes. Yes, I'll he does. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Another yeah, another companion theme. Which we one? heard in that at the end of the episode. When, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When Bill yeah. said when he was about to mind wiper. Mind wiper, yeah. We get an echo of Clara's theme. We sure uh, do. Back to uh, Hellbent. We are what? talking to a big Clara fan, by the way, on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. What? I am. And it's not I'm me. also a big Murray Gold fan, too. Uh, that, that's fine. No, I, we're just clarifying. Why. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'll own like, that. Like, the same way we just geeked out of her sonic screwdrivers is like, that we, I, I'm, oh, I'm trying man. to clarify. Oh, man. I mean, I'm honored you think it's that level. 
Okie dokie. Um, yeah, no, I'm just because, you know, you haven't been on the podcast before and, and we, we haven't like talked about, hey, by the way, our friend Lauren is really into Clara. So I'm just yeah. reestablishing or establishing rather than. Cool. Yes. Like Clara's your girl. Yep. Okay. Great. Yes. Uh, yes, it was a nice, it was a nice moment callback to explain why he doesn't mind Wiper. She's dead. Yeah, no, I know. Okay. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> What? After, after I thought she's still traveling. Clearly, anyway. she's dead by now. How long can that fake body okay. go? Okay, I really should I wait until we talk about twice about a time because there she has to be dead. Okay, so let's move on. Um, oh! <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you've got a note on it there. Yeah, I do. We can we can we can, <laughs> we can talk about it then. That's good. I like that. Let's save it for twice upon a time. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's um. It's a good fun romp. Um, it's a good character setup for Bill. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a perfectly breezy good opening for the season. I have no major complaints. Oh oh, of course we have to talk about we get Mavellans. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, that was badass. That was pretty great. I wish we got a little more Mavellan action, actually. You know, and I was hoping that would be a tease for something later in the season. Like oh, we're we gonna get we're we gonna get a whole Mavellan story. Nope. Nope, they're just in the background. It was almost like a token Dalek appearance, too, because we don't get a Dalek uh, episode this season. So it was just like, you know, they show up, and mm-hmm. one of them gets turned into a, a puddle, or a whatever. So we know these puddle things can take out Daleks. Yay. After um, the after the 50th anniversary, you wrote a sketch for The Idiot's Lantern that we performed at uh, Gallifrey One. And in it, my character is complaining because there wasn't enough classic stuff. And you had written the other character to say, "Oh, come on, man! What do you want? You just want, you just want all the old companions to just come out on a, on a revolving platform, just uh, and just look at it for ninety minutes. Is that what you want?" And uh, yes. And I feel like every time we point out the Mavellans and the old Sonic, that we are revealed with our <laughs> giddiness. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess so. It, it's nice. It, that's why part of me is like, it's great they're there. It's great. And then it's like, oh, it's too bad that they weren't there, There's doing one more, more thing coming up in a couple of episodes uh, where we were far too happy about oh, yeah. 30 seconds yes. of footage. Yes, of the I know. It's because any good bone thrown at us classic fans were just like, ooh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was nice to see that. And uh I know, and, and I keep mixing up the little short they did with this part because I, I know they must have shot it on the on these sets with the Dalek when they did it. Because um, at first she goes, "What's a Dalek?" and they just keep running. But in the short, she she goes on yeah. about like how ridiculous the Daleks are. So in my head, I always think that scene still takes place in this episode. Which mm-hmm. I guess if you want, you can still say that. But yeah, yeah so and I'm like, hey, don't make fun of the Daleks, but whatever. Uh, I think, and this gets established more as Bill goes along, she's one of the more pop culture-centric uh, companions we've had. I'm not saying that wasn't there before to some degree with, like, Rose and, like, Ghostbusters and stuff like that. But um, I feel like they're really pushing it more with Bill than other companions. Like, there's stuff where she's talking about other sci-fi movies. And remember, even in the pilot, she's like, mm-hmm. hey, are you into sci-fi at all? Like, maybe she's possessed by lizard brains or something. Mm-hmm. And she's already being, like, a pseudo-sci-fi fan about it. And I think that's kind of interesting if they went, like really full board and had a companion that was it almost gets meta but you could have fun with that i'll bet i'll bet they've done in the comics already or something but just saying anyways uh anything else about the pilot um i mean foreshadowing when she uh first sees the tardis and he says you're safe in here 
You're safe in here. You'll always will be. It's like, all right. Uh, Why don't we keep... Uh, Stop it. That's not true. That's it. Uh, I was also thinking when she got in the TARDIS, and granted, she's freaked out by Water Girl. Get that. Yep. But uh, when she does go in, uh, even I'm like, all right, I know the way it's it's done now. You have almost like three sides of a box, and if it's dark, I could see that she wouldn't immediately assume that there's stuff behind her. But he actually uh, goes in while she's talking, and he turns on the lights, and she still doesn't react. It takes her a long time to actually turn around and react. Oh my god, mm-hmm. what the hell is this? And I like that at first she thinks it's like a walkthrough. She's trying to rationalize mm-hmm. it in a lot of very typical ways. So that's fine. But I just thought her reaction was really late. I thought like you know sooner. I thought much sooner she should have been turning around. But how more. great was that uh, that pullback show the entire? Time oh, that was a shot. Yeah, good, gorgeous shot. That was yeah, great. Yeah, totally. Another nod to the great cinematography. Yes, yes. Tardis, Tardis looks very nice. How long does? Bill see Heather before she falls in love with her. Is it just twice? Uh, From afar? She's a class with her. She's in class with her, and then she's spotting her at, like, a bar, and then they, like, have a moment where they meet in the bar, and it's done very rom-com and, you know, freeze frame and all that. So there's an implication that she'd been already checking her out, and they had kind of an interaction there, and then he... I'm sorry, she finds him at... Uh, God damn it. She finds her at the uh, the bench when she's all mm-hmm. distraught. Yeah, and they and see the puddle. And see the puddle before she's... The puddle. So I think they've been around. Okay, yeah. all right. So there was some yeah. build-up there, yeah. I guess I've been worse. I think there was also um, a deleted scene in the bar, too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Um, my, my other slight complaint of the episode is that once Heather becomes the pilot and starts showing up and being all creepy... Because of the fact she's always wet, dripping water, I can't shake the waters of Mars water vampire. Oh, God, guys. yeah. And it made me go, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's creepy, but we've already kind of done this. Mm-hmm. So, um, was it's... that a Moffat episode, too? No, that was RTD. Well, who, who wrote that? RTD and I believe Phil Ford wrote that one. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds I... right. Hmm. Yes, it was one of the last specials that we got. Are you? T- are you do you think Moffat did it? What? Almost 100% certain. I know that Moffat did, didn't right? do it. Yeah. I know who did. I, know, I don't know necessarily who did, but I know that Moffat didn't do it. Yes. Well, I just need to know who did it. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, Kevin, do you have any other points on the pilot? I don't. It looked cool. Shut up, Nardole. <laughs> um, oil monster. Wonderful. Um, so what do you write this one? Oh. Oh, with the ratings. I go seven and three quarters, and three quarters of that is just for cinematography. All right. Lauren. What'd you say? Seven and three quarters? Yeah. I don't know. Nine. I, I knew she'd be really high on this one. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go seven and a half. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, good, solid, not, like, amazing, but good. I thought it was a great episode to introduce us to Bill. Oh, was um, really great. I will say that I think if if uh, if season nine had put people off, which I know there was a ratings downturn during season nine, uh, or Capaldi in general had put people off, this was a good re-entry episode for him. Uh, definitely, it's weird to think of the Doctor as being parked somewhere for literally fifty years. Um, I mean, I know he was trapped on Earth as Pertwee for a while, and if you get into the books, you know, McGann was stuck on Earth for like a hundred years and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the TV show, I mean, being Stuck some oh I know time of the doctor. Three well, that was yeah I didn't like that at all. Yeah, but it, it always feels weird when they try and play it, but they try and play it like in one episode as opposed to 
trying to play it over multiple episodes to, so that the audience can feel some of that as well. Um, and I did in time of the doctor <laughs> in time of the doctor. When is this going to end? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I've been watching this episode for 300 years. Wow. Uh, Kevin, share your feelings. Let it out. Um, so moving on to a uh, smile, good old smile. Um, I'm going to be honest. I remember when this episode aired, I really liked it. And having watched it now a handful of times, my estimation of it has gone down somewhat. Uh, and I, I hate to say that, but it does have faults that I have to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm. I really like this adventure came immediately on the heels of the pilot. Yes. Like, they got right into the TARDIS. Yes. And Again, like, said, end of the world. Great. Yes. Yeah. And he said, where do you want to go? And they immediately took off. I don't like... That the monsters are called emoji bots. Well, it's, it's the Vardis. They do have a name. Yes. I don't like that they are emoji bots. Oh, okay, there you go. Get to the crux of it, Kevin. You just don't want emojis in your Doctor Who. Well, I don't like. I don't like what's really. What's out there now? What are the kids doing now? The kids are using emojis. We need emojis. In um, Doctor Who. Yeah, and I think it was all for the joke of uh, what aspect of your language survived millions and millions of years. Oh, emojis. Like, that was, like, the joke. Mm. And it's then like when made an episode about it. It's mm. like in that Bond movie where that girl's name is Christmas. Oh, God. And the only reason her name is Christmas is so at the end when Bond is banging her, he says, I thought Christmas only came once a year. That's the only reason her name was Christmas. And they just built the adventure around. <laughs> yes. I got this great joke, but can we name her Christmas? All right, sold. Um, I, I, I hear that. Um, but I mean by the same argument, because, you know, um, I think who does have to stay somewhat with the times. Emojis might be a little too crass, but I was going to say, like, you know, with the Santarin, uh, oh, my God, the Santarin episode with Tenet, mm-hmm. it was all about GPS. Sure. Well, and at that time, you know, I mean, before you had GPSs on your phone, having a GPS system in your car was a big deal in, what was that, 2008? And, uh, and, and of they were course, with uh, the uh, Cybermen and Doomsday, it was the ear things. Yeah, Bluetooth, right. Bluetooth, so yeah. it, is it is it bad for them to have capitalized on Bluetooth and GPS systems? I The thing is, though, I watch it and I go, okay, I get it, RTD. You don't like the Bluetooth. <laughs> it's fine. Yes. You're right. Yeah, and he's right. They look stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd write an episode of Doctor Who about it, but yeah, I get it. Mm. All right. I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be said with working something in with smartphones or apps or something in Doctor Who, definitely. Now, having said that, I'm looking at this little guy's smile. He is adorable. He is one happy little fella. <laughs> it's tough not to like him. Mm. Um, yeah, I, so I, I like how they, they dove right in. I like the fact this is a Nardole light episode. He literally has one scene and they chew him away. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes and I liked Nardole before. In Husbands, you mean? or in? Uh, yeah, I thought he was entertaining. And then they turn him into this power-mad jerk. <sighs> no, Doctor! You promised! Well, they also justify that by saying that River Song sent him after the Doctor to protect him and to take care of him. And the... Let's get into that in extremist. I have a question about that. Yeah, extremist just yes. popping on up. I know. Um, well, I'm trying to keep it to where it actually shows up in continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but no, I like the fact it's it's Nardo Light. It's all about Bill and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I am a huge, huge fan of Doctor and Companion on their own. 
no other characters, just exploring a mystery. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So we get that in space. I mean, after the teaser where we see some people die, um, we get them exploring this colony, and it, I love the look of this place. I don't know where they found it. Or if they, they, they couldn't it's, have just built it. It's on a, in Australia. Oh, man, that place is yeah. amazing. That place looked great. So I, I love the look of the, of the location, and it really sold the whole idea of this future colony, and... Uh, them just just the doctor figuring stuff out. Some some of the dialogue's a little over snark, but it's okay. Um, and you know you have Bill still figuring out stuff about him, about the two hearts, and so there's there's constant discovery going on, and then the whole thing with the emojis, and they get the emojis on their back, and then they have to slowly discover that you have to remain happy to avoid the wrath of these nanobots. Mm. Um, all neat stuff. Like that first half of the episode, I'm just I've got a big old grin on my face because it's like Ark in Space 2.0 for me, which is like my all time favorite. Doctor Who story. So that's great. And you get a dollop of Happiness Patrol, which has the same thing where they they want you to be happy all the time or you get arrested. So that's that's cool. Very, very catnip to a classic Who fan. Problem is the second half completely lets the episode down. I mean, it just goes right down the drain, man. Have you I mean, do you disagree with this? I mean, it definitely is crunched and rushed and unrealistic the way this thing resolves. Yeah, it's all about the doctor thinking he has it figured out and then going to blow it all up to realize that he would have killed thousands of people uh, had, yeah. had he done that. Yes. yes. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, we almost just saw the doctor uh, kill a sh- shit ton of innocent people. Uh, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Um, I, I've noticed this season there was a recurrence of the doctor wanting to blow stuff up. I think that happens at least three times. Hmm. And not to say he's against blowing stuff up, but then I always think of the Pertwee lecture to the Brigadier about blowing stuff up. And then I'm like, hey, where did the, where did this come from? <laughs> where did you know? Usually, yes, they'll shut down the alien race, but usually with some weird gadget doodad that you know, mm-hmm. and then they all shut down. It's not usually a big explosion. So I, I wondered why, because I, when I watched it again and I really thought it through, I thought he wouldn't have a looked for these pods. It wouldn't have occurred to him to at least look for it before setting the thing up. Mm-hmm. And B. Okay, let's say he succeeds and there weren't pods there. Well, he still basically ruined this colony for whenever these colonists were going to show up. Mm. So, okay, maybe he took out the the nanobots, the the Vardis, but yeah, okay, and even if he did, he's basically screwed these guys when they show like what are they going to do? Like mm. just build a colony out of wheat? I mean, mm. right. Like, so, that wasn't totally a solution either. Um, so I'm glad in a way that, you know, he discovers his thing, but then when you find out there are people, you know, in cryogenic pods and uh, and all that again, more arc in space there. It it just bothers me that I'm like, okay, so by this point we have maybe ten minutes of the episode left. They wake up. Uh, he tries to lie to them at first about what's going on with the Vardis because he doesn't want them getting upset because mm-hmm. if they do, they're going to get eaten. Uh, but of course they find out anyway. He's trying to tell them, well, look, okay, you found out, but you you can't get upset. You can't just go in guns blazing because I mean you're going to shoot nanobots. That's stupid. But they do it anyway. Mm-hmm. They go in with rifles. Sh- you see them shooting at clouds, and I'm like, well, they should be dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should be totally dead. And uh, we do have the nice reveal of the uh, the child of of the woman from the teaser who's dead. And when he finds out that she's dead, that's what starts to trigger everything. But it it's also so fast. Like you're you're building up this nice tension, and then suddenly confrontation like you know what i mean like it's a skip to the end because 45 minutes and the ultimate resolution i also didn't totally believe in because you have this idea where the doctor just what is it he resets does the off on thing Mm -hmm. and that makes the vardis forget who the humans are so okay they're no longer a threat but now because they don't know who the humans are they have to negotiate with them about because the the vardis built that city and without their help they're going to be helpless without the shelter and all the stuff they're providing 
And I thought about it going like, I don't, I don't think I subscribe to this. Like, well, I think it's also because it was so late in the day that they even try to establish the Vardis are a sentient species mm-hmm. and they should be negotiated with. Up to this point, they're just nanobots that malfunctioned. Right. So I had a very hard time going like, yeah, these nanobots that killed off a bunch of our people, we're just going to negotiate with them now. Right. And I'm like, I don't buy this for a second. I think they shook hands in front of the doctor and then trashed those things the minute he left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it felt very, very unrealistic and way too, like, you know, just knowing human beings the way they are. There's no way and everyone just goes, oh, I'll forgive him. It's cool. Hmm. Yeah, and we'll pay you money for us chilling here. So I have major problems with the ending of the episode. That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. My rant is over. Anything, anything else from you guys? Well, you compared it to Ark in Space. Uh, what else could we possibly compare this to classic-wise? I said the happiness between Oh, did you say it? I missed yes. it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, also, I'm very tired. I've had a rough day. <laughs> sorry. Um, the mood indicators yes. that the Vardy used to determine whether or not people were happy. Um, I didn't like the... I feel like they were inconsistent. It's like they were supposed to be mood indicators, but they also, um, like, an idea is not a mood. It's true. <laughs> it's yeah. like little things like, oh, a light bulb. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. not a feeling. <laughs> right. So, like, little things like that kind of bother me, too. I, I get that. Yeah. And apparently in the future, emojis and British pounds have survived because the, the money symbol is pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is, again, I could see the I could see the light bulb as inspiration. I feel inspired. I love all the puzzled looks, though, the doctor constantly yeah. had on his back. That was pretty great. Um, and, and so on. But, uh, yeah. Um, what was I? I was just thinking of one other thing there. Oh, so the whole reasoning of why the Vardis turned and killed everyone is because they were not... They, their, their purpose was to make sure people were content and happy. They had a natural death that caused grief. Emojis didn't know what to do with grief. So... This is the leap I have tr- always have trouble with. So they they interpreted grief as a disease, or or Basically. something. To, and so they their their response wasn't to like to like cheer people up. It was to kill anybody who had grief. And I thought, man, that is a hell of a leap. That is a hell of a malfunction. I mean, that's like that's uh, well, if you see disease, if you see depression as as something that can be spread, mm-hmm. eh, it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, that's, and I don't think it's a huge leap for me. I don't though. think they were. Anyone said that they were malfunctioning. They were just, like, doing their job too well. Well, here's my other thing. They're like, sadness, kill the sadness. They killed it and it backfired. Here's my counter to this. There are emojis for sad. There are emojis for for things that are not happy. So you'd think they would have programmed the entire lexicon of the emoji into this, and they would understand that sadness is just, it's over here. And there you go. All right. I get it. Good point. I'm just saying, like, to have not programmed that in is, like, extreme stupidity on the future human's part. But, right. Uh, so, yeah, it's got some issues. Even though I like the concept of, you know, a, yeah, a, of a bot that doesn't understand sadness, and I I want to like it more than I do. Trust me. I, I'm, like, I, I salute, mm-hmm. like, I suppose the, the higher concept of it. I just think the building block of it needed more working out. But, man, that first half, though, right? That first half's amazing. Yeah. First half's so good. <laughs> So, yeah, that's why, like, you know, if you were talking to Bob in 2017, I'd be like, this is like a nine. Like, yeah, because I just love that first half so much. But now that I really thought that ending through, I'm like, oh, no, not really. <clears throat> I really like the Doctor and Bill together, though. And we, yeah, they were great. We really got mm-hmm. to see some really great teachable moments. Mm-hmm. It's like he is just constantly her tutor. Yes. Um, and she's constantly there to learn. Yeah, no, no, that, that setup's great. Uh, I'm not sure I need to hear about an algae king he met that fancied him that that felt like a 
okay, that's like a random line. Uh, that's for the people who write fanfic. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I bet you there it you exists. Go. I'm sure. I'm sure it's out there. Yes, send send it in. Send us your links on the LG King fanfic. Can't find any? Write some. <laughs> then send that in. Um, yeah. uh, and then what is it? The doctor yet again is telling Bill not to go into his browser history. Um, yeah, another uh, browser but, history joke. Yeah, I think we've had like three of those in the Moffat era. And are, do, are, I mean, we're not supposed. To, he's not watching porn. Is yeah, he? I hope not. What? Mm, yeah, so. but what? I don't know. I mean, I suppose he could be looking at any weird shit that he doesn't want a companion to, to know Algae about. Algae porn. <laughs> he fancied them, too. He fancied oh them back. Oh, God. Wow. Um, it's, uh... Yeah. We'll never know. Because we hope it doesn't come up again. Hope it doesn't come up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been beat to death. Yeah, just... just, just the doctor doesn't know how to use a private browser by now. I know, right? He's know. a super genius. Yeah. Incognito. Yeah. There's yeah. Chrome is great. Sometimes they, they let the ball <laughs> they let the ball drop for a joke. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, other otherwise there's there's a lot to work. And as I said, I, I do think visually it's it's a really cool and I like the look of the robots. <clears throat> They're both adorable yet also strangely threatening with the weird skull faces. <laughs> um, and it's a great reveal with the fertilizer and the dead humans mm-hmm. there, you know. So like there's a lot of stuff to still recommend it. I still feel way more engaged watching this one than a lot of the other ones this season. Um, so, very torn. Very torn. What would you rate it? I know. I'm asking you first. I know. 2017, because it's still a nine. It's like, hey, back down. I, boy. Oof. It's like I want to rate the second half a four. Oof. Um, so I guess I'll meet it in the middle at about a seven. I'll go seven. I was going to say seven. I was also yes. going to say seven. Sevens it is. Uh, So we get another direct cliffhanger right into the next episode with Thin Ice. Mm -hmm. uh, Written by Sarah Dollard, who uh, wrote uh, Face the Raven last season. Yep. Um, Yes. Hmm. I also want to briefly point out that Smile was written by the same guy who did uh, Kill the Moon. Correct. Mm -hmm. And Zygon Invasion. Yeah, Uh, it was uh, Frank... Can't tell boys? Yes. So I want to just say that, Frank, you, you redeemed yourself a fair amount from, from Kill the Moon, man. Kill the Moon <laughs> was not a favorite, and Smile was, I mean, had problems, but way better. Way, way better. Um, but yes, uh, Thin Ice, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a decent historical. I do like the setting. The setting was very original. Mm-hmm. 1814, Frostbury. 1814, yeah. I didn't even know about this Frostbury thing. Those I was like, oh, cool. All right. Hey, I got a little bit of education out of Doctor Who. Ooh. Do you know what my favorite part was? What? Oh, I know exactly what your favorite part is. I, sh- yeah, I think you do. Go ahead, say it. You want me to say it? You can say it. No, you say it. It's when the Doctor uh, totally uh, <laughs> punches that dude for the racist comment. Lord no. it. That's my favorite part. <laughs> I remember you reacted well to it at the time. Then what is your favorite part? Well, it is a good part. Yep. They killed a kid. They sure oh, did. Yeah. And the kid did not yeah. come back no. to life. And that there kid, you go. That kid died. That's right. Yeah. And and But the doctor didn't care because he got his Sonic back. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sort of true. Yeah. I mean, like, hands sticking out of yep. eyes still holding. Very, very conveniently still holding the Sonic. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. Um, um, but it's fine because at the end, all those kids... Totally got that dude's inheritance, so. So it all. It's yeah. fine. It's, it's, it's karma. Except the dead karma. One. Yeah, no, that dead one's still dead. Yeah. yeah <laughs> for sure. But all these years uh, of the reboot, where it's just like everybody lives, especially the kids. You can't kill a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Killed a kid. Yeah. Yep. 
But it was a misunderstood monster. So we can't even really be angry at the monster. Only the evil corporate, well, 1800s corporate guy. Yeah. Misusing pro- Profiteering of it. Yeah. yeah. But the monster's still doing the eating, so he should take part of that blame. I don't know. Very he's torn. just he's just a like, creature needs to eat. So, the, okay, I will say my uh, a beef I have with the episode was uh, every time the creature is sending out its little pilot fish to attract people and suck them down, uh, I thought, how does this fish or these pilot fish have the ability to suck people through the ice perfectly so there's no cracks, there's no holes, and it, like, seals up? It immediately seals back up. Yeah. I thought, you know, I know it's Doctor Who, but I, I kind of would have preferred it if these were just, if they just pulled them through the ice and it's just, that's what it was. Right. You know? I just remember what I actually like more than the kid getting killed. What's that? Okay. And it's actually, it's the conversation with the Doctor and Bill where Bill's like, how many people have you seen killed? He's like, oh, I don't know. I can't possibly remember. Lost mm-hmm. count, yeah. And, uh, and that conversation continues where she just realized, man, this guy has seen some shit and he don't care. Mm-hmm. He's just moving on. Mm-hmm. It is a that was a great, great mm-hmm. scene. It is a good yeah. scene. Well acted. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really I looked at this as definitely as a relationship defining episode mm-hmm. for for Twelve and Bill. Yep. You know, it's Bill getting to see a totally different side of the Doctor than she's seen in their I guess study sessions or whatever. Yes. Um, but I think Sarah Dollard is is really good at relationship defining episodes because I feel like that was even though it was. One of the last episodes with Clara and Twelve, but Face the Raven, you mm. know, the last ten minutes was all about them and their relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah Dollar did great. Um, and even there, I thought she had a, a very clever idea getting into the, um, uh, shoot, you know, the um, the lost streets on maps. Oh, and, yeah, trap streets. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, you know, I, th- I just think it's neat. She's always finding neat new little kind of settings and hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, although I feel like this wasn't super new. Um, huge echoes of the beast below the 11, 11, uh, sec- second episode, I think. Um, yeah. In terms of the monster part of the plot, yeah, yes. there being I'm a... referring just to the setting, uh, oh, the idea of okay. 1814 frost fair with the Thames. I just thought that felt very kind of different and new. Hadn't quite mm-hmm. seen that. And it's covering <clears> a bit of history that isn't super well known about, but I think interesting. It's sort of like the, Eaters of Light episode later, too, does the same thing. So, um, that part, yes. But the monster part, I agree. Very beast below. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also, in the episode first starts, the uh, doctor says he's been he's been to the Frost Fair before because he went there with River. Bing, bing, boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like, uh, we get some TARDIS wardrobe, them dressing up. I yeah. just like seeing them dress up, so it feels very Talons of Wing Chiang. And uh, we, uh, we have that fun little exchange about Pete. Pete, the uh, the per- the person he makes up that you know disappeared mm. for uh, a time, uh, Eddie or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of like that, and the uh, you're right that scene where she confronts him. I always think those are neat when a new companion starts to realize just how old and alien in a way the Doctor is, um, and how if you've been around for two thousand years, what a different perspective that's going to give you on life, and if you're not human. Um, but then they react a little bit like in either shock or horror like she was, and, and rightfully so from her perspective. But there's another part of me going like, yeah, but sooner or later you do, like, there's another part of me going like, but, you know, like, how can you expect to act the way you do? Because, I mean, just such, such vastly different experiences uh, going on about um, the uh, the world and, and um, the universe, so to speak. I mean, she definitely heard what he was saying. And... Oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is she it, it's harder for her to relate strictly from her perspective mm-hmm. um and i get that you know it would have been weird if she just went oh okay yeah you're right you know yeah. i agree she had to react the way she did but yeah. um and then she accepted it and that mm-hmm. i don't think that happened too quickly i think she just understood mm-hmm. 
do you uh, do you think the 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 racist moment where the doctor punches the guy out? While it was a nice moment, do you think that was a little too on the nose, a little too upfront? I think maybe a little. Mm-hmm. Look, I think it was great. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where I, it made me uh, crave the pacing of Classic Who, where we could have subtly built that up a bit oh, more. Oh, you know what? No, you're right. Uh, but uh, I, listen, I had forgotten a lot about this, but I, I do remember because the moment that he punches him isn't funny on its own. It's the buildup. Yeah, it's the, listen, you can't just lose your shit, all right? Yeah. People are going to say a lot of stupid things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Racist moment. What? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. I'm back on board. I think it's fine. <laughs> Uh, I do like the cool uh, retro diving suits, but it did make me wonder why didn't they just pull out some cool futuristic diving suits from the TARDIS to do this? But it <laughs> looked question. Neat. it looked really neat. So okay, I'll let it go. It's very um, twenty thousand league. You know, I just want to I want to speak to the Lord Sutcliffe getting punched in the face moment. Okay, like the the racism moment. Okay, um, I feel like questions like that come up when a certain actor or actress is cast. In a role that gets to travel with the Doctor, mm-hmm. it's the kind of, same kind of thing that would that came up when you know Jodie Whittaker was cast. Mm-hmm. It was oh, a woman traveling through time. Oh well, you know, women haven't always been you know free to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is just addressing one of those things. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not saying they shouldn't have addressed it. I'm just yeah. saying that you know what was a little quick and overt. I mean, there's there's other ways it could have been addressed. And they took a very just quick, and of course, a lot of it is because you got 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also had a, a line, uh, Bill was watching the Frost Fair, and she said, it's a little, what she said, it's a little darker than the movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. The movies mm-hmm. make it And seem. the doctor says, oh yeah, history's a whitewash. Yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. So that's a little subtle way they did it. Mm-hmm. And then they also punched a racist dude in the face. <laughs> yeah, that's the not so subtle way. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be honest, I always tend to blur the end of this episode where they're getting like, what, tied up. The doctor basically uh, almost sets that uh, bad guy up to get sucked under the ice oh, so he can sure. get his yeah. Sonic back. Again, I thought, like, he just loves getting Sonics for people dying in the ice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not like he can get another one made or anything. Yeah, yeah. right? So um, do we, uh, pardon my extreme ignorance here, but do we assume that what happened, that it is true, that it was much, much darker, that there were more people of color out and about than normally we see on the television? Uh, I would have to do research on that. When she says it's it's darker than I than I mm-hmm. had led to believe, is that true? Do you think? I, I don't yeah, know. I have to do my research. I mean, and I feel I, like I, probably because whitewashing still happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't speak to the census of Britain in 1814. And, right. And, 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 on the Thames. And the census. Bob, of you said you prepared for this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I didn't know I was getting into the, uh, the history quiz here. Mm-hmm. Tardis Wiki uh, points out that Bill speculates, uh, or she's concerned about the butterfly effect. Yes. And I, th- I love the butterfly effect, so it's fun to hear. Yeah, so that's that's pretty neat stuff. I will say it's a little convenient that the monster just gets away, and it just it just swims away. It just And I thought, you'd think that would cause some headlines, like a big monster just swim But away. they even address that when they go they go back to the present time in his office. Okay. And she's like on her phone and she's Googling. Yeah. She's like, she's Googling like Thames, Big Fish, yeah. you know, 1814. Mm-hmm. She's like, how does nothing come up? And he said something about, I think like another comment about like the capacity of humans to remember or something. Same comment as McCoy. I guess I could see, especially at that time, because it's not like it, you'd have video footage or something. You'd go, ah, they were just right. making up crazy stories back then. People, people were dumb. Um, but you think that this creature might have caused some other issues out in the water, kind of like the Scarrison, you know, in Terror of the Zygons. I'm expecting to see some something with this thing, but maybe it maybe it's lived on the bottom of the ocean and ate guppies or something. I don't know. Yeah. 
But yeah, oh well. Hmm. Um, anything else about Thin Ice? Not for me. Um, I mentioned the Beast Below similarity, also reminiscent of Kill the Moon. Uh, in the sense that there's this big monster and he makes a human decide whether or not oh, yeah. to kill it yeah. or to let it free or whatever. I'm not a fan of that, by the way. Of I, that Of um, that whole, trope. yeah, that's a, that's a thing they only started introducing, I feel, with Capaldi, where, you know, oh, like with Clara or in this case, Bill, oh, I, I serve at the back of the human race mm. and you have to make the call because you're human. Yeah, or I can't make the call for and you. I can, and I go like... yeah. So many other times in history, you have totally made the call, and now you're not going to do it? Like, oh, God. I'll tell you, I liked it, and I liked it in Kill the Moon. Uh, it was like, listen, this is your, this is your, this is your place. Mm-hmm. Take some ownership. You want me to come in here and constantly pick? I don't have to do this. This is your place. Figure it out. I feel like in Kill the Moon, it was, he was exasperated. That he didn't want the pressure. He didn't want to have to take up the mantle to make that decision. And I feel like in Thin Ice, it was different. I feel like he was trying to bring Bill into the decision making. That's the only way with, it works for me in with, Thin Ice. With relation to him being someone who has killed people or who has yeah. made tough decisions. That's the only way. So I think way, that yeah. that's, in this case, closer to what it was. I think so. That's the only way it works for me in Thin Ice. It never worked for me in Kill the Moon. I, oh, especially when he leaves. I'm just like, are you joking? Well, uh, that was a mistake. He knows it was a mistake. Uh, I liked it. I don't want to talk about Kill the Moon. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I guess the only other thing I have about this episode is that after he punched Lord Sutcliffe, there was a really great, a really great moment um, where Lord Sutcliffe is like talking crap about people who don't matter, about the people who he's been sacrificing to the monster mm. for his own profit. Mm. And the doctor has a really great line. He says, uh, human human progress isn't measured by industry. It's measured by the value you put on a life, an unimportant life. Yeah, that's a great line. It was a great line, and there was a really great shot of Bill seeing him and hearing him and knowing that he does value life. And the mm. fact that he has seen death and he has caused death does not mean he doesn't value life, mm. which is, again, a great teachable moment. Thank you, Sarah Dollar. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about this episode. Uh, my my only other slight complaint was uh, the I'm sorry, what was his name? Lord Sutcliffe. Sutcliffe. Uh, again, because of the time crunch, was a bit of a, a two dimensional, one note villain. Not a oh, lot of time yeah. to do much with him. He yeah. was uh, a little too uh, cardboard for me. I wish they could have done something more with him, but I know it's tough because he only had like what three scenes. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, so what do you rate this one? <laughs> I'll give it an eight. I'm gonna give it a nine. I'm gonna go six and a half. Um, six and a half. I got I got my issues, man. You sure? I got my you? issues with it. It's just and my other thing is as good as some of these moments are. Um, at the end of the day, to me, it's just like oh, yeah, it was an episode. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't like rise like cream to the top for me. Mm. But it's not terrible. Um, okay. All right. So moving on to episode four, knock knock. Oh, here we go. Uh, I'm glad. Okay, for I don't know if it's evident to you, dear listener. I did not watch these again. I'm going straight up on memory. So I'm going to ask the two of you in knock knock. Mm-hmm. Does love save the day in this one? Sort of. Indirectly. Um, not quite as, not quite as overtly as like, you know, like closing time, but it's, it is there. It's a component. Yeah. 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 It's not romantic love. You know what this episode does? 
the opposite of the last one, where every one of those little pricks that f got pulled into the wood saved at the end. Uh, true. And that was, I hate to say it, a cop-out because you get the impression these uh, wood lice are uh, consuming these children to feed the energy of the uh, the, the mother. Um, the problem I have with that is, yes, once something is eaten, it you can't really uneat something. <laughs> so that's that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, um, and, and if they came back, why not the other batches well, yeah, of kids? Well, yeah, why not all the other kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. It's a bit too pat. Uh, something that came up um, when I was reading about this episode didn't even occur to me. And I've only seen this one maybe two tw two times. I'm not a fan of it. Um, so we, we open with Bill looking for a flat with a bunch of her friends, her college friends, her new college friends or whatever. Um, and that's how they end up at this Spook Guild house uh, that's run by David Suchet, Poirot himself, um, doing a very good performance. I like him. Uh, but I completely forgot about it. And this is, this is how terrible this is. I had completely forgotten we had set up a whole thing where she had a living arrangement with her uh, foster mom. Yep. So it makes me go, well, what happened there? It's not to say it's outside the realm of reason that she wanted to go off with friends and do that, but, like, we had that, and then another couple episodes later, she's back with the foster mom, because I guess, obviously, this didn't work out. This is not outside the realm of possibility, but it's a little bit weird that we're, we're kind of jumping from that setup to this other setup, and then back again. Mm -hmm. It's just little continuity jarring that's yeah it. i don't know i i mean they did a pretty good job setting up that foster mom to be a dick she, no i she agree not i'm a not great saying person. i'm not saying it's a complete plot hole it's just a slight thing where i'm like hey wait a minute um because she also goes i have my own place i'm like well kind of but you're sharing it but you're also sharing another place over here i'm like all right you know like whatever. Mm -hmm. okay yeah i didn't so, like how bill was upset with the doctor for wanting to learn more about her yeah. Yeah. It's like she spent the last, let's just say a year, mm -hmm. um, like being his ward in a way and like, yeah. and like learning so much from him. And then suddenly she doesn't want him around. Yeah. She's playing it like a, a teenage girl's like, dad, I'm with my friends. Yeah. You know, thanks for helping me move my stuff in. Now go, please go. Oh. Even I though she was happy he was around once things started getting creepy. Yeah. Um, uh, nice callback to the Hartnell era where she's calling him granddad and he insists on grandfather. That was cool. Um, well, I think I think when what he said with that was he doesn't... In that line, that exchange, she said granddad and he said father, certainly. I think it was more like, a, I don't look old enough to be... Right, they played that joke with him too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, and then she mm -hmm. said, all right, grandfather. Yeah, you're right. Oh, so, you're right, you're right, you're right. So it was played as a joke too. But I liked how it ultimately came out too. Mm-hmm. Grandfather. Um, and I liked how, um, and I guess this got cut from the episode, but since I know the writer intended it, I'm going to keep it in that uh, the kid Harry is the grandson of Harry Sullivan, companion of the fourth doctor. And I was like, <laughs> nice. Good, good one, guy, because I love Harry. Nice. So, uh, Mike Bartlett was yeah. the writer mm -hmm. this one. So we all know. He was a fan of Harry Sullivan, so he made the. It, there was a line that got cut that where he explicitly says that Harry Sullivan was his grandfather. Mm. Uh, I don't remember what this kid was like. What was this kid like? Is he worth being. Harry Sullivan's, uh... He was not... He was the other guy that was not interested in Bill. They were... I mean, they were all, I feel like, such throwaways. Yeah. Yeah, why would you... Why would he... Why would you make that... I think it's good that he wasn't. I... I would rather have Harry Sullivan's kid or grandkid mean something down the line rather than mm. just be some douchebag mm. roommate. Well, I'll tell you what. 
uh, maybe Big Finish will correct that for you because they're doing everything these days. I just like the fact that Harry Sullivan got any love at all, and I realized I had to read about that to even know about it. But that's me because I love the hell out of season twelve, and I'm very biased. I'm Clara biased, like like she is. So on the level of Clara bias, that's what I meant to say. I, mean, I, hear, is, I hear. This is a, I hear what you're saying. I hear completely a, what you're a saying. This is a big step even beyond bringing out the companions in a in a revolving uh, <laughs> thing. It's it's a fictional, double fictional crank hit. <laughs> it's kind of like when J.K. Rowling like said something about characters she's already written, like after the fact. And then, and then because it came from the creator, people yeah. can take it kind as of, canon or yeah, not. Kind yeah, kind of like yeah, shoehorns it much. in. Pretty like much. she says it because she can. Yeah, I don't know. Like, give me something. What does she say? Oh, like Dumbledore's gay. Oh. Oh, I'm not watching this movies anymore. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, but hey, maybe maybe that's that's where we need to submit our own script and have a cool grandson for Harry Sullivan doing neat stuff. How about that? Um, so anyway, uh, let's see. We have basically. It's, it, I think my my ultimate thing with this is that. <sighs> Yeah, I don't care for how Bill is reacting to the Doctor in the episode. I don't mm-hmm. care for how it seems to go through the rote motions of standard kind of creepy haunted house. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know David Suchet is up to no good, and he's creepy. He's, and he's super creepy. He's super creepy. And they're discovering things that people are getting sucked into walls, which also feels very derivative. I was also thinking, like, the absorbable alphabet and stuff like that. And, um, and you just see people, like... And whenever people get eaten up by the lice, it's not even really that scary it's almost comical mm. i don't know if it's the effect or just i don't know getting sucked into the wall is one thing it's the uh it's when like literally they're all being taken over by the by the cockroaches um so we find out the, the little twist that uh Suchet is not the son wait he's not the father father thank you he's the son Mm-hmm. Um, of Eliza, the wood woman. The wood woman. In the and I, I gotta imagine, like, okay, you're keeping her alive, but she's made of wood, dude. Like, what kind of existence can she have here? Mm-hmm. Um, Back to the absorbable life. Yeah. Absorbable life. Pretty much. You've got a bit of a love life. Great. <sighs> and then, you know, she realizes that, wait, you've been killing people to keep me alive. And I'm like, she's finding this out now. Mm-hmm. And then finally sort of sacrifices herself and him to, to get you know, take themselves out of the pain. Well, I think, I think she knew, I think she knew what was happening to an extent, but... So then what turned her around then? Well, she thought, she thought that he was her father. So the, the, because she called him father. And then when it came out that... So her memory got affected over yeah, the years? So, yeah, okay. so when the doctor uncovered <clears throat> that he's the son, mm-hmm. she, she's like, I, you, we did this because you said we had to. Mm. So she's like, oh, I'm the mom. No, we we have to stop this. So it's okay. like she so, like so regained the, the control. Shift of authority, got it. Okay. Yeah, right. and then you know to answer your question, Kevin, her love for her son, she pulled him in and said, "This has to end." And then they both. All right. Well, that I don't even I don't think that counts as my I I can't be upset about love saving the day. Okay. Like that, it's a it's a decision. It's not the feeling of love. Yeah. So. Everybody wish real hard and say the doctor. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> Season three, man. God just, damn. Just throwing it out. Just, yep, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, so what am I forgetting about this episode? Because that's most of what I remember. So, and I just watched it again a day ago. <laughs> so um, at the end of the episode, yes. after it's all wrapped up, and Bill has to move back with her bitch of a foster mom. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Twelve brings... Mexican takeout. Oh to the yeah, vault. right, 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 right. Yeah. And uh, it te- tempts whoever is in that vault with a story 
where kids get eaten. And they're very happy. We can tell by the happy piano playing. Yes. And then so, it opens. And... That's the first time we know that there's some entity or someone in the vault and not a thing. And that already got me worried because as soon as you get that, you, you start to guess who's in there. We mm -hmm. knew it was the master from the end of the first one, right? I didn't know from the first one. I My my mind was thinking something to do with Susan, something to do with... I thought it was something, maybe some cool Time you, Lord you relic. You still had hope. I had hope. <laughs> and then by episode three, I'm like, God, it's just going to um, be... Uh. Yeah, this was the scene that I was like, oh, it's Missy. Yeah. Oh no, I or I said it's the master because I didn't know if it was Missy or if it was John Cena's master because hmm. we we knew at this point right, we right, knew right. before the yeah they had announced that John Cena yeah. was coming right. back mm -hmm. so yeah. I knew in some capacity the master was in that ball I didn't yeah. know which it was yeah which is kind of yeah yeah so. But I, I mean, I, I had much grander ideas of where that was going to go in episode one, and then suddenly it started going. It's, it's like, ooh, and oh, like, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I'm doing a gesture of wide De Niro, by the way. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's. I, I, I remember not being into this when it aired. Mm. Um, what, what are your feelings on it? I mean, I would say um, I would give it like a five, four, mm. three. Yeah. Mm, I really didn't like this one. Yeah. Yeah, this is disappointing. So now we move on to Oxygen. Um, the return of Jamie Matheson, uh, the, the writer of my favorite Peter Capaldi episode. Well, it's, I, f I find a strong parallel to Stephen Moffat when he was writing Blink and Girl in the Fireplace before he was the showrunner. Yeah. And when, uh, what was it? Uh, his first one that we really liked? Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. After mm. that and after Flatline, I was like, this could be the guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, my this God. This could be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then Oxygen came along, and I was like, where'd that guy go? <laughs> and I I agree. It's not quite on that level, but it's still one of the better season 10 episodes. I will definitely say that. Um, and, I, and, well, what do you think of The Girl Who Died, then? That was the other one you wrote. Oh, the... Um, I hated that he hated it. Wait, the girl who died? I yeah. don't think he wrote that. He co-wrote it with Mafia. Oh. Wait, 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 the girl who died with the... Um... What, the woman who lived? The Maisie Williams? He didn't yeah, write yeah, the yeah. woman who lived. Woman who lived was a different writer. He yeah. only wrote the first part. I think I still hated it. Wow. Hmm. I thought it was at least okay. I liked it. Yeah. This episode... Was... Well, All right. I didn't like the Oxygen. Benny Hill part. <laughs> I didn't like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Defeat yeah. the bad guys by yeah. posting it on video. That. I fell asleep during this one when I first watched it, uh -huh. and I tried to watch it again, and I fell asleep again, and I don't know if I ever properly finished this episode. Oh, Ooh. Um, I'm reminded of your infamous story of turning the channel on first-run Sylvester McCoy episodes. Now, to be fair, I was turning it to Saturday Night Live. But and it, still. And it was, and it was survival. Uh, and, no, you know. said you did it for that and Ghostlight. Also, what That's season right. of SNL was it? Um, would have been ninety, whatever season that was. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, yes. so so this was worth watching to the end. That's what you guys are telling me. Well, I mean, because in a way, it's like it's a huge setup for the next two adventures. That's partly it. So and well, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, what, anything else you want to add beyond falling asleep on this one, Kevin? Uh, not, not yet. Oh gosh, the blind. Yep. Yeah, going blind. Yep. I did finish it. I did finish it. Now I remember because it's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so yes, oxygen. Um, I do. This um, is utopia. 
where I'm, I'm, nothing oh. really mattered the first 85, 90% of it. And at the end, oh shit, it's the, the master. That's what we've built to. That's what this whole episode is about. Oh shit, the doctor's blind. That's what this whole episode, maybe it's not about. Um, sort of. I, but they also had to set up the Taclophane in that episode too to pay that off. But, sure. Yeah. Um, but I see what you're saying. I get it. Um, but to me, I don't see this as set up for the three. I mean, yes, it plays into the three-parter, but I think with, with an easy rewrite, it doesn't have to. So to me, I can divorce it from the buildup of the three-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did like is I'm always a sucker for base under siege, outer space, future stories. So right away we have, you know, cool astronauts dealing with creepy kind of outer space zombies. And they actually, I think adequately explain they're not true zombies. It's the suits. I like that. Um, so I think we set up the tone pretty well. I like the idea that the doctor, I even love his weird lecture where he's going on about space and the different ways you die in space. Cause that a, that pays off and B it shows how much he, he misses space. And, and Nardle says it. Mm. Um, and he wants to take Bill out into space and he's treating it like a camping trip and she wants to go somewhere kind of safe. And right away he's like, no distress call. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on board with all of this, even though yes, he's, he's pushing on the risk taking. Um, and I know that the, the theme of um, capitalism is bad is very heavy handed here. Oh boy. Um, but I can I can go with it to a degree because it kind of reminded me of um, a lot of like the Pertwee era stuff when you dealt with like the IMC Corporation. Do you remember this, uh, Kevin? Where you know basically same kind of thing. You know, you know, corporate is bad, but not quite as you know hammered down your throat. Yeah, yeah. Because um, this was capitalism charges you for oxygen if you don't pay, you die. Uh, yeah, no, totally. It's like, um, but I thought that the rules were interesting. You know, the idea that okay, you pay for oxygen. They counted in breaths. You have to put on these suits. They have bubbles. Um, but then when you go outside, you need the helmet because the bubble can only do so much. I like I like these little setups. I think the basic problem, again, with the 45-minute format is we didn't get enough time with the side characters that they had to survive with. So they're basically, again, almost throwaways that are just cannon fodder to get bumped off as they up the stakes mm-hmm. for moving throughout the station to get away from the zombies. Well, except for the blue guy. Cause except then, for the blue guy. Because then he is the he's involved with a, a racism bit with Bill. True, yeah. And, and yes, there's two times they flip around this thing with Bill. One time is here, the other time is in Eaters of Light. And I think those are both nice moments. But mm. um, so yeah, so you have that. But like, um, I even like the the kind of lived in look of the station and some of the tech. Like, it doesn't look totally gleaming new. You can tell it's a little used and beat up. Um, and some of the weird stuff they have, where like the the suits can't find them because mm-hmm. there's like a bit missing on the schematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like those little trickery things granted the some of the dialogue with bill and nardole in the beginning gets a little ornery for my taste like sometimes the doctor gets a little too too harsh um and i understand that's kind of capaldi but it's to the point where you know what it is he is so put down to nardole sometimes that i'm like why do you keep this dude around if like Mm -hmm. all you do is like listen to this dude nag you and all you do is just like bark sarcasm at him all the time you know or or insults basically straight up insults and that happens a lot. There's very, I feel very little true camaraderie with those two in this season versus the the Mysterio episode. I mean, I feel like River's Promise again kind of blankets that for me. It's in a way he's like. Let's wait the, till extremist to get into God, that. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's one episode away. Uh, but that's that's part of what what gets me about that. And um, um, but as I said, I, I I dig I dig the stakes. I dig the setup. Uh, I even liked how the doctor had to put her through. We thought it was a death, but it turned out he knew the voltage on the suit mm-hmm. wouldn't kill her. It would knock her out. Right. Um, so I kind of like that. Um, and I like the, 
Well, the end, what was it? What was the end here? They were going to blow up the station, and by blowing up the station, it was going to cost them profits. So basically, they were the only ones that could save the station. So they had to be saved by the suits to to save their profits. Basically, uh, close. Um, the doctor, while blind, uh, somehow tied in like tied in their life signs to <laughs> the ship itself. So if their life signs stop. It explodes. Okay. So it was basically like, if you kill us, the whole ship goes up. Right. So right. It, was, it was a deterrent. The the thing that I also really liked about it was um, the, uh, it reminded me of the movie Moon, where they, they have this replaceable, like, have you guys seen Moon? Moon's great. That's fantastic. So Moon. you have a character that's uh, basically constantly being replaced every, I think it was every three months or a year or something, and he's uh, he's a clone. By the way, spoilers for the movie Moon. Mm, okay. Sorry, spoilers for the movie Moon, but it has been out for over a decade. Um, it's uh, but basically same thing that the the people on the station are replaceable. You know, they're just they're just cheesy resources that you know, the company doesn't care about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was an interesting kind of um, you know I guess inspiration. Or at least I read it as an inspiration. Maybe he didn't see the movie. You never know. Mm. Uh, so um, my biggest problem. Okay. Yeah. With this episode yeah. is. Um, a, that the doctor is blind. And B, that he doesn't even try to use any of his regeneration energy to heal himself. Someone, please, please one of you explain that to me. Because I can never not hate that like crazy. Because What was your, what's your so possible take? He, so he's, he's blind. Yes. Okay. Uh, he doesn't try to tap into his re- regeneration energy to heal himself. <laughs> I was in Jamie Matheson's coffee clutch at Galley last year, and I asked that question. What did he say? And he said, "Oh, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know." And I'm like, "Cool, cool." Series. I'm like, waste of a question, clearly. But why? Why not? I think the ultimate answer is Moffat was planning out this three-parter. That blindness thing is a huge part of part two. Yeah. And, it and just, part and it, three. And it was, and it was a, oh, no. it has to stick. Yeah, part two. It has to stick. So we have to keep it. Even though I agree, the blindness thing, there's so many problems with the blindness thing. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with the mm-hmm. idea the doctor had to pay a price to save Bill. I'm even okay if he was temporarily blind. Like he couldn't, he couldn't cure it till he got back to the TARDIS. I, w- I would have been fine just with that. Yeah, I would have also been fine with that. Um, you know, not wanting to waste just the regeneration energy. Uh, Wouldn't even course. try. And um, like, there wasn't even like a like a throwaway line look, of I don't know how much how much regeneration energy I have left. I don't know how, what the time words gave an, me. That's extremist, though. When he gets in, that's in the simulation. <laughs> well, we're one episode away from that. So, um, so, the, so, the, so the thing is with the blindness is uh, yes, I agree. I, I'm not, look, in general, uh, Kevin and I have talked about this. I'm not a fan of the whole using regeneration energy willy-nilly to, like, heal wrists and stuff. I always think that's a cop-out, and it's it's not good. Unfortunately, now having established that, you're right, why not go to it now? Um, especially yeah. to make it seem like, oh, it's so permanent. It's like, well, even if you set that aside, you're really telling me there's nothing in the TARDIS that can heal you. BS. Especially because I know larger mm-hmm. canon has stuff in the TARDIS that would totally take care of it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um... He, even if the TARDIS doesn't have it, you're telling me he doesn't know of a time and a planet to go to where they could easily take care of this. Right. So, so many problems with, with this. Um, they needed a stronger reason for him to stay blind, like, that, that for whatever reason was irreversible. They really did. Um, so I agree with that. I completely agree with that. It drives me nuts. And and also, when I was re-watching the scene where they supposedly cure him, and I watched his performance, and I'm like, there is nothing in this performance that is giving away to me that he's still blind. He looks like he's he, playing it. He even has great eye contact. Yes. I watched that, too. I'm like, he should have, they should have 
blocked it and shot yes. it so that he's not looking directly at it yeah. at anybody some some way to, yes i agree i mean they hide it in the next scene with the shades but that scene i'm like no way the doctor's that good especially the way they play it later no way he's that good at faking it no um so that was another little hiccup in the episode so it is not perfect it is not on par with mummy but i still found it an interesting engaging episode yes I agree, mm-hmm. but... Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, the, the blindness is a problem, but it becomes more of an issue in the later episodes yeah. than it does not exactly immediately right here. Correct. But I liked the tension of Bill's about to be exposed to space and Bill's about to be killed by the zombies. Right. I liked, I liked the tension. And he does movie. what he <clears throat> needs to do to protect her. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Great. Yeah, some extreme stuff. Anything else, Kevin, about this episode? No, sir. What do you rate it? I can't. I need to, I need to watch it beginning to end again. Mm. I've forgotten too much about it. I think we'll call that a default five if we have to. How about you there, Lauren? <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, I know. What oh, wow. Well, this this is great. They, uh, the wiki has Time Lords can survive in a, a vacuum for limited periods of time uh, far longer than humans can. And there's a picture of the fifth doctor skimming right. around oh. through and for to doomsday. Nice. I remember loving that. That's great. Yeah. You just had a little oxygen thing. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna give it a seven. Okay. That's Just really the last five I, you know, my I love of Matheson wants to give it an eight, but, you yeah. know, those are very valid points about mm-hmm. the blindness and, uh, yeah. and, and so on. I will go seven and a half. Okay. I also super love how the doctor used humor in this episode. Yes. He super used humor to deflect and it was yeah. really great. And it was called out multiple times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, moving on to Extremists, at long last. Written by Stephen Moffat. Yeah. The Moth is back. Oh. Yep. So, uh, this is part one of a three-parter. Um, I have to admit, at the time this aired, I was very initially intrigued with this. And now that I look back on it, knowing where it's going to go, it's hard to get excited about it anymore. Um, the problem um, I have is that I was, for all its faults, I was sailing along okay with this season for the most part, until we hit this three-parter. And then I felt like someone let the air out of the balloon. Mm. And I felt like the season took this major dip with this three-parter and didn't fully recover until we got to the finale. Mm-hmm. That was my feeling, in terms of like the energy of the season, certainly. Um, but I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, but focusing just on this episode, and we'll be getting into more of the, the Missy Arc stuff, um, what what were your thoughts? In Of this episode? This episode. Uh, this is where we get the doctor who is the, uh, it's not really the doctor, right? Yes. This is the simulated doctor yes. by the monks. I know that you wrote a sketch, uh, mocking this yes. or his inability to do anything. Yes. I really enjoyed that con. I liked it. I really liked the concept mm-hmm. that if there was a fake Kevin, if there was a second Kevin, mm-hmm. And somebody was trying to mess with the stuff that real Kevin liked. Mm-hmm. Fake Kevin would be like, screw that, pal. I know I'm not real, but there's a me out there that needs my help. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get it. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Uh, it's an interesting concept that they came up with a simulation of the doctor, which makes sense. Because you want to have all your obstacles there to simulate how do you get past him. Uh, and that simulation is so good that he's still going to find a way to thwart their plans even though he's not real. Interesting idea. Even though he's not real, and even though he's blind. And Yeah, that's the bit that gets me. Their simulation was so good, it works in the blindness thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
That's a reach, but all right, I get it. It's for continuity's mm-hmm. sake because we want to fool the audience. All right, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, this is also the episode we learned that Missy's in the vault. Yes. It would have been neat if he wasn't blind, and people are watching. They're like, "Wasn't he just blind last week, and now he's just walking around not blind? What's what is this?" That would have been neat. Mm. Too, I think that would have been too much. Okay, got it. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. um, speaking of early giveaways, this is just, I have not looked into this at all, yeah. but why is it that the TARDIS didn't translate the Pope's Italian? Was that an Easter egg that it was a simulation Ooh. and they didn't get that detail right? Or was it just a mistake? Um, was it a mistake by Stephen Moffat? Because what the TARDIS would translate. TARDIS right. always translates. Uh, unless it's a super old end language and that language is not old enough. Well, they did say it was an ancient language that they didn't know, but it shouldn't have been that old. I yeah, agree. but they weren't speaking it. They were speaking Italian. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All those are... Maybe yeah. the Tardis just assumed that uh, people know Italian. You don't need to translate it. Yeah. It'll, it's, uh, it'll translate alien languages. Sure, I get it. It's on a different planet. Wait, you don't know Italian? It's just around the... It's just mm-hmm. over the fucking no, ocean. It guys. translated well, Latin in Eater of Light. And it translated French Final. in uh, Madame, the Madame de Pompadour episode, uh, Girl in the Fireplace. Anyway, so yes, obviously it's it's Malibu. Let's chalk it up to fault in the simulation. Lauren, your uh, glasses are down your nose a little bit. Maybe you should put your. Uh, Why did the doctor? It's hard to not translate. Would you rather me apologize? You're right though. For Doctor Who, I know I'm right. (laughs) Jeez, should I go be the apologist you're hoping I would be? Really serious question. Did you think I would have so many complaints about Doctor Who? Maybe oh my God. I was uh, poking fun of you a little bit. Sorry. Okay, got it. Dingy to bang boom. All right, I'm good. I'll chill out. Uh, Sorry. So, uh, so yeah, we. Um, I do say on its own, without knowing it's a simulation and thinking of the trailer, this is a really cool uh, base idea that I, I wish had had a different ending or been legit, as in there's something cool with the Vatican archives. I love anything cool with the Vatican archives. That's a mm-hmm. neat thing to get into. Great stuff. And there's a Very cool pretty. book in there that's a big deal, and the Pope himself has to go to the doctor because he's been recommended by an, an old Pope from 1086 or something. That's cool. That was great. I love it when the doctor gets cred- credentials not from the psychic paper but from, like, a legit authority yeah. from like, history. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth. Or- yeah. Uh, yeah. was big on that too. And, uh, so I liked all that. That's great. And there's something about this book and it's so mysterious and, oh, it's, it's shrouded mystery. And anyone who's read it has like gone crazy or something. I'm like, this is cool. All right. I'm in for this one. And it definitely had lots of like build up of mystery and tension and all that. Of course, it's still hampered by the blind thing. Cause here's my other thing with the blind thing, mm. blind thing problem part two. <laughs> so he's got, he's got sonic shades, right? The one time sonic shades <laughs> comes in handy. Cause I normally hate the sonic sonic shades. And I would think, oh, it's Time Lord technology. It should easily be giving him a perfectly good representation. Of like everything. a bat. Yeah, it should be giving him more than just a little male uh, height and age thing. I'm like, that doesn't really help you. Like, it mm-hmm. should be almost giving you full sight back or near it. To the point where he's not having to go, oh, where's the Pope? He's right in front of you. Oh, and so they're playing oh. all these dumb blind jokes. And I'm right. like, give me a break. So I thought that was kind of... Or kinda... like Jordy. Yes! Like Jordy's visor. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Exactly. Should have been like Jordy's visor. Star Trek: The Next Generation. Cool. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was. Uh, it made me go. Come on, Doctor. You got better tech than this. Uh, so that that was bothersome. But um, 
Uh, so we have that, and that carries through to the real doctor. So that's not a simulation problem. Um, and then we have uh, them going to the Vatican. And that's really cool. And uh, oh wait, oh that's right. There's a there's a bursting in scene where the Pope interrupts Bill's date, <laughs> which okay, you know, kind of funny. It's a little forced. Like why why would the Pope himself have walked in? It's clearly just for the visual of the Pope interrupts a date, right? Um, and uh, and obviously ruins her her chances with uh, I forget the girl's name Penny. She- Penny, because she comes back. And I think that that's another thing that we've hit a number of times. Why would this happen? And we think it's because Moffat goes, oh, it would look cool. I'm, it doesn't I, make any sense. Yeah, but look at it. It looks, it looks so cool. I'm positive that's why he wrote it. I can see, like, hey, I've got this idea. She's on a date, and the Pope interrupts her. I love it. Let's do it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I agree. It, it was a little forced. Especially when they come in, and then there's all the other, uh, like, bishops or whatever, and... Uh, and then she talks to the doctor, and he's being, and he's lining up this weird Time Lord, like weird Hitchhiker's Guide looking book tech. Um, that I hate this part so much. Um, mm-hmm. So later he uses it to plug himself in, and and like fry his brain to get like five minutes of vision that may or may not cost him all his regenerations, some of his regenerations. He could keel over in a half an hour, mm-hmm. and I'm like. That's some pretty dicey technology right there for five minutes of vision. Like, it's like, at least it should give you your vision back for the rest of your current incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, this is the tech you're going to use to get your vision back, as opposed to all the other things that we could be doing to get your vision back. Yeah. Jordy's visor. Um, but, uh, so that 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 whole scene, especially because uh, I know they were trying to play up the whole bit where he's trying to read the book. The monks are coming through. He doesn't see them at first. They're strapping him to the chair because he could self-harm himself after reading this. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes, it's the monks strapping me in. And I go, all right, this seems like a cool idea. And I just think it was a little too contrived. That's my only problem. I like the base idea of it. I just think it's contrived the way it was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what does it really gain him? Like, oh, okay, I can see, but he still doesn't get to read the book because he loses his sight by the time he can actually open the laptop with the translation. Mm-hmm. And then luckily, there's a there's an audio function on the computer so he can listen to it. So I go, so all that just felt like a false padding of, of tension of whether or not he's going to read this book and when will he read the book and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I just thought yeah. we were really stretching that out. And to maybe try to appease people like me who are like is he gonna use his regeneration energy maybe to heal himself because i mean if you look at it like because he borrowed he borrowed regeneration energy from a future from a future self that's what he did he he said the words (sighs) when he was like plugging himself in sure he's like i don't know maybe it'll mean a future version of me will be blind maybe it means i won't regenerate at all like Okay, that's not satisfying enough though. It was in a simulation. Yeah, it's in a simulation, and it's still it's a little too vague. I understand in the also, way it was. Say too... it. Say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, it it was it, it's annoying on multiple levels. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, it's uh, it's keeping it too vague. I guess had it been a legit thing, it would have allowed a future writer to possibly go back to it and use it, but <clears throat> it's too vague. Yeah. I, I don't I don't care for that. So luckily it was a simulation. We don't have to don't have to care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think they did a really good job with Bill and including Bill and Nardle and having them not know what's happening. You know they were simulations and they reacted like, oh my god, I'm a simulation. Uh, yeah. Now once we find out that we have these portals going to different you mm-hmm. know, important areas of the world and they're discovering things and they eventually discover that they're simulations and Nardle disappears. Yeah, all that was played I think pretty well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the and the, the the weird desperation of the was it the CERN uh, scientific place where they're, yeah. they're they're counting the numbers and they're all drinking and they're all going to blow themselves up. And you're like, yeah. geez, what 
what's going on? Why is the whole world killing each other? And it's and and the way that the doctor laid out that it's it's imagined in any video game you play, your other characters in like Mario or in a shoot 'em up believe they're real. So yes, to you they're just a game thing, but to them you're actually killing them or whatever. I thought interesting idea to mm. me that's almost a different idea to this mm. it's related but to me that's almost a different thing yeah it's like there's two games happening at once yeah um because it's not like a game game it's more like a what would you call it like a sim game or something like that mm-hmm. um it's kind of like that twilight zone episode where the guy is uh, on a prison planet alone and they bring him a woman robot right yeah and, yeah, they, yeah. and they say by the way you know she feels and she thinks but she's a robot right and he lives with her for years, and they're like, "All right, you're done. You can come back." And he's like, "Well, you're, we're taking her. No, she won't fit. Oh yeah, but we got to take her. No, nah, we're taking you." And they leave her on her own to live forever on a fucking desert planet. God damn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, classic Twilight. But in, in this case, they just kill him. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and it's it's interesting because as soon as they reveal that, I'm like. Where is this show going? As soon as we find out Nardle's a simulation, mm-hmm. and then of course we go, well, if Nardle is, then they all probably are. And the minute you do that, you're like, he's not trying to say the entire damn show is a simulation, because if he is, I'm going to no. have to fly to England <laughs> and punch him. Um, no. But no, he's not. He, he contained it in the episode. And I was like, okay. But the, the main issue with it is outside of that email, it almost makes it feel like, aside from idea exploration, that the entire episode, like, what was the point? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't really affect our characters outside of this email um, or recording, basically. Mm-hmm. So that that makes it feel a little, you know, low stakes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a problem with it. Even though I love that setup with the Vatican and a cool book and all that, I almost feel like, man, I feel like we wasted a cool Vatican book setup thing here. That how do you, how do you use that again and not think oh, it's just a simulation? <laughs> um, yeah, so pretty. Um, but let's so we can we can dive back over to the 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 B plot, well, uh, the arc B plot <laughs> with Missy. Yeah. Uh, so we've established that the Missy's going to be in the vault. And uh, for, she's on some weird executioner planet that they don't really set up very well. Um, they they look like pseudo time lords to me. I but, like um, the premise of it though. There's like a special planet you go to for special executions or something. I, but at well, least it's, it's like their whole their whole purpose is to know how every spe- how to kill every species. Oh, is that it? Okay, yeah. I didn't even get that. Yeah. All right. So they're gonna execute the master for some sort of crime we don't really know about. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we know there are a lot of crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but apparently, like a time lord can only be killed by another time lord like that's like in the text which is why yeah. the doctor is there yeah that is uh, really dumb yeah it's it's a little forced but i mean is it more forced than the tv movie where the daleks decide to put the master on trial and kill him and then have the doctor transport his remains back i mean it's the same kind of thing hmm. i like the premise i like the idea of these people that just they so just, they they've their got their rules. Is to know how to kill people. And their Same rule thing. is, uh, so we have special ways to to kill a time lord. We need another time lord. We picked you because your people are hard to come by. So we have to assume that in this con- to, yeah, in this continuity, they're still missing. I'm sorry. Yeah, the time lords are still missing in the pocket universe. Yes, I would assume so. Yes, because it was a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Right. Even yes. Ugh. Time travel. Anyway. So that's the problem there. Uh, the doctor's having his usual face off with the, the master, and uh, and then he gets stopped by Nardole, who at first when he shows up in this hood, I didn't think it was Nardole. I, th- I swear they used another actor to, to voice him in, mm. in that initially. It doesn't sound like him at all. Maybe they did. 
Um, but it, to the point where I was wondering, like, is it is it the, is it the John Sim Master? Is mm. it some other Time Lord we haven't met? Is it you know? I was really trying to think who else it could be, and then it was oh, it's Nardole because this is where we set up that Nardole. Mm. So it, now here's my question: Is this scene setting up Nardole showing up? Oh, I'm here because of River. Is that supposed to take place before Mysterio or before I think the pilot? So. I think before Mysterio. You think it takes place before Mysterio? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it does. And that the vault was already set up and doing its own thing while Mysterio was happening. Oh man, you're right. Why does this fit? I'm just that's my question. It's possible it could be between Mysterio and uh but it, that seems a bit like why he was already traveling with him, so why would he have to show up again? All right. Unless the doctor ditched him and he showed up anyway. Yeah. But that's we don't know that. Well, saying, ugh, a right? A little bit of a pretzel loop Jeez, there for you. Okay, all right. I can see uh, Kevin doesn't care. <laughs> well, no, I. Th- you're you're right. You're right to wonder that. Um, yeah, because it it does definitely feels like he's showing up and like yeah he's reading from River's journal yeah like you know scolding him yeah saying River wouldn't approve of him killing Missy right 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 so out of out of that and the fact that the doctors had a weird love-hate relationship with the master over the years uh of course he doesn't kill the master but that breaks their rules and they're ready to force him to do it or or possibly kill the doctor then the doctor and this is something (laughs) moffat loves to do throws down credentials at them to make them run away he did it in the the library episode and he did it in the 11th hour Mm -hmm. and i go i don't know i like the doctor being vouched for by something like the older pope benedict when the doctor has to say i'm a badass look me up and the villains go whoa and they run away i'm not as big of a fan of that i'm not as big a fan of the doctor grandstanding um but uh you know but that's that's more of a new series thing than a a classic series thing Um, right yeah yeah so that's why i was like because i love how he's like well you you have quite the impressive uh uh list of oh my gosh you've you've killed so many um um he's not even armed and i'm like all right and then scurry away yeah scurry away uh so then what is it like even if he had killed the master part of the deal was they're going to stick her in this vault and he has to guard the vault for a thousand years to make sure that she doesn't come back to life yeah this is all really stupid um yeah and now doubly so he has to do it because he doesn't kill her but yeah. he still promises to watch the vault. And I, yeah, even mm-hmm. I go, this is part of my problem. The, the promise of the setup in the pilot with this vault was very interesting. I was, mm-hmm. I was intrigued with this. <laughs> yeah. As to what this promise was and could it have related to Susan and what, what importance would this be? But instead I find out, oh, it's just Missy and he promised to do it because of some random race we'd never heard of in their weird um, culture. Mm-hmm. saying you got to do this. It makes me go like, what are the consequences if he doesn't do this beyond just he promised? Yeah. Cause they already didn't kill her. Yeah. He already killed, broke they that killed her without him. So yeah, it makes me go like, why don't what, and not to mention the idea that you have to guard a body for a thousand years. I'm like, come on, if these guys didn't know their job, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be, all right, it's done. Yeah. It's literally all they do. Yeah. They just kill people. They kill, yeah. And you think that's that's some that's some serious stuff to make sure like, oh, in case somehow we got it wrong mm. or in case some species that comes back to life, you know, we'll be there to you know Time Lords are wily. I guess. But does that mean he gets another execution machine in the vault to immediately go, Oh, you're still alive? Well here. Yeah, then, and then what? Yeah. Is there a number to call? I don't know. Or yeah, do you call him back? Yeah. I don't know. It's so I it, it feels very weak, it feels very arbitrary. And so it, it immediately lessens the, the coolness and impact of what the deal was with him staying there for 50 years and would have been a thousand years or whatever. And uh, so 
despite despite some uh, some nice scenes with the master um it's uh it just it just feels like you they just took a good idea and put a wet blanket on it it's just like eh. um it, this is the first time that we hear without hope without witness without reward oh okay it's a really nice um mm-hmm. moment between missy and 12 mm-hmm. where she's saying i am your friend mm-hmm. but by that point he had already messed with the execution equipment, like before Nardle came, because <sighs> he must he, have. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because there, yeah. There's they no went one... back and he pulled, flipped the switch, and guess what? Yeah, he was there... already on the Save Missy train. Yeah, which but is I mean, fine, I'm fine with that. But the but... Doctor's never been full on. Let's let's kill the Master. He can't quite bring himself to do it because clearly there's a history with the two of them. Right. Um, that goes back far before even the Perthshire era. Um, so I, I kind of understand that. And, it's, and it gets even worse when, especially when you get the last of the Time Lords and they think they're the last two around. Mm. And uh, despite everything he had done, he still wanted to save him at the end. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some there's some weirdness there, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's probably, I mean, it, it, and it looks, I like the look of this weird place. Yeah. I like the, 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 and I think this is the introduction of the really sweet linen coat that uh, Capaldi wears this season. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of like elements in these scenes I like, but when you really look at the grand placement of the plot, it's very, eh. but the upside is at least they're not re- keeping this reveal till episode 12. Like we get it mid season. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, so I do like that. Um, also in this episode to kind of backtrack a little bit, when we first see the doctor arriving and like the executioner's kind of like showing him around a little bit, mm. when Missy comes out, he, there's like a little bit of, I feel like it's like a misdirect. Where the executioner says the the um, what is it the something will kneel the damn it for a second they like let you think you don't they don't know who's gonna oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 like is it the doctor yeah. or is it Missy you're right you're obviously right. it's Missy and then the other thing is uh, as soon as she comes out she gives him a bunch of connector dialogue to Husbands of River Song too right to, yeah. mm-hmm. right right um, domestic bliss uh, so yeah um, yeah so you, so you have that going on. Uh, as, but I think that's the other thing too is is keeping in mind that those flashbacks are real, and not simulated. Mm. Oh uh, yeah. Along with that, so that would be the other yeah. thing to keep in mind. But yeah, uh, somebody else brought up on the forum. It, it, I was willing to go with the idea that you know, digital doctor could still email out and warn real doctor, and you have to go with it for the sake of the story. But somebody was pointing out that's like, listen, um, it's a fine <clears> idea, <throat> but that makes like no sense. <laughs> like the idea that a fake thing actually has some sort of connection to the real world in some fashion to be able to write their real selves. Like even if you had that connection, how would you even find that person? You know what I mean? Like, like all these problems of, of the logistics. Well, I of think that the doctor could find the doctor. It, well, that in okay. Here's the other side. If he's a simulation controlled by the monks, the minute he starts realizing things, why wouldn't they just shut him right down? And be like, nope, you're not doing shit. Like, no, well, I you're guess out. That could be answered by the he's just so good at simulation that he's a doctor. But he's starting to spout his plan right in front of him before he does the email. And you, if these monks were half their salt as a villain, they'd yeah. be like, we know where you're going. I don't know why I'm trying to out, plug, plug these done. plot holes for you. Yeah, you're right. You are out out for the camp, buddy. You're right. Uh, the other thing that gets me is, uh, and th- nothing that starts in this episode continues to the next two. We are never given a real motivation of why the monks <clears> want to <throat> take over the earth, like of, of any kind. I don't Isn't even. It they want to be loved. God. Yeah, whatever. I think that's what it is. Yeah, whatever. They want it's... to be. Well, they want to be loved. All right, and also the the thing that gets me is that so this simulation is having everybody die because they all find out their simulations, and I thought. So I don't see anything in their simulation involving what actually does end up happening in the next 
couple episodes. I guess we can assume in a simulation maybe that happened. Mm -hmm. But in this simulation, it's like, so do they all end up with people figuring out their simulations and dying? Is that what's going on? Is that, <laughs> it's like, so it's not like anything in the simulation really pays off beyond the doctor finding out about their plan, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it's it's a little bit of a, a little bummer. A little bit of an oddity there. All you can take away is that I guess they've run the simulation a bunch, and this is the one that went off the rails. <laughs> and... Yeah, <laughs> I feel like if this were like a standalone adventure, somehow, yeah, I feel like I would have liked it better. I agree, because on its own, divorce from the three parter, it's definitely the strongest of the three parts. Yeah, um, mostly because of that sweet Vatican idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's hard to. I mean. <sighs> It's a three-parter. Do we just do we just rate this at the end of the three-parter, or do we try to no. approach this singular? We rate each one. If we're rating, we're rating. Well, I mean, but okay, put it to you this way: if we were doing the Zygon inversion invasion, well, you got to rate it as two parts because that's that's a two-part story. You can't do that. That's true. So that's why I say: do you rate this? I mean, you definitely can't rate the next two separately. I agree with that. But could you rate this one separately? Yes. You want to rate this one separately? Yeah, I'm well, fine with rating separately. So you want to rate them all separately, or you want to just do you know, this? You can do both. Then... Okay. All right. All right, I will take that Pepsi challenge. Am I into the ratings now? I feel like that's <laughs> what I'm really making a case for. Part of the reason for this, too, is I'm doing a marathon of this in three weeks, and i got to figure out. There's a couple of sticky ones that I'm like, do I rate this as three or do I rate this separately? It's too bad that we couldn't wait because it would have been nice to watch every episode again. But I wanted to get mm -hmm. this out before the premiere. Yeah. All right, so separately, what do you give Extremis? Uh, I would say seven. Okay. Because I, I mean, saved the parts I didn't really like. I thought this was good. I was also going to say seven. I'm, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting how much I, I hate the drop ball on the, on the arc is going on in this one now. Mm, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go six. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the drop ball on the arc, I totally get the justification for mm. him and Missy being together for yeah. a lot of years is pretty weak. Yeah. But, I just like that they are together. No, it's, I mean, well, we can get more into so, this as we get further yeah. in. So, so part so, two, seven. as we, as we get into the proper doctor, still blind mm. uh, with uh, pyramid at the end of the world. Uh, yeah, still, where still blind and still blind. somehow still fooling Bill. I know. I mean, Bill, you don't miss a thing. What's I know, going on? I know that it's lame that she doesn't pick up on it sooner. I agree with that. Um, still blind. Nardal still helping him. Uh, so, he, uh, I guess he must have told or played this recording for Bill because Bill is relating all this to real life Penny on the real date as if she almost has firsthand knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, th there was a minute where I'm like, I guess this is what happened, but it is a bit like, wait a minute, the doctor got this email. Bill didn't get the email. So, and I can't see the doctor saying, here, put these on and play this. Now I forget, but is this, was that her telling Penny? Was that their way of saying Previously on yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's um, to make it like cute date story, which I can't yeah. believe that would totally work on certain dates because she'd probably think she's crazy. Um, yeah, I think most dates. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, anyway. Um, I mean, I think, I assume the Doctor filled her in. I'm sure he did too. It's just the way she goes on about it feels very firsthand. It doesn't feel, the Doctor told me this, the Doctor told me that. And oh, by my understanding, it was, you know, the language would be different if somebody related a story to you versus. I'm telling you a story that I remember happening. Yeah, but I feel like, I mean, did he, like, just 
cut out all the parts that reference him being blind if he that too right Bill. yeah, yeah. you're right he couldn't Bill he couldn't have played it. the recording because yeah. she would have known about the blindness so he must have told her Unless, he must have yeah. and it's, it's, a, little, it's a little shaky something. it's a little not impossible it's just a little shaky that's all i'm saying right um so we uh we get that as a quick previously <clears throat> and instead of being interrupted by the pope she's now interrupted by like head of the un who's searching out and now we get the return of the president of the world yep. from uh, death in heaven mm-hmm. they're reenacting it with the doctor and they're calling him in uh, to, and they literally scoop him up. I got a problem with that I'm going to get into later. And they, because there is a pyramid that has shown up right on the border of three countries. And it's a 5,000-year-old pyramid that literally showed up yesterday. So it's, ooh. And uh, we find out these are the monks. They've shown up. And uh, mm-hmm. now the doctor's got to gotta throw down with them. Um, and uh, we find out the monks uh, basically are, tell us the doomsday clock's happening. It's all going to be over a bacterial thing. That's going to be a whole mishap thing that that happens. And well, they don't know exactly what it is. The doctor. The doctor doesn't know. The monks know. Um, right, but the doctor so whittles it down. To... The doctor whittles it down and and goes to try to save uh, the the earth over this bacterial thing. Meanwhile, they're saying we'll save you, but you have to ask us to save you out of love, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, there's some weirdness there too. But anyways, at the end of the day. They get asked by Bill, and not even really to save the Earth. It's because they they are going to save the Earth. It's because really to save the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's problems with that scene too. But that's it in a nutshell. That's for part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will say right off the bat, the idea of a five thousand year old pyramid showing up out of the blue, love it. Like mm. that is a great hook. Yeah. Wish to God the episode was better, and it actually did something with that. Instead, it was just like, oh, it's just their spaceship. That's it. And I'm like, why do they fly around in a 5,000-year-old pyramid? Like, yeah. does that have any significance? And it literally flies. We see it. Yeah, it just flies. Literally take off. And I, and my, here's my other thing, too. There's a ton of time in Doctor Who, especially modern Doctor Who, where something weird happens, and immediately the Doctor's theorizing, and that just becomes the de facto explanation of what's going on. And I sat there going, like, so what is it? Like, he and Bill figure out, oh, it just showed up yesterday, so therefore it must be an alien spaceship. Right. And they go along with that assumption. I'm like, I've seen enough Doctor Who to know that is not the only explanation that <laughs> could explain that pyramid. And you need to rule out those other explanations, but we're not even going to go there. Right. Um, you know, it could be a hologram. It could be a time eddy with a real pyramid that's really there. It could be a parallel universe thing. It could be so many other things. And nope, it's an alien spaceship flies. Yeah. And why does it do that? Is it for the human's sake? Is there? Is it really what their spaceships look like? Does that play into ancient astronaut theory? There's so much unanswered stuff about that. I mean, we do learn in this episode that the monks chose their form. Um, they chose what their form looks like. Okay. All right. And, and okay. It's, it's, to them, they look human. To, uh, well, to uh, the yeah. Right. The monks, like, picked their form. Yeah. They said they look dead. Or they look like zombies or not zombies, but like mummies. Or you something. think they would have picked a better form to look benign, you know, and say, hey, yeah. you know, if you want to pick us, we shouldn't look like corpses. Right. Saying. Oh, yeah. They look like corpses. Yeah. And like, they look like mummies. Like I think they say it's like, you look like corpses to us. And like, I think, oh, that's dark. I think they missed a really cool opportunity, too, to have the, the interior was really bland and dark. I think they could have had a cool opportunity to have it look very almost Stargate-ish, you know what I mean? Mm. Have it look kind of neat and hieroglyphic or something, like like technological Egyptian mm. or something like that. Uh, but I'm guessing that was a budget-saving move. Uh, I mean, considering that the strands of, of history they're holding on to are mm. like these just light-up glow sticks, I mean, that was a bit of a, a, a classic Who throwback to me of just like, <laughs> it's it's cheap, don't think about it, like, let's move <laughs> on. Um, so, yeah, uh, all right, so when they pick up the doctor, and at first he doesn't want anything to do with them, and suddenly he opens the TARDIS and he's on the plane, which I understand was a narrative thing to get you further into the story. My issue was, okay, wait a minute, 
They burst in, they claim, they took a crane and did exactly what the doctor lied about. They burst through the windows mm-hmm. and grabbed the TARDIS to save time. And I thought, they made a big deal about a crane grabbing the TARDIS in the 50th. And mm-hmm. the doctor being very well aware of that. Yes. And you're telling me he's not aware of them doing it again. and it's crashing. Yeah. for the bit, yeah. Yeah. It's clearly just for the, the reveal. And I thought, you're cheating me, guys. This is, mm. and this is BS. Yeah. Um, so, Fair. not not keen on that, for continuity's sake. Um... And then we get uh, we get the whole thing in the the lab with the dwarf and um, the guy who's hungover, and that is why the world's going to end because her glasses got broken and he's hungover. Hmm. Which I mean, I guess how the way life goes, yeah. But it does make me think this lab needs better procedures, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> much better procedures yeah. to avoid this kind of stuff. <laughs> I think they did a really good job of of showing the lab of like setting them up mm-hmm. and like st- you know visiting them throughout. Yeah. Um, I mean, they definitely made uh, the girl likable. I like, you know, that was cool. I was down with that. Yeah. And the and when the doctor swoops in to start saving the day, and she's like, she's really smart. And he says, what are you doing after this? Yeah. I'm like, you going to ask her to be a companion? Yeah. It's like the bit in the God Complex, remember, with the other girl. And he's just like, yeah. oh, yeah. He's like, I'll call me. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but the doctor's still blind. Just still doing the blind gags. Ugh. And still not telling Bill, which just kills me. I'm like, just tell her, dude. <laughs> Yeah. Well, is it is it because he doesn't want her to feel guilty? I think so. It must be it. Yeah. And like I I get that, but also you're putting yourself and Nardo and Bill in danger yeah. by not telling yeah. her. And not and the world. And not getting it looked at. Right. No pun intended. Um huh. oh, no. <laughs> just saying. Throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a total doctor thing to be like Oh, by the way, when I saved your life, oh, I'm blind now. But it's fine. I'm going to roll with it. But yeah, I can't see. Yeah. In case you're wondering, mm-hmm. if I'm running into shit, it's because I'm blind. Yeah, <laughs> he would totally do that. That's yeah. why it's... it's And it's only to serve the end of this episode. And that's why it's... I have so many issues with it. Yeah. Um, uh, also, we get some Capaldi playing guitar. We do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I feel the military uh, guys, like the the head of the UN and the American guy and everybody. And I guess in the original script, it was supposed to be like stand-ins for real world leaders what? like Trump. All caps. Guitar cap, red shirt. Yup. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? She's, she's digging on the red shirt and the guitar, man. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I felt that the, uh, the world leader guys came off a little uh, cardboard and douchey. Um, I, they didn't, yeah. they didn't seem real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. So when when they're arguing about what to do, or oh, we quickly agreed on not doing World War Three, I'm like, I don't buy this because I'm not seeing true world leaders. I'm seeing military leaders, right? You know, but it seemed too <clears throat> convenient. Then when they actually show up to the to the uh, monks, and almost almost too easily, they want to give up. Yes, please help us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, they would do every. I mean, come on, you know, some the doctor warns you. They look creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. You're not going to dive right into this, man. You're going to try everything you can to not do that before you have to do it. And then when they do try and take the help, they're like, you're doing this out of strategy, not out of love, blah. And I thought, oh, man. Oh, God. It's such a bunch yeah. of fucking bullshit. Yeah. yeah. You're doing this out of fear. Yeah. One of them goes. Yeah. And then strategy, the other one's go. And I thought, well, you basically are kind of still threatening the world here, man. So, yeah. Who's going to do it out of love? Well, let me tell stage? you. Have I got a gal for you. <laughs> there is someone who did it out of love. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's such a... I don't like it. Uh, I think if they were to really uh, posit this correctly, um, I would. I could see that, like, if you showed them 
as like very it's like V. If you show them as normal or angelic looking creatures and they seemed very benign and they wanted to help us and it became more of a yeah, we'll help give you cures and we'll solve poverty and mm-hmm. war. Yeah. You just have to say yes. Then Mm-hmm. That's how they got you. If you try to sell it. Yeah. They weren't trying to sell it. But instead, they're playing it like, we're weird monk demon creatures. Come on. It's like, come on. Who's going to trust these guys? I think if these monks, with their very definite definitions of things like love and yeah. whatnot, mm-hmm. if you had them sit down and watch Donna's last episode, they would say, she didn't die. And one of them would say, uh, no, 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 Mr. Monk, uh, she forgot everything she did with the doctor, so it's like dying. No. No, she didn't die. Why are they saying one would die? The monks would be with me on that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I also think it's, uh... Their, their big show of power when the military tries to bomb them and submarine them and all that. And suddenly, you know, they're, you're seeing the floaty plane going down in the submarine, you know, the, the cheesy CGI they did there. Well, my problem with this was, all right, fine, they're very powerful and they got a, a ray from their pyramid that can, you know, suck vehicles and put them in the sand. Fine. But they literally have a scene before that where you see a monk show up in the cockpit of the airplane and get all freaky, like, Wah! and I'm like, they have a ray. That can stop the plane in midair and just set it down. Why go through the theatrics of showing up in the cockpit and being blah? Look, Bob, they had a cockpit set. <laughs> Hadn't been used in a while. Okay? It's another thing I think where Moffat was like, it'll look cool. we got to have them show up in the cockpit. It'll be really freaky. Okay, Moffat. Probably. Oh, man. This one was uh, co-written by, what, Moffat and... Um, Peter Harness. And he wrote In the Force of the Night, correct? I think so. Yeah. Nah, yeah. All right. So, the doctor swooshes off to the lab to save the day, but he can't see the dial to get out of the room that's going to explode. <clears throat> right. They rig the lab to explode. I love how he loves blowing crap up this season. And uh, <laughs> that's where he goes to. That's his go-to this year. I'm going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's going to work. They're going to sterilize the, the lab with fire because they use a whole trickery thing with the, the cameras to figure out uh, where the uh, the doomsday clock is going to go. And I thought that part was clever enough. But, um, yes, then we get the... Doctor can't get out of the lab because he's blind because he can't see the, the code keypad, which is shaped like a bike lock, by the way. It's not mm-hmm. even shaped like a regular keypad that you could, you know, most keypads have a general set of numbers you could figure out because most keypads have the same arrangement of numbers. But no, this has to be a flipping bike lock. And she's telling him the code. He can't see it. The glasses are useless. What good are these sonic shades if they can't see it? Or use them as a sonic. Sonics are supposed to be able to open them the door mm-hmm. it's like so many problems um he can't patch the, the feed in okay nardle's passed out but he could have patched the feed into bill through her phone she could have talked him through it there's so many ways you could get out of this and instead it's just no i'm blind and i'm stuck and i'm gonna die and then bill's and, imme- and then we've got 90 seconds to figure it and out and bill's immediately like all right i'm gonna save you you just better save my planet back and i'm like too weak too weak i understand the sentiment but too weak um and then you just you just want to you kind of want to bitch slap both of them. You're like, and it's not even really the character's fault. It's really the writer's fault. It's like, come on guys, we can do better than this. So that's how the monks take over. And how is it? She has the authority. Oh, because she represents the doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. President of the world. Mm-hmm. And she's doing it from love because she super loves him. Uh, and yeah, but uh, 
it's it's weak. It's and so also, weak. like, yeah, I mean, she's not wrong to have all the confidence in the world, the Doctor, to be able to figure it out, even if she messes it up first. Uh, it is weird to see the Doctor be, uh, well, I lost. I yeah, lost. like, he's, he's like, irritated, but he's not Doctor, really... surely there's a... No... <laughs> I lost. He's like, yeah, he's ready to go. Like, uh, there's a lot of times he's just ready to sacrifice himself too this season too. Uh, but yeah, sacrificing here. himself is one thing. Just giving up yeah. is another. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's almost like he has a death wish this year or something. Yeah, or maybe it's because I just don't want to watch that damn vault anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it, it ends kind of, kind of limp. Yeah, I don't know. Individually, what do you what do you say? I mean, I'd say like a five. What were the good parts again? Um, um, guitar, <laughs> red shirt. Uh, coolness of the pyramid hook before we find out how lame it is. I think the pyramid was a was There's a good really nothing, huh? Was a good hook. Uh, I I liked how they figured out which lab it was, the shutting down the, the cameras, and then which camera they turned back on. I liked that. Four. Hmm? Damn. Uh, I will go three. Yeah, I didn't. Like you just damned my four. Four. Damn. Uh, three. It wasn't so much the four. It was the jumping right in, like not weighing anything else. You're just like, no, it's, it's terrible. All right. <laughs> so part three. God, I felt, man, I, it, this three-parter felt like it took six weeks to get through. Jesus. Um, I got some stuff to say. The Lie of the Land, uh, written by, by Toby, um, Whitehouse. Toby Whitehouse, who had given us like God Complex and a few other interesting ones, right? Did he do... Say a mysterious planet in the Colin Baker era. No, not mysterious planet. Uh, the impossible planet. No, that was uh, no. Matt Jones. I want to say, yeah. Okay. Toby Whitehouse did God Complex and a Town Called Mercy. Thank you, Town Called Mercy, and he did a handful in there. They're they're. Uh, I know if Prescott were here, he'd be singing his this guy's praises. Mm. Um, God Complex is one of my favorite episodes. God Complex is, is interesting. Um, I'm not... A School huge... Reunion, Vampires of Venice. There also, you go. Thank Under you. the Lake, Before the Flood. Under the Lake. Thank right, you. Right. And didn't he... Wasn't he a showrunner on... Was it Being Human? Or yes. Is... yes. 17 yes. episodes. There you go. Being Human. So there you go. There's his pedigree. Um, but I, I don't blame him for this. I know this is an end of a three-parter. I'm sure he had a laundry list to check off that Moffat had given him to do. Mm. So... Um, so we we now continue this trend I find where Moffat does uh, multi-parters um, any two-parters three-parters but especially a two-parter where rather than uh, like a classic or even how he did Empty Child where you have a cliffhanger and then you pick up where the cliffhanger was resolve it and move on he started doing this thing especially with like Impossible Astronaut and pick any two-parter really after this where we have our cliffhanger and then we're going to kind of arbitrarily pick up some weird point way later and give you some sort of slam bang opening like Amy and Rory running in the desert or you know in this case we have the monks have taken over and the doctor is in cahoots and he's giving this weird Orwellian speech oh my God, over that, the that creepy PSA yeah. what an opening to the yeah. to that episode how many times have they done have they changed history like in that montage the doctor says the monks have always guided humanity from the beginning mm-hmm. um what's the oh the moon has always been an egg um what else there's other shit like that that's just like wait what well okay you mean because the moon is sad to say officially canon in doctor who now even though i do everything i can to ignore it whereas this is like implanted fake history oh okay 
So, okay. so which version are you saying? Yeah, it's the lie that's being broadcast. Yeah. That's are you, right. So, that's are you right. saying how many times has memory been affected in Doctor Who? No, like no, no. Uh, it was they... a false. It was a question based on a false premise. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so uh, I mean, to be honest, at this point, the monks are now feeling a lot like the silence and how they affect your memory. Not quite to this degree, but you know what I'm saying. Mm. Similar esque kind of kind of memory function. Um, it is interesting to deal with a villain that could make you think they've already won, even if they've only won two days ago, and make you think, oh, no, we've been here since, like, the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. And if they had that power, that is that is pretty powerful. Um, and it also gives you shades of, like, Last of the Time Lords, where the Master had been in power for, what, like a year? Mm. Um, and that kind of stuff. So I, it's interesting to play this kind of card. It's just, it feels like it's been played before. That's the only problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, because of the weakness of the setup, it's hard to be invested in the payoff. Um, but that said, the PSA is very creepy with the doctor. Yeah. Capaldi plays the hell out of it. That smile. He oh does my God. End. Yep. I have, oh yeah. Okay. I have a note is, about this that shit's too. coming back to me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about fascism and everybody like wears the same like work uniforms and right. no one can question the mm-hmm. true history of earth. Yep. Um, it's been six months. It's been six months since, uh, since they yes. took over. Right. But everyone believes time. it's been yeah. forever. And, and the main person who... I mean, some people can tell because it doesn't affect everyone the same way, but most people are under the spell. Bill is still around, and she can generally tell the difference because she's the focal point, but even she's having some some moments of weirdness. So she is imagining her mother that she's talking to mm-hmm. to help kind of keep a grip on sanity, weirdly. Yeah, a version of her mom that she made up. A version of her mom that she made up because she never really knew her mom. She died when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. Um and then we have uh, the doctor seemingly in cahoots with the with the monks and giving these PSAs, which uh, that was a little weird. I guess the idea there was um, the the monks pressured him into it, or he felt he had to do it in order to to uh, sell get, it, uh, sell it, mm-hmm. and ingratiate himself to be able the to then change things from the inside, yeah, and, like recruit people and convert yeah, yeah. them back. Which is all right. I mean. Again, I feel like this was service more from, wouldn't it be cool if the doctor was on their side and opens with a PSA and then they backthink? I feel like the, mm. this is another backthink, but all right. So then Nardal shows up, and it turns out he's not dead because he had passed out from the, the virus. But, you know, since he's not entirely human, he recovered. Mm-hmm. I love how they do these fake-out cliffhangers where, like, it's the same problem I had with the Impossible Astronaut cliffhanger. We have River and Rory about to be attacked by the silence, and then suddenly it's like, oh, and we got away. I'm like, yeah. oh, what? wait, what? How did you get away? <laughs> oh, we just got away. And I'm like, well, that's lame. Mm-hmm. Unlike the way they resolve it in Empty Child, where he says, go to your room. That shows how you got out of it, and it made sense, and it was clever. Yeah. That's what I want. And silly. And it wor- yeah, it works on all the levels. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. That is how you solve the cliffhanger. You don't just go, oh, we're going to, here's a flashback 10 minutes in, and we got away. Uh, so that's the kind of problem I have there. Anyway, so Nardle shows up. They play some comedy, and they decide they're going to go rescue the doctor. Uh, and this is where we get the famous scene where they get, they sneak on the boat and she confronts him because they're not sure if he's faking it or if he's really in cahoots. So we have a scene where Capaldi does sell the hell out of being a bad guy and, uh, Bill has no choice but to shoot him and we get a fake out regeneration, which they played the hell out of in the trailers. Oh, really? He calls on some regeneration energy for show. Oh my God. For show. For someone who doesn't under, has no idea what it is. Who? Has not been explained to Bill yet. Yeah. She heard the word regenerate once, and I note which episode I can check, but I yep. won't. Yep. Um, yep. She, so right. she's, she, he's overselling it. Yeah. For the so, audience, not and, for her. And she doesn't even exactly know what regeneration is. Yeah. It's like, did you think you were killing your friend? Right. 
bitch. Right. <laughs> right. So, like, had this been Rose season two, it would make sense. We, yeah, because yes. she knew. Because she would have seen it. She would have known yeah. this. But, yeah. I or agree. if it was Clara who, like, read the the history of the time war and, like, yeah. knew that he had different yeah. faces and yeah, yeah. whatever. Or River. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would make sense in a lot of other ways, but it has not been explained to her. Yes. She thought she was killing. Yes. Yes. Who had flop sides? And so. And all it was was. Who had what? Who had flop sides? I think she should have been smarter to know that he hadn't really flop sides. Yeah, but in that scene that where Capali was selling it like crazy, I mean, he she tried to give him some tests. You know, she she said, "Oh, remember that that adventure we had? It was like with that big monster in Paris." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "She's trying to give me a code." Like, he calls it out yeah. and, like, tells everybody with yeah. the guns that she was trying to, like, trick him into, like, being on her side. So, he was very convincing. He was. And, like, she tried to give him chances and he yeah. was just like, nope, 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 this is real. This is real. <clears throat> it, you were wrong. It is really messed up, not only about the regeneration on so many levels, but the fact he goes to this length to test her. Um, yeah. That's really kind of twisted. Because um, she's already proving herself. Mm-hmm. You know, so what? To what length? Oh, you're. I know you really mean this because you're willing to shoot me, as opposed to all this other stuff you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, well, is it just to punish her for making the call when he told maybe. her not to? I maybe. think it's because they wanted to tease the regeneration yeah. in the trailer. That's it. That's really it. That's trailer it. moment. I did remember. I do remember in the trailer for this, we we saw a glimpse of it, and I, even I thought, are they going to fake us out and actually drop the regeneration in mid season? And you oh know what boy. I mean, like just to just to shake it up. Moffat said he always wanted to do that, and and instead it was a fake out. And I go, man, this reminds me of the fake out at the end of uh, 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 not Journey's End, the one before it, Stolen Earth. This reminds me of the Stolen Earth fake out. They've mm. done other regeneration fake outs, um, and even the Impossible Astronaut thing. And I go, like, you can't keep doing this because i mean the one time they did it in stolen earth i'll let you have it because that was the first time they ever tried that even though the resolution was ridiculously dumb but um that was a hell of a cliffhanger you're like whoa it looks like he's regenerating looks like i'm gonna take a moment to talk about professional wrestling oh what's up uh in the late 80s um dusty Rhodes was one of the main bookers uh, of the two of the of the promotion world championship wrestling national wrestling alliance and they would tour the cities and they wanted to give the audience a big and exciting moment so they would have for example we'll say sting would face rick flair for the world heavyweight championship and sting uh and this isn't on tv this is just for people that uh, who are going to your local arena and uh sting there would be a bunch of stuff going on. The ref would get knocked out. Sting would uh, overcome Ric Flair and pin Ric Flair to win the World Heavyweight Championship. And the crowd would go nuts. Holy cow! We just saw this. It's not even on TV. We just saw Sting win the title. Uh, Sting gets the championship. He holds it up. The crowd's going nuts. Everybody's Mm. really, really happy. Then another referee comes down and says, Ah, the ref was knocked out. Uh, this was a disqualification. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, Ric Flair is still a champ. And they would do that from city to city to city. And they called it the Dusty Finish because it was it's Dusty Rhodes' idea. And after a while, the crowd would be like, I don't even want to go. I don't want to go. It's going to be, what if he, he's not going to win the title? And if even if he does, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be real. Mm. And it's like the regeneration. We're going to throw, look at this. Doctor's going to regenerate. No, he's fucking not. Mm. He's not. Mm. Yeah. 
too many fake outs. And by now we've been faked out too much. Yep. Um, but also, you know, use some of that fucking regeneration energy to heal your goddamn eyes. I'm just saying. <laughs> it yeah, drives yeah. me like, nuts. Like you call on it for show. Yeah, he, he just. I'm just gonna do the light part, and I thought, you know, even if he doesn't do anything to your body, that's still a useful thing to have if you need to like temporarily blind your enemies, you know, for a second. Like here, we seriously, uh, and then run away. You know? It's nuts. So yeah. call on it for show. Yeah, it's it's BS. It's so BS. Tell John I did the dusty finish comparison. He'll think I'm cool. Okay, great. Um, Is that Cody Roasted? Yes. Nice. I know. So the team is back together. They ride the boat in, and they do almost a heisty plan to break into the pyramid with some soldiers. Oh, the soldiers that the doctor had converted um, Mm -hmm. on the boat. And uh, they play back an audio recording Bill's made. Right? Yes. But we're kind of skipping over the... Oh, what am I skipping? Going to Misty and asking for help. Asking if oh, she's, a, okay, if she's yeah, ever yeah, encountered yeah. the monks. Right, so that's right. Go this, into you're the right. Wall. Very big thing. You, yeah, you, yeah. you do this. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, the the doctor is like, what do we do? Uh, let's ask Missy, see if she's dealt with the monks before. So 12 and Nardle and Bill go into the... Wait, does Nardle go in there? No, he doesn't. Not Nardle. Um, but anyway, they go in and they ask Missy what her experiences have been like with the monks. And she has defeated them before. Uh, and you have to break the psychic link that gets passed down from generation to generation. So they have to basically kill or sever the tie with whoever asked them for help. So she's like, you gotta kill Bill. Right. And but it's like, there's a movie like that. Huh? <laughs> there's a movie like that? Fucking kill Bill, people. Yeah. Kill Bill. Okay. Great. Uh, but in that scene, it's so great because it, you have Missy... In like up by the in the enclosure by the piano, mm-hmm. and you have twelve circling her, mm-hmm. and like they're just so smart, and they're both so on the same page, mm-hmm. and I love that scene. And then and they're having fun. And then and then Bill having to admit it, and Missy almost taking relish in the fact that oh awkward, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then even trying to say, well, there is another way out, but basically you have to be like brain dead or something, and it was it was just as bad as dying, right. But even um, that would take too long. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so, uh, and we know the master would have no compunction killing her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the doctor, of course, doesn't want to take that out. So they decide, well, if we go into where they're broadcasting and we take over the, the helmet of destiny or whatever's on this monk, mm-hmm. um, the doctor plans to put it on his own head and beam out the correct thoughts of the, the human race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a big old semi-action scene with this audio recording Bill makes to tell every, to remind everyone that the monks are evil so that as you get closer, the broadcast won't take you over and you'll think the monks are our friends. Uh, so we have a nice scene where they're shooting and you're just hearing this audio and this guy's Walkman, it looks like a Walkman, um, gets blown apart in the in the in the fight. He gets turned instantly. He wants to fight them, and they have to take him out. That's kind of cool for a, for just a pure audio filmmaking perspective. Um, and then the doctor puts on the helmet, and it's too much for him. And then Bill realizes she has to put it on, mm-hmm. and the way she defeats them is the power of love, power of uh, the memory of her mom. The fake made up memory of her mom because the which, monks which cannot the... rewrite it because it's not real because it's in her head well th- the monks can't there was, edit there was, it there was there was another part reason here too right why the monks had trouble writing her memories or something else they established because it's not real so they can't well edit no no, it. no yes there no you're right that's a fact there was another reason though why she was 
protected, I thought, oh, it's killing me. It's something to do with what? Oh, God. Because she's the link? Not just the link. It was, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping ahead. Never mind. You're right. You're totally right. Okay. I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. I'm thinking of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, so she succeeds. It's cheesy as hell. It feels like a Care Bears movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they win and then all the, the statues are taken down and then no, and then everyone magically kind of like doesn't remember. They're just like, Oh, we thought they were just filming or something. Right. And then we get a, a, a little wrap up with what Missy, um, right. Mm. This is, this is the beginning of Missy starting to like regret to feel remorse. Remorse. Yeah. For all the people she's killed. Yeah. I got, I got a beef with this part of the plot, but I'll dive deeper when we get further in. Mm. Um, and that's basically it. So, um, I don't know. I just, it just hurts that, the first, I'm going to call it the first half. This, the middle part of this was already so problematic. It's difficult to be fully on board with, with where it goes. Yeah. Um, even though you're right. I like the acting performances with Capaldi and Gomez. And I mean, Pro um, Mackie was also. Yeah. And, 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 and she's, she's, she's fine. I like creepy doctor who looks like he's in cahoots mm-hmm. and the creepy PSA, yep. but the, the testing scene is ridiculous on multiple levels where yep. he fakes his regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the and To me, the whole let's solve the problem with fake memory of her mom, power of love kind of thing, to me also feels very cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, the monks aren't even like, you know, it's I was thinking about this like, okay, um, I'm going to go back to Star Trek for you, Kevin. Remember Best of Both Worlds TNG? What a big deal that was when that aired to sure. Borg. And, yeah. you know, Picard is the cutest. And it was, oh, my God. And you were like, how are they going to get out of this? Well, you don't have that here. And part of the problem is the monks do not feel like a cool, formidable villain. Like, at the end, you're like, oh, they, yeah, they took him out. <clears throat> they seem such like an afterthought villain. They're mm-hmm. not the Borg. Because you're like, very scary. Yeah, the Borg were genuinely scary. And how are you going to overcome these guys? And you were really invested. How are they going to get out of this? And, um, and when they do, it just feels like they just walk through the motions you know mm-hmm. and that's a huge problem with the episode that there isn't that investment with these guys and i think that's a huge problem is that they just they just don't have the monks themselves were not strong enough as villains um i think if they had rethought those guys it would have helped immensely with the whole three-parter um and they could have even been cool bad guys to bring back but as is i never want to see them again mm-hmm. yep yeah blah Blah. I was so thankful this was over when it was done. Three and a half. Okay. <sighs> That's what I give it. Anything else from you before you rate it? Um. Uh. The doctor calls uh, the pyramid room with like the one who's broadcasting fake news central. Oh yeah, there's which yes. Is a Trump. There is yes. There where, where's isn't there another Trump? I know there's a bit. Yeah, in, she calls, uh, She says that the president's orange. I remember that, but there's yeah. another. There's another. And Trump also, line. And yeah, Capaldi says like Trump, like Donald Trump, some things are inevitable or something. Yeah, but that yeah. is not later. Yeah, it's, it's not in this episode. Yeah. but it's yeah. In they, they throw a few Trump hot shots in there. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a magpie electrical Easter egg from Idiot's Lantern. Hey, the episode. Yes. Yes. Because Magpie Electrical is where the TVs are. Yes. Yay. Uh, so when you write it. <laughs> um. Uh, four. Wow. Four. For her, Look, that's hard. I am very upset about that regeneration. That regeneration was, yes. was was yes. I'm uh. 
Uh, this was just a steady downward escalator for me. I'm going two. No, no, do normal talking. Oh. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing two. Okay. Absolute two. So that Boy. means my rating for the entire three-parter is 3.75. Did you do math on that? I did. Lauren goes 5.3. You don't have to do full math if you don't want to, Kevin. Where do you think you stand on the whole three-parter? Oh, man. Um... On a scale of 110, I'd say, can we please not have the monks anymore? Fair. Who is, is that, a one? <laughs> uh, so I was so grateful to see um, the back of this three-parter and get back to some single-parters. Mm-hmm. And we jump into Single-parters. So we get, we get back, I know, you know, uh, and we get into uh, an Ice Warriors story. And I like the Ice Warriors. I love me my Ice Warriors. But I got to say, Mark Gaddis is, and I like the guy as an actor and I like his Sherlock work, but I think his Who work is generally mediocre. Not to mention, is he, is, is, is he like, I brought the Ice Warriors back, so I'm the only one who can write an Ice Warriors story. I think he's just the main guy who rallied to get them back. I'm sure somebody else would have done it if Moffat assigned it to them. But obviously Mark loves him, and he rallied to do it. He got Cold War up, and now he got this one going. So, yeah. And Empress of Mars is the episode we're discussing. Yes. Thank you, Lauren. Welcome. Empress of Mars. You're welcome. Yes, episode eight. Um, or nine. Episode nine. Uh, so, um, anyways, yeah. Return of the Ice Warriors and... What on paper feels like kind of a cool idea, but I feel like this one suffered from... Um, I got the impression they weren't able to throw the real budget at it. They wanted to. And it feels a little constrained. It feels a little small scale. Um, I'm amazed how we have a we have Ice Warriors on Mars. We we have some, some cool moments here. And um, it it is boring. I found this episode very boring. Uh, and that kind of hurts me. Because I actually... I dug most of Cold War. Um... And I really like the Ice Warriors from their previous appearances in Classic Who. So it kind of hurts when I'm like, man, Ice Warriors on a board. I remember being um, watching it. Was I with you when we were watching this one, Kevin? Maybe maybe not. I just remember having the same problem that I think I fell asleep like watching this one. And I had to watch it twice to get all the way through it. The first time. I'm going to take that, that silence as a no. Um, I don't remember. So, <laughs> even better. <laughs> um, so anyway, long and short... Doctor and Bill show up at Na- Doctor Bill and Nardole show up at NASA. Mm. They are looking at uh, some some Mars footage, and they see that there's a bunch of rocks on the polar ice cap that says uh, "God Save the Queen." <gasps> Delightful opening scene. Uh, and they have to figure out what's up with that, so they go to Mars, and they find they find I forgot exactly how they trace it to this, but they find out that uh, it's 1881 on Mars. Mm-hmm. Somehow there's a garrison of British 1800 soldiers there <laughs> with an ice warrior. And they've got a pocket, of course, of oxygen, and there's some ice and Martian caves, and they're being used by this ice warrior who they think they are using technology and they can, you know, get resources. And actually, the ice warrior is using them to uh, open up an ice warrior hive with an ice empress, which is the introduction of an ice empress, which I guess is like a board queen. Um, there's a big old fight with these soldiers, who of course don't stand up flipping chance against the ice warriors. Mm-hmm. The doctor tries to uh, jump in and uh, kind of—I hate to say—negotiate, leverage a piece. And uh, Friday, the main ice warrior kind of switches sides and kind of joining up with the doctor toward the end, right? Yeah. And uh, and then we of course find out there's a there's a douchebag in the there's always a douchebag in the military mm-hmm. who's uh, trying to he's just out for himself. The dumb mustache. The dumb mustache. Yeah, he's got a mustache and everything. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's kind of like Ellis from Die Hard, I think. Um, and he's uh, 
he's taken out by another guy that he absorbed command from, and there's like a little mini arc there. Um, I do, I do like that mini arc though. Yeah. With like the, I'm, the, I'm, just, I'm just hitting the basic points. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. like with the colonel who was like a deserter and yeah. tried to hang him. Mm-hmm. But he That's right. That, yeah, he was hiding that on the snack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it is a bit of a turnabout where they kind of end the conflict, and then the ice warriors are all like, oh, well, I guess we'll go, jo- go join this galactic federation. Uh, which leads into the Peladin stories. Uh, there's a weirdness with the timeline there. I'm not sure that works, but uh, I won't. I'm a diehard fan, and even I don't want to think about it that much. Uh, and that's basically kind of where it ends, and they make sure to set up that rock message uh, for the future, and, and it's basically kind of it. Oh, and there's a, and there's a tag scene where um, Nardole is sent back to the school. Uh, the TARDIS, for some ridiculous reason that's never explained, like, leaves. Oh, um, yeah. I don't think he explained why it leaves. Yeah, and then in order to get back to them and save them, and, yeah. or just get them off Mars, uh, he has to recruit Missy, and Missy pilots the TARDIS to, to get them off Mars, yeah. and we see the beginnings of more remorse with Missy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that whole bit was just to show that Missy could have left and done whatever she wanted, but she... She actually did show up and, and got them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Nardo's supposed to be this crazy, super tech genius, apparently. Yeah, I. But I'm gonna get into that it. more in the finale. But um, anyway, so um, I don't know. It's like there are elements of this I like. The weirdness of 1800 British soldiers on Mars. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very Doctor Who, especially new Doctor Who thing. Uh, it's funky as all hell though, because I remember looking at the trailer, going, "What is going on? What are these weird soldiers doing on Mars?" And I think part of my problem is, had this been like a four-parter in the old days, we would have had a setup episode where they find an ice warrior it's classic colonial britain and they would have figured out the tech and then gone to mars like a proper setup to this that mm. would have helped ease us in i think it's interesting interesting you say that and it's interesting that you mentioned that uh with the soldiers on mars is very new who thing to do because this is the, one of the first ones that felt more like a classic episode to me in terms of many of the beats yeah initially where um they leave the <laughs> they leave the empress of mars frozen or whatever and, of course, uh, there's the one bad guy who's like, I'm going to go investigate this clearly terrible thing, and I'm going to get what I... He takes the jewels, right? Yes, he wants to get the jewels. Yeah. yeah, that's straight out of Classic Who, that's I a, think. It's Tomb of the Cybermen, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Holy cow. Yeah. And um, so a lot of this episode reminded me of Classic Who, and I remember being disappointed in how boring I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got, as I say, on paper, it's got some ideas that sound interesting, but in execution, and I can't tell if it's because they have to skip so much stuff to get it in 45 minutes so we don't have proper investment and setup, or how much of it is just maybe they needed to tweak some of this idea and maybe save something for later or focus over here on more of the Ice Warriors resurrecting, and it didn't matter if they were colonial soldiers. They could have been future soldiers that got taken out. It almost doesn't matter. Um it's it, there's just there, there's just kind of, kind of some odd choices and I do feel the pacing's a bit weird, um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Like I like Capaldi encountering the Ice Warrior, but I love how they do a turnabout where he's immediately trying to warn off the soldier from the Ice Warrior, but instead the soldier is actually more concerned about the well-being of the Ice Warrior because he's built their he has built their trust off screen, <laughs> which is how you're paying that off. But um, again. I still think a setup would have been just to help set up the soldiers and set up how they got there and set up the tech and all that, all that stuff. And partly even try to convince you that the ice warrior is on the level possibly, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't really try it. It's, it's an ice warrior. Of course he's going to turn on him and he does. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, uh, but I, I like the fact that um, we are get, definitely getting some, uh, what is it? I think this is the first time we really get Ice Warriors on Mars in Who. Mm. Uh, televised too, anyway. I think there's some audios that do this, but mm. yeah, so I think that's kind of neat. Um, of course, for us classic Who fans, the Easter egg that we were giddy over was at the end, we get the appearance of Alpha Centauri Alpha from the Centauri. That was, uh, that was, that almost saves the whole episode for me. I'm just like, it's Alpha Centauri. It was ridiculous. Uh, and it's, it's one of the most ridiculous, uh, aliens I've ever had on classic <clears throat> Who, but it's, it just brings nothing but warm feelings for me to see that character. Um, because obviously it's setting up the ice warriors going good and, and being part of those stories. That's kind of neat. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know why. Oh, and we got to talk about the way these soldiers die from Ice Warrior guns. Because <laughs> in Classic Who, even for their old effects, I like the way the Ice Warriors kill people where it goes like, and it's, all it is is like tapping a Mylar mirror so it looks like they're warping and then they fall over normal. And I think that's like really effective for the day. Okay. But then, I know I know you're going to cringe because you don't like that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, I yeah. think it was effective for the day. Yeah. But the update on it is it looks like they kind of warp into like giant red marshmallows and, and just bounce. It's like, like they turn into like human bouncy balls. Yeah. They turn I thought it was human... ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so it it's so hard to silly. take it seriously. It looks so yeah. comical. You're just like... Am I watching a Nickelodeon cartoon? It just yeah bounces I, away. I wish uh, I wish they had reinterpreted the deaths to be a little more to have more impact because it's just hard to take it seriously. It's uh, it looks so goofy, um, and I can take a lot of goofy in Who, but uh, but yeah, that's that's a problem. Um, God, it, you know, outside of those main two guys, I have trouble remembering any of the other soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all just like cannon fodder to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so many, yeah, so many of them died. Kevin, I thought your favorite part, I say that in big quotes, is when the Ice uh, Empress was doing her big rant when she's resurrecting her troops and how uh, how crazy over the top she was. Um, I don't remember that. Oh, my God. He, he complained about this to me when it aired. You know, I believe you. Oh, my God. <laughs> He, he, he reenacted the line for me and was like, come what on. was the line? You know, this is the problem. This is how much this episode is boring. Like, what was the line? Rise my ice warriors. Oh, yeah, it was something like that. Like, rise yeah. my ice warriors. It's like, it's like, like sleep each, no more. Each, like, hive pot is like, light up, light up, yeah. light up. It's very dramatic. Like, scroll up and yeah. see the hole. Yeah. It reminds me of, what's the one with, uh, ten, with Donna, the Christmas one with Donna? The red eye bread. Oh, with the, with the, the, with the, the spider, the yeah. spider queen. Oh yeah, yeah the red eye queen. <laughs> the red eye, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No! My children. Yeah, she no! was. She was chewing that scenery. They don't like water. <laughs> That's an effective summary of that episode. Well, to be fair, I mean they were drowning, right? Yeah, yeah, no, spiders. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were uh, her kids, and they were legitimately drowning. Oh, my yes. God. yes. Oh man. Yeah. And the doctor what? was just. Fine, doing it. Would it surprise you to know the audio follow-up where uh, Davison meets the Empress of Ragnos was actually decent? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. FYI. Good to know. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. It, it's... It, I, I feel bad because, like, as I say, there's there's elements in this I like. I like a good Ice Warrior story. I like the idea of finding out there's an Ice Empress. And, I mean, I didn't need it. I would have been fine if it was, was an Ice Lord. But, um, sure. I'll go with it. It doesn't. It doesn't kill it for me. And to be honest, I'm I'm fine with this more than uh, seeing them out of their suit looking as janky as they did in Cold War. That's my main beef with Cold mm-hmm. War is how weird they look out of the suit, uh, especially their hands. Their hands look like they're not made for those gloves at all. I'm like, how do they get their hands in those gloves? <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, no, it's it's just it's just it just it's weird how it feels slow and generally uncompelling despite a couple of interesting moments is is how I think of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of any other standout bits. Um, the Empress was uh, when she was in the middle of the negotiation, she singled Bill out because she wanted a woman's opinion. Ah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that was a nice little touch. There you go. Good ladies. That. Uh, you you and you said you liked the end of the arc with the two soldiers and how that. Yeah, happened. I like the colonel because he. I mean, he killed the the guy with a dumb mustache because they needed to. Yeah. Um, and then he, you know, he was willing to sacrifice himself for everybody else. And the empress is like, you have honor. Mm, you get to yeah. die in honor, and, mm. but not today. So. I did feel like the conflict kind of got uh, deflated pretty quickly, though, from where they were. Like, they were just ready to go, all right, kill everybody, we're, we're awake. And then it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're nice now. We'll mm-hmm. go to this federation. But I think he, the colonel pled, he kind of, like, pled his case about, like, please don't judge humans by this mm. man. Mm. All right. And she respected him. Yeah. It, again, it's just, I think it has everything to do with the, the timing. I just wish yeah. it was a It was a lot a to fit into one episode, yeah. Uh, so then the reason they do the God Save the Queen is that simply to complete the 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 time loop so they know to go to Mars? Or was there a specific reason they did that? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was simply to make it. sure that that'll be there <laughs> so they'll know to go to Mars. As in just to fulfill the time. Right. As opposed to, we're going to do it because it's fun. Or, hey, I, I've always wanted to do this. Okay. Right. Or marking this territory yeah. for England. Yeah. Um, thought that was kind of strange. Also, just aligning those rocks, I was thinking about it going, wouldn't, like, movement with, like, a glacier move those rocks around a bit? Mm. I mean, maybe they found a way to lock them down. I don't know. I'm overthinking it. Whatever. Um, it looked cool, though. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> so, uh, what do you rate Empress of Mars? I'm going four and a half. I mean, I, I'd go. What did I give the one I really didn't like? Five. What you went? What did you say? Four? And I you said s- four and a half. I thought we did. Oh, all right. You like, went four and a half. I'm just, I'm just. I'm no. I'm the reason I'm doing this is I'm like, <laughs> let me see. Four and a half, and you just went five. Yeah. That's all right where I am. I'll I'll do four and a half as well. It's it's okay. yeah. It's it's not completely terrible, but it's just so blah. So moving on to uh, episode ten, uh, the Eaters of Light. Eaters of Light is is the second one in a row uh, where I was like, especially obviously written by Rona Monroe, who who did uh, Survival, the last. Nice to see a classic writer back. Yeah. But it felt like an old episode, and it hit all of the tropes that I remember, and I was really bored. Um, I think this is a better episode than Empress of Mars. Uh, however, I sort of understand what you mean. It, uh, it, how should I describe this? And I feel like a lot of fans were like this on the forums at the time. Uh, generally speaking, uh, craftsmanship wise, solid stuff. It's not bad. It just isn't, it just doesn't grab you. And so for some reason it does feel very, uh, I hate, I hate to go as far as dull, but it leans that way. Um, uh, maybe not as bad as Empress for me, but definitely it's, it's not, it's, it's like, I want it to be better than it is because I can look at isolated things in it and go, I like this part. I like that dialogue. I like the theme they're doing here. Like there's things I like about it, but on the whole it's, well, it's similar to survival. <laughs> I hate to say it. Survival is another one where I'm like, I like the theme. I like Anthony Ainley's performance. I like these elements, but on the whole, it just feels kind of, eh. 
which is not how you want any who to be, let alone the last classic who. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of problematic in, in that sense. So it's, it's like, I, I hate even deflating it, but it's true. You have a very good point. Um, anyway, let's, let's, uh, lightly on the plot. Uh, Lauren, do you want to do it? Uh, sure. Um, this looks like it's the least amount of notes you have for any episode. Yeah. Might be. It was fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's not terrible. It's yeah. certainly better than the three-parter, in my opinion. Yeah, so um, Bill and Nardole and the Doctor, they land in uh, in Scotland. Because mm-hmm. um, Bill and Doctor have a bet um, about what happened to the Ninth Legion, the mm-hmm. Roman army. Because um, they're supposed to have disappeared. Um, and Bill thinks they did not disappear. So they're here to settle that bet. So they arrive and they get separated. Bill goes off and finds some soldiers who ran away from the Ninth Legion. And... Uh, doctor gets kidnapped by a bunch of Scottish kids. Scottish kids. Uh, right, and we uh, we find out that this uh, this weird light eating creature mm-hmm. uh, is uh, something that goes back uh, generations with the Scottish people, mm-hmm. and uh, they have some sort of interstitial time gate that uh, they have to fend the creature off every generation or two. And uh, one of them has escaped <laughs> deliberately. I feel like I think was let loose to kill the Romans yes. who were invading. Um, and then the Rome, what's left of the Romans and the Scottish people have to, have to team up to take out the creature and, uh, fend it away in this gate. And, uh, at the end it sort of goes into folklore. And meanwhile, we get another scene of Missy being remorseful about her, her actions and stuff. So, um, that's it. That's that, all of it. That is pretty much all of it. Um, yeah. I, I will. So like the frost fair and thin ice, I like the use of another cool historical thing that mm-hmm. isn't like, hey, we're doing an Elvis episode or, hey, we're doing, you know, George Washington. They're not doing a popular historical thing. They're doing an actual historical thing that, again, I actually didn't know about. I didn't learn about this in school. So, like, the missing Roman Ninth Legion sounded really cool. I was like, oh, that is that sounds like a perfect Doctor Who premise. What happened to this Roman Legion? There's a, there's a cool Doctor Who explanation, right? <clears throat> well, yeah, but it's uh, it's a little mildly disappointing what the explanation is, but I like how there was definitely some attention to historical detail. And I like the scene where the doctor has, uh, the remnants of the Romans and the Scottish people talk to each other because mm. of the TARDIS. And they're finally able to understand each other and actually relate. Mm. And I thought that was a cool little and moment. They're all kids and they're all kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're all the 18. oldest one is 18. Yeah. The oldest one's 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was neat. There's some forced humor with Nardole in this, but to be honest, I always find his stuff rather forced. Mm. Um, where he's yeah. blending in and the popcorn yeah. or and, simulating. Yeah. Yeah. And all that. The, the creature itself is extremely, uh, afterthoughtish. Like it's just this random beast with these weird glow, um, glow tentacle, glow things? tentacle things. It reminds me of the chicken monster in Vincent, the doctor that feels like extremely mm. like secondary to the main plot. Like just, Oh yeah. And there's a monster they catch, you know, like it's, it feels like, yeah, there's a monster, but who cares? <clears throat> right. I almost don't even know if we needed a monster in it, to be honest with you, mm. um, for what they were trying to cover. Um, but we find out that there's this cool gate and there's a time dilation thing going on with the gate. Cause the doctor stands in it for like two minutes and he comes out and it's been like two days. Um, and that was kind of interesting. There's, there are neat bits of dialogue. I like the tone of it. I like the fact it feels more adult than some of the other episodes this season. Mm. Um, and I like the fact that, uh, as I say, it, it works into, I guess, the lore of history. I get the impression there's, there must be some sort of folklore of if you're standing this hill, you can kind of hear the music Mm -hmm. of some, you know what I mean? They work that in where they're still playing the music in this weird time thing, Mm -hmm. trying to fend off the creature. So I thought that was neat. Um, 
I was trying to think there was one other bit. Oh, then, then there's the big bill scene where she tells the Roman soldier who's into her. And we've had this a couple of, we had this in knock, knock too, where a guy was into her and she had to fend him off. Like, no, sorry, I'm gay. And she says, Hey, I'm, I'm only into women. And they say, Oh, how quaint, you mm. know, because you forget that ancient Rome was actually yeah. pretty open on sexuality. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's funny. Her being only into women, like yeah. that's exclusive. Yeah. Cause the Roman soldier's like, I like men and women. I'm normal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that cool. was, a, that was interesting. That was a nice yeah. uh, little that was flip. Cute. Yeah. Um, so as I said, little good moments. I like the tone. I like the setup. <laughs> It, but yeah, it just feels, and it's it's not bad. It's decently written. It just kind of just needed a little something more, need a little more spark or something. I'm not sure what. And in the end, the all the youngins band together and they all go into the portal to fend off these beasts. And this is another part where the doctor wanted to sacrifice himself almost yes, too eagerly. Absolutely. He was he was ready to go in there. He was so. beat back. Yeah. Because he was like, I got it. I can live forever. Yep. Like your lifespans are too brief. It will never. It won't work. Um, this is weird to me because I'm not used to the doctor being suicidal like this, uh, mm-hmm. really. And I was trying to figure out the motivation. Like, why is he suddenly like, I'm not seeing anything in this episode that springs forth on motivation. I'm not seeing anything anymore about the vault. I mean, clearly that's kind of being left behind because they're taking Missy with them now. Mm-hmm. So I can't figure out where this motivation is coming from beyond just a general heroic altruism. It's like, yeah, Bill has to take him back. And yes, character-wise, it is it is their fight that they're going to do. And you know you can't sentence the, sentence the doctor to that. But I was also thinking about the fact that when they even do the, the trap for the monster to bring it into the gate, mm-hmm. it feels really sudden. There's almost no build-up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly it's like, oh, here it comes. And we're going to use these weird sundial things and push it in. It's a little too easy. Again, this is another area where a little, a little breathing space and not pacing would have been nice. And they don't even really set up those weird sun slingshot things that they have. They do with two lines. Oh, they do? Yeah. Yeah. When the doctor's like, like when he and Bill are still separated, he's like with all the kiddos. And uh, he says, what is this? And someone said, it poisons the light. And the doctor's like, cool, we need more of them. And like that Yeah, was we like, don't even fully, yeah. It, it was... poisons the light that the monster eats. And like that's all the setup. And suddenly like they all had one. Yeah. That, I, so yeah, it wasn't. I right, it wasn't yeah. set up. In the it's scene, the I was looking at them yeah. all aiming light at it, going, why isn't it getting stronger? Oh, it took me a second. Oh, right, poison's the light. Right. Okay. Yeah, I agree. There's just, there's a few shortcuts there. Again, I blame the pacing, or the 45-minute the format. Sometimes it really, it really mm-hmm. hurts. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's not bad, it's just there. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, is this the one? Yes, this is the one where, so the master had already been crying, and this is the one where she's now pondering her, her mistakes. And there's actually a bit where the doctor even says, maybe this is where we become friends again. Mm. And they're having this night. It's well played by the two of them. Yeah, And she um, gets excited for a moment. And she gets excited, but he stands back. He's not ready to fully trust her yet. And they're, they're having it. That's actually a little mini highlight there, actually. Oh, for sure. That. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, Missy doing TARDIS maintenance. Delightful. <laughs> sure. Uh, is that is that where they're arguing about? Yeah, yeah, they're arguing about her even being in there and Arnold's yeah. being a little mother hen again. And yeah, is yeah. this where he does the? Yeah, this is where he does the. Don't make me do my squeaky voice. And I'm like, I hate this line. <laughs> I I hate this level of humor from this character. Um, but whatever. I know some people like Arnold. I don't mean to totally crap on Arnold. Um, and uh, yes, and we actually this whole idea of the master being what was it trapped in the TARDIS? I didn't fully understand that. 
Um, it's like it's she can't leave the TARDIS. Uh, I, it's just like a prison, you I, know, an infinite. I prison. guess somehow they've set that up. I'll go with it. But um, the idea of the Master being kind of like a kind of a captive companion reminds me of. Uh, have you guys seen the Scream of the Shalka? Uh, web animated thing they did in 03. I think that's another thing I fell asleep during multiple times. Um, anyways, so the deal with that was it was alternate Ninth Doctor before the show came back, played by Richard E. Grant. Paul Cornell wrote it, who of course wrote, you know, Human Nature, not mm-hmm. Human Nature. And um, the deal with that was his companion, well, he picks up a new companion, but the companion in the story, in the TARDIS, is the master. And he can't leave the TARDIS. Mm. And he's, but even he's like a classic Delgado looking master. And you also find out he's like a master in like a robot body. Mm. I don't know what was up with that. Okay. So I thought, I almost wondered if this was a little, a little nod back to Scream of the Shalka. Um, Cause it's an interesting idea, but I don't know how long you can play the master in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but uh, anything else before we move on? Um, Five. <laughs> um. I'd say six just because I like the accents. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you like Scottish accents? I I want to be I want to be nice and give it a seven, but I'll go six and a half. I'll go six and a half. All right. Um, so now we're finally at the two-part finale. Uh, World Enough in Time. By Stephen Moffat. By Stephen Moffat. Uh, this is where I do feel the, the show finally kicked back into proper gear. Um, I was amazed how much I was engaged with this episode versus the last several weeks. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I mean, of course, the trailers look cool. Oh, Mondas Cyberman, and we knew finally John Sim was going to show up and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, by the way, a special shout out at this point. I want to say there's parts of this season that Murray Gold was scoring I really liked more than other uh, seasons. Sometimes he gets a little too bombastic for me. Uh, but this season, I felt like he was a little more subdued, and there's a there's a way he scored this, and I want to say smile, that was very like kind of cool, weird, kind of electronic, um, and just had a lot of like nice atmosphere, especially the way he was scoring both the slightly up um, fast paced moments on the bridge, plus like how he was scoring the horror moments in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So special shout out, really liked the scores for smile in this episode, uh, and um, it's uh, it's got a good pace, it's got a good uh, hook. I have some minor complaints about it, but um, I guess we'll just sort of dive right in. So, Missy's still with them. They arrive on a giant spaceship that we find out is a huge, big-ass colony ship uh, that's got multiple levels, and it's hovering over a black hole, and it's trying to escape the black hole. Uh, very, very slowly it is succeeding, but barely. And it's uh, a test for Missy. And it's a test for Missy. Yeah. So the doctor's inside kind of listening in while Missy is playing, literally playing the doctor. Uh, and you have Bill and Nardle... And she's goofing off. In some parts, I like her dialogue. And there's other parts, I think I feel like Moffat's trying too hard. But I'll get back to that. Um, so we have that going on while they set up the mystery. Uh, another blue guy comes out. I assume the same race from Oxygen, possibly. Um, a slightly different shade of blue. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, but I had to look into it. The Orion slave girls had different shades of green. So I mean, you know. You're right. Just saying. I don't know. All right. I'm just gonna say it. I don't know. There are different shades of white folks. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I'm I'm learning so much. <laughs> All right, so uh, so uh, we're we're in the middle of stuff. We find out there's a time dilation effect going on on the ship, uh, where the bottom of the ship is moving way faster than the top of the ship because of the black hole and the gravity, and uh, we have these creepy hospital-looking guys coming up the elevator because uh, it detected a human, the human being Bill, 
Uh, and uh, we have a, the one crewman on the bridge is freaking out about it, and because he's jittery and the doctor can't talk him down for once, he shoots Bill. It's a big moment. Mm-hmm. Bill's taken down to the basement, and she's operated on, and we know something's up with her, and she's befriended by this uh, goofy guy played, a, um, I mean, come on, spoilers time, right? Played by John Sim, who we uh, will find out later. And he's playing him like uh, like this... For anyone who's ever seen Babylon 5, the character is like a total ripoff of this guy named, I want to say it's uh, Zethrus uh, from a time travel episode of Babylon 5. I swear to God, same look, same mannerisms. I, I almost wonder, like, did you watch those episodes to channel this dude? Because seriously. Anyways, um, so he's clearly having a ball playing this weirdo that befriends her. And we find out between a doctor lecture and what he tells her that the time dilation's in effect. And of course, uh, there's creepy scenes in a hospital where everybody's getting augmented oh my god yeah. and uh we find out that uh this is basically uh a new alternate genesis of the cybermen where they're getting turned into cybermen and uh and bill sadly gets completely cyber converted by the end at the same time we get a reveal that this weirdo is the john sim master uh and he confronts missy when they finally get down there and they figure out what's happening and they were separated for about 10 years. Well, yeah. To the doctor, it was only like, what, 10 minutes? And to her, it was 10 years because of the time dilation effect. Yeah. And uh, and there you go. That's basically, you know, the masters confront the doctor, and Bill's been converted to a Cyberman. It's, it's a hell of a cliffhanger. It's uh, it's big stuff. Are you familiar with the Queen song, 39? I probably have heard it. It sounds uh, like a really country song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, it's about this guy who goes on a spaceship and he's going to go travel the universe and he ends up going through a time eddy and he comes back and you know it's been a year for him but it's been hundreds of years this whole family's come mm-hmm. it's like interstellar it's like doctor who world enough in time <laughs> also <laughs> anything with a time dilation mm-hmm. um yes i have found almost the only cybermen that i haven't really been afraid of are the ones from the new series. The, they really never did it for me. Yeah. Bo- both versions? Yes. Okay. The fucking Earthshock Cybermen, maybe it's because I was scared of them when I was a kid. Mm. <laughs> maybe I wouldn't be so much if I was introduced to them now. But um, Invasion of the Cybermen, those guys are scary. Tomb mm-hmm. of the Cybermen. Yeah. Uh, these Tenth Planet Cybermen are very, very scary to me. The creepiest hell. And watching the stages getting to those mm-hmm. are very, very scary. Yeah. Well, you see the both the creep factor and the tragedy factor. Mm-hmm. Going yeah, on. you see yeah. there's still the, the humanity and lack thereof. Yeah, and that's crucial. I think a lot of the Earthshock Cybermen's, um, or any of the 80s Cybermen, but especially Earthshock, uh, what works for me is how much David Banks' performance sells those Cybermen. Have you seen uh, Urshak? Nope. I think it's it's my favorite Fifth Doctor for sure. It's up there. Yeah, it's worth seeing if anything for uh, the fate of Adric. I've heard so many jokes about. Well, it's I mean, if you're gonna watch one yeah. Adric story, that's the one to watch. And it was a big deal because it was the return of the Cybermen for the first time, and I want to say. And they didn't seven. they didn't announce it. It was the it was uh, it was called Earthshock, and they just showed up at the end of the first part, and everyone was like, "Holy shit, Cybermen!" Yeah, they said, yeah, they'd been gone for seven years, and it was like the big oh. yeah, so it was a big deal. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, um, but yes, they they put them to great use here, and I actually think this origin was more effective than the the parallel universe origin in um, Age of Steel uh, back in season two, and I know that that 
what's weird to me is Age of Steel was supposed to be loosely based on an audio called Spare Parts, which was also a Fifth Doctor kind of genesis of the Cybermen audio story. It's very good. If you're ever going to listen to the audio, it's in the top three. It's great. Okay. Um, and uh, this is actually, to me, closer to Spare Parts. It's still, neither of them are exactly it, but this is closer because they really were trying to give you, here's what was going on on Mondas before the 10th planet. Um, and the lead up to the Cybermen. And it's really good. So they do capture the horror aspect, but then they've got this time travel thing and the two masters. There's too many other elements to really hyper-focus, sadly, on the Cybermen. But what you do get here is pretty great, not only for the sci-fi concept, but for the creep factor of the Cybermen and the reveal of two masters. So there's a lot there's a lot of great setup here, and I think it's done very well. I think it's directed and paced pretty well, and it's 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 probably, I would say, the most engaging episode of this season. I wonder if they knew that they were going to bring David Bradley in to be the first Doctor before they started messing with 10th Planet Cybermen. That's a good question. Um, that's a question we should have asked Moffat at uh, Gallifrey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he would have answered that and not have been, you know, because so many people were giving him crap. Um, that is a legit question. Because it it's, it's kind of sad in a way that we didn't... I mean, yeah, they did it in the, the flashback scene in Twice Upon a Time, but it's too bad we couldn't have had more of a parallel between the fact they just fought Cybermen in the same style of Cybermen. I think that, that would have been kind of neat to have more of a little hook in there. But mm. um, oh. I'll say this. I knew that John Sims' master was showing up. I didn't know he was that guy. Me no, either. Are you kidding? You didn't know? I, I didn't also, know? Yeah, I did not know. Okay, I can understand. I, I will, I'll give her a pass. Yeah! No, no, no. Pass. She doesn't get a pass because Sim is new who. No, no, no. Yeah. Here's why she gets a pass. Tell me why. Because uh-huh. she, okay, she doesn't know that the Dag, right. the Master's all about his disguises. Come on, man. We've seen our share of Anthony Ainley episodes. He's in disguise almost every flipping episode. That's his. That's his thing. He loves disguises. What was his name? What was his? What was that guy's name in this Mr. again? Mr. Resnick. Mr. Resnick. Something like that. Something like that. I wonder, because because uh, there was an episode of a classic Who, where Anthony Ainley. Who plays the master was was in it, but they didn't want us. They didn't want people to know mm. who it was, so they they it was an anagram. I don't remember what his name. Yeah, they use anagrams oh, to hide it. So that's yeah, cool. yeah, until they revealed. Yeah, I mean, I I am try I'm struggling, man. I think with the exception of survival and ultimate foe, I think almost every other time he showed up, he was always in a disguise at some point. <laughs> You're in a disguise. God, a Davison era. It's like he couldn't shake his disguise. Sometimes pointlessly. I'm like, why is he in this disguise? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember in Mark of the Ronnie, he's like a scarecrow, I think, briefly in one shot? I mean, it's creepy, but you're like, why is he? Why did he put himself up as a scarecrow? What was the purpose of that? Um, anyway, that this is why I, I always submit that the Ainley Master was probably the most insane out of all of them. Um, Mr. Razor. There you go. Oh, yeah. Mr. Razor. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know until... Like Until when when he started like questioning Missy, I was yeah. like, but, but yeah, that's when I started like, oh, all right. yeah. So the fact he's that good. he's in a disguise is a nice. All right, Moffat, you brought back the master disguise. Good on you. <laughs> good on you. Um, so that that was cool. I liked the relationship he built up with Bill, and you think they're actually becoming friends. And over you know, ten years, over ten years, and the tea, yeah, the stupid, the stupid good tea, bad tea, tea thing, and the. That some of the weird jokes he about was what a, was it like you saw through my disguise and all he that was stuff. He's a very yeah. funny, yeah, he very was a, funny, weird little character. He was, he was. Yeah. Um, and, but like also the setup of this episode, because I mean, Bill gets <laughs> Bill gets shot in yeah. the first few like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then the flashbacks. Yeah, flashbacks. Of this, sorry, we should the flashbacks that, yeah. of this episode is 
the the doctor, you know, basically convincing Bill to be Missy's companion mm -hmm. for these tests because he cares so much about his best friend and he wants her to be good. Yeah. And it, that's, I mean, Bill doesn't want to, obviously. Mm -hmm. She doesn't trust her. She's terrified of Missy. But she agrees and... She has to be Missy's comp Missy's companion for that exercise, and then she gets to be the master's companion for ten years, not knowing it. Not knowing it, yeah, that is kind of messed up. That it is. is. Really messed She's up. more the master's companion than she is the doctor's companion. Ouch. Right. Doesn't that hurt? That's putting it in some perspective yeah. there, especially considering the the dry run on this was Clara being the master's companion in Magician's Apprentice. Mm. Yeah. For huh? for an episode. For remember when she's with the uh, Missy for a while, kind of being. Oh her, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, which is familiar. Was it which is familiar? Sorry. <clears throat> Part two. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. So uh, I'm going to call out that, and I know they were they're trying to really at this point push the the new uh, gender fluid agenda, but uh, the doctor telling her the flashback about him and the master, like, oh, I, I think I was a man back then. I can't remember. It was so long ago. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> like, mm. come on. You know, you know, like. Yes, you were a guy back then. Do we do we have to do this here in this flashback? Can we just say back when I knew the master, this is what was going on? That was it. Felt that felt a little forced to me. Yeah. Well, um, I think he he has a uh, a joke bit about the master being his man crush too. So he he jokes about genders for both of them. This 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 gets into a, a more modern thing in any movie, especially genre stuff, where I feel like anytime they have two guys becoming really close either friends like a buddy but what would traditionally be a buddy buddy kind of movie mm -hmm. or they're too much like mono -y mono villains that i feel like they always now want to undercut it with some sort of as you say some sort of man crush joke mm. and i i'm kind of tired of that because it's like you know guys can be friends and you know bad guy and good guy they can't just hate each other. Like it, just because they're two guys doesn't mean we have to play this this joke anymore can we drop it tell you the I'm joke kinda, that i'm tired of I'm Doctor Who. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god, yes. Let's talk about the Missy scene in mm -hmm. the beginning. In the intro, yeah. God. She introduces herself uh, as Doctor to Who. anyone who's listening as Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. had they stopped it at the whole, um, uh, I'm Doctor, Doctor Who, I'm saving time. It's dumb, mm -hmm. but I could if they'd stopped it there, I would have been like, all right, we've milked this joke a lot. God, they've done it so much in New Who. Uh, and not to say old who never did it, but new who I feel like milks it like three times as much. I'd have been like, all right, Moffat, I'll let you have it just to let her, you know, chew the scenery. But then she goes, and it's his real name. And then he even says, I'm Doctor Who. Uh, what? Oh, I, I, I like it. Or I'm going to own it or something. And I'm like, nope, nope, mm -hmm. stop. Too much. Too much. That was a first draft that needed to be edited back, and nobody told you no. Now, I feel that the reason that they did that conversation is so that... There's the uh, there was the online fight. Uh, so did you see that episode where Doctor Who went over to the wait a second? What'd you call him? Well, when Do when Doctor Who went to that planet, he's the Doctor. You don't call him Doctor Who. I think this was Moffat's way of saying you can call him Doctor Who if you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the first couple seasons, wasn't he Doctor Who in the credits? In the credits, yes, yeah. yeah. But they never called him that in the show. Right. The only time they technically called him that in the show was uh, this computer. This computer called him Doctor Who in a heart. Wotan. Era. We're going to talk about. We're bringing up Wotan. Bringing up Wotan. 
And uh, in, in a missing episode, uh, somebody writes a note to Doctor Who. I think it's in a Troughton episode. I want to. Well, there's say. a there's a list right here. There's there's the Wotan bit. Um, in the Highlanders, the second Doctor introduces himself as Doctor von Ver, which is German for Doctor of Who. Uh, in the other un, in the underwater menace, That's the second Doctor yep. signs a note with Doctor W. In the demons, the third Doctor introduces himself as the Great Wizard. Key, K quote Latin variations of who, and uh, then that mentions, of course, the the doctor's you know uh, Bessie's license plate and yeah. whatever, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm willing to go with this like the license plate thing and the and the like the German name and everything is to me like okay production having some fun, mm. but the Wotan thing and the note are problematic. That those get a little tricky to explain. Uh, so he's having fun, but I think he's just pushing it too much. I was like, you already, you already had enough fun with stage one of this joke, and then you had to go to stage two. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't too on board with that. Also, Missy is almost too much for me in this scene. There's parts where I like her, and she's having fun. And the whole, ooh, she, what is it? I'm with, what do you call it? Pets? Or you, uh, was it uh, comic relief and exposition? Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's other parts where I'm just like, okay, like especially when she's just like posing around. I'm like, what yeah. the hell? Like, no, Jesus, no, no, no. I I liked it. I liked it because she was like, I think she's making fun of the doctor. She is, but the doctor doesn't pose like that. Uh, I think probably in her head he does. <laughs> okay, but I don't see it. But okay, I mean, it's her going. Look at me. I'm so serious, just like the doctor. I'm gonna save the world. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> let's do it. No, I'm totally good with that. But also, when you look at it, she's been. Stuck in that vault for seventy something years. So she wants to have fun. So she's—it's her, her first field trip out. I mean, she went in the TARDIS, but she couldn't leave the TARDIS. Right. But so. she's like, I can leave the TARDIS. I'm gonna have some fun. That's kind of how I see it. It's like yeah. she's over the top. She's being—I'm not crazy. saying it's completely without merit. I just feel like, yeah. Jesus, they got pushed a little far in some bits. But and okay. I think uh, Nardole and Bill not liking it feeds. Oh her. no, no, no! Yeah, so, of course, of course, yeah, it does. she's going of course crazy. It does. And uh, uh, you know what? And then the weirdness of her sort of finding the blue guy attractive and, and weirdly pseudo flirting with him for a couple lines is also odd to me. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, look, right. she's been she's been only been seeing the Doctor and Nardole for a long time. All right. Anyway, um, I do like the fact the doctor uses Venusian Aikido. That was cool. Um, the uh, so the time dilation thing, and this comes into play more in the next part. Um, I was trying to think. I was really trying to think it through. Going like, all right, I get the whole idea of why eventually when they go down there because of the time dilation. Like by the time they get up, like <clears throat> you know what I mean. Like like that. There's a problem getting back to the TARDIS, especially for Bill, um, because of the the rate of the elevators and all that. I get that. And I like the idea that they had a crew of whatever, 20, that's turned into thousands because mm-hmm. they cool. went down there and they cool the, the, the descendants and so forth. So I was like, okay. Um, but bearing that in mind, it made me wonder, like, all right, well, by that same logic, how did the hospitalized or the pseudo-Cybermen, who aren't quite Cybermen yet, get up to the bridge so fast to get Bill when she was shot? Like, by the time they would have detected her, do you know what I'm saying? Like... Mm-hmm. By their calendar, it, 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 I'm saying by the same oh, yeah. logic, there's a weirdness of just, and I understand we have to get the story off and you shouldn't think about it too much, but I thought like there would be a, there'd be a weird, I, I know to them it would be fast, so I get that, but to, to the people going up the elevator and going back down, it would have been, it would have been like ages. So. Very valid point. Yes. Great point. So. I just, yeah, I, I get it. There's some things you just have to give a story. So just minor yeah. point. Although in that 
in that scene when they were riding the lift up to go get Bill, um, I mean, the the rate of the floors changed drastically. It was, like, really, really fast, really fast, and then it slowed down. Oh, yeah, well, as it should. Yeah, yeah. but I guess that doesn't even start to answer the question. Good point. Yeah. How? Just saying. It's a little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that hospital scene is is top-notch. I, I love her mm. going in and, and hearing them say, kill me, kill yeah. me, pain. kill me, pain, pain, pain. pain. And then the uh, nurse comes in and just turns the volume down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Good stuff. It's very good stuff. And then when they, they bust out the headgear for Bill, like, mm. and you know what they're going to do, you're like, and at first you're like, they're not really going to do this. And you're like, oh, crap, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's harsh stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. weird how this is much more affecting than when Danny became a Cyberman in Dark, uh, Water, or Death in Heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not sure how much of that is the setup of Bill and the fact Danny wasn't like a full companion or the fact that it was more of a surprise because you see the slow conversion of her too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, it's, it's generally good stuff. I mean, it my 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 major complaints really lie in part two. Part one, I generally am on board with. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else? Anything else on part one? No, I mean, especially uh, I think we hit all the all the big stuff, and it really built. And I think the the climax really left me wanting more. Um, I I almost wonder if it was too much to have the uh, the tear. Coming out of Bill's eye, which I understand is supposed to represent the cyber tier we see on the helmets. Mm-hmm. I see what they were doing. Um, I don't. I think it would have been cooler if we had seen her do that, and then we would have transitioned to them putting together a later Cyberman with the the tier as if they, they all do that. Like, I I, I would have liked that more than simply here's the tier on on Bill. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Do you think it was? You don't think it was a, a Heather tier? Uh, a sentient puddle tier? I mean, maybe. Maybe. But that pays off so much later. So. Well, I mean, next was... episode. But, I mean, there's clearly a, a good amount of time between that moment and her getting rescued by... Yeah. I see what you're saying, though. Because it's like a... If that's saying that, like, that her tier is why Cybermen have yeah. those things, then, yeah. yeah. Should have been a stronger connection. Yeah. I agree. So. There was a... So there was a comic, uh, the, the 12th Doctor, issue 12... And uh, there's a comic in the back called The Five Masters. And this was done in September of 2016. They ripped us off. They ripped us off. They ripped us off. <laughs> I wrote a Five Masters sketch a few years ago. Oh, same yeah. with, same with, the, yeah, it's on YouTube, which I showed to you. Uh, same with uh, the airline thing. They just did with Tegan. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah I know uh, I just said out someone else's words, but damn it. <laughs> they're ripping us off. Yeah. They're, they're, they're observing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, if, I mean, look, it's, it's a proper two part story, but if I were to rate these separately, this part's easily like a nine for me. It's, it's very good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really good. I'd go nine. Yeah. This, this to me was, it, it just, it, yeah, it's just, uh, I got some issues with part two, but yeah. Um, question for you, classic fans. Yes. What the doctor did, um, leaving an impression on her subconscious mm. is that something that he's done before in the classic show yeah no I, I haven't seen hold it, on. It, it said earlier let's move on to something else and i'll find that in the meantime because okay. i saw it and i didn't pay attention but it's it's here in the tardis wiki okay great yeah let me know if there's something i forget but uh, from my memory uh not so much the main time he does anything similar is the seventh doctor who's shown to have some 
mental suggestive powers in a couple of episodes, particularly uh, okay, the uh, Silver says, Nemesis uh, and Battlefield. Pandorica opens in the Big Bang. The Doctor's previously left a message in Companion's subconscious. Okay. But that's a Moffat trope. But yeah, oh, the yeah. Only, yeah, you're right. The, the only precedent from the classic series I can directly think of is uh, Sylvester McCoy had some suggestion powers in Battlefield and Silver Nemesis where mm-hmm. he uh, would trick a guard into almost Jedi mind tricking letting him mm. go and he had another one where he helped trick mentally trick some uh, bystanders into evacuating um, a scene so and it was weird because that hadn't been a, it's weird how like I was willing to go with it so easily back then and you stop and go wait a minute that's not really a thing he did before mm-hmm. but yeah. oh well you can also do, you could also argue oh well the seventh doctor knows hypnosis so. right anyway okay so on to the proper finale part two with uh, I say uh, nine do we rate them? It's three nines. Three nines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Uh, with uh, la la la, the doctor falls. hard. Now, okay, so how did the okay the doctor? Okay, the synopsis starts off as he struggles to resist regenerating. Mm-hmm. I remember trying to figure out what was it that caused the twelfth doctor to regenerate because it wasn't just that big cyberman blast at the end it was way early and well, he kept holding on to it on the roof on the roof of the hospital he gets a, a big cyberman blast. comes from behind and like sucks that's it isn't it that's that has to be where it starts yeah. and then when he's in the forest he's defending a few weeks later yeah yeah so it, it clearly did some damage he was eventually going to regenerate but he was able to hold it off and then he definitely For gets a couple, a couple of bad blasts on the battlefield at the end that really sent him over yeah. i think it was two two good blasts plus he's right in the middle of that explosion yeah um so i'd say all three of those things but primarily speaking cyberman blaster would do it yeah okay very good uh, that opening with him about to regenerate in the snow is uh is nicely compelling i like it my issue with it i'm just going to do it because it's a wraparound we get it there and we get it again of course at the tail end of the episode is uh two things there seems to be this thing in the new series, because this this is where new series plays a little fast and loose with regeneration. Um, in my impression, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Kevin, in the old show, when he was going to regenerate, for the most part, with a couple minor little tweaks, it seemed like a very involuntary process that it's like breathing. You can't, you can control it maybe like a little bit, but for the most part, you're, it's just happening. You don't, mm-hmm. and you don't have control where you're going to end up and what, what's coming out and it's happening, mm-hmm. whether it's in the TARDIS or wherever it ends up. And in the new show, I feel like they do this thing where he's really able to somehow really hold it back. Like Tennant mm-hmm. does it and Capaldi's doing it here. And, and I can see that for a very small amount of time. Right. For like maybe yeah. less than an hour. Not for weeks. Not for weeks. Okay. It was weeks. Or, or days. Yeah. I And yet this has become a thing in New Who where they're able to somehow hold, somehow like will it back. Or even the master saying, I refuse to regenerate. I'm like, how, how can you refuse yeah. to regenerate? Yeah. You know, what, what? how does that work? Or even when uh, at, the, at the end with, with Missy, when we'll get more into it, but he says, don't even try regenerating. And I'm like, okay, I guess that was fatal. But how do you like, it, he makes it sound like, you can try and not try mm. and like, I don't think it's that voluntary. So that's part of my issue with it. And also there's the issue where he says, I don't want to change. And it's a bit like the tenant thing, although the motivation is a little different, but okay. So he's in this zone of, I don't want to change because I don't want to just be another guy again. And I can't do it. And I'm tired. And I thought, okay, fine. Where is this motivation coming from? 
it seems to come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a proper lead up to that that thought process. I wish that had been built more into the season or at least the two part finale. Mm-hmm. I thought you know I didn't I didn't care too much for RTD and especially the regeneration attendant. I thought was way too long and yada yada yada. But I did appreciate his talk with Wilf in the diner where he says, you know, even if you regenerate, it's like you're different. I'm a different person. Um, and he, he does a really not over the top explanation of why he might not want to regenerate. And I get it for, I, in, in the, by the end of the episode, the whole, I don't want to go in the, in the, in the cry. I'm like, fucking get this over with. Yeah. Especially his rant, uh, right after he saves Wilf was really selfish. Yes. Yes. Um, Selfish and whining. Yeah. But in that, in that little conversation, it was like, you know, I could regenerate. I do it a lot, but it kind of sucks sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I liked I liked that scene. Yeah, that scene was interesting. It it flies a little in the face of my idea of regeneration, but it, it was it was. Int- I just took it as this is the tenth Doctor's view on regeneration. Um, and I and actually the coolest version I liked in the classic show where they got near this of a Doctor kind of fending off regeneration is Davison in Caves of Androzani, which I don't know if you've seen. Well worth your time. This doesn't seem like I've not. Um, you, you should check it out at some point. So a lot of people have said that that was the best one of the classic series. It's one of the best of the classic series. So um, there's a bit where, and because this is the first time they did it, you're not even sure what you're watching until you see the whole thing. But in the so he's he's slowly dying the whole episode. They they established this, and so toward the end of part three, there's a bit where he's starting to see some weirdness in his vision, and he has to blink it away. He's like, oh, it's weird, and he. And he keeps doing what he's doing. He's in like desperate mode to save Perry at this point for the last section of the story. And you find out later, you look at the effect he blinked off and it's the exact same effect as the regeneration they mm. used. And you realize he would, he was all, it was already starting to happen and he was, he was kind of thinning it off. And that version I'm able to buy more because it wasn't like you're seeing him glow and he's saying, I refuse. It's like, um, it's like when you're nauseous and you're fighting the urge to throw up for a while and you can do it for a while but eventually it's going to happen and that's the way i looked at it was okay because eventually he does have to give in but that's why that worked for me better than the mm-hmm. versions they present here also he was on a mission he was on a mission yeah he was determined and it and we're probably talking a, a total max of i'm gonna say maybe an hour between crashing the ship saving perry getting her back to the tardis probably realistically speaking so it's not even that long of a period of time mm. um so that's why it all works for me. And that's, and the, and the episode's great. You should, you should really see it. But, um, so that was thinking that's the only precedent. And I think that's why that worked also. Cause dramatically you're at like, you know, that nobody does desperate doctor better than Davison. Um, <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Uh, so anyway, uh, back to this. So I, okay. So yet again, we have uh, a pickup, not directly from the cliffhanger yet again. It's a, here's a, here's another cool shot that has nothing to do or very little to do with where we left things. Uh, to get us on a on a uh, image opener with uh, a weird farmhouse, and they're killing these random Cybermen and putting them up as scarecrows. It's mm. a creepy image, haunting as hell. Yeah, even that's a little weird. You're yeah. like, what's going on? Bunch of and kids. Then, and then a shuttle crashes through, and there's the Doctor looking um, dead, and there's a Cyberman carrying him, and they're like, oh, and then cut to credits. Okay, it's an image, but again, I feel like, god damn it, it's a cheat. We should be picking up. With masters gloating, builds a Cyberman, and mm-hmm. da da da. And instead, but at we, least they get back to it. Yeah. They do. They right do. after the title sequence. Yeah. They do. But I, I wish they had just jumped right, 
right to it. That's just me thinking, come on, man. Mm-hmm. That's just... I'm all right with it as long as they came back to it. They did They did it before where they were just like, oh, and then they they made it. They made it. But here we actually see what happens at that. For room. the most part. Yeah. For the like, moment, well, yeah. he wakes up on the roof, you have that, but the actual moment is still a, is still a toss-away flashback where... They're in the room, mm-hmm. they're gloating, he does the keyboard thing, Nardle runs away, it's that done, bup, bup, bup. It's, they don't dwell on that part at all. Doesn't it's, look good either. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, let's get to the rooftop stuff. Um, to me, it's a bit of a narrative cheat. I still think Moffat needs to, I would have loved it if for his last two-parter he would have played it by the rules. And be like, alright, Moff, you can do it right one last time. You know. Also, the doctor flopping on a keyboard. God, just I, flopping on a keyboard, and that, that's that, what That's, that's such what an RTD move. One to two. Come on, man. I mean, as much as I love human nature, end of human nature, he does the yes, same thing. Yes. Where he falls on the... Yeah. And then, you know, and I'm like... Oh, you left your self-destruct buttons all over the front yeah. entrance. Yeah. Oh, that's and weird. And labeled. <laughs> and they're not even noticing the buttons he's hitting. And I'm like, yeah. uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of that method of the doctor. Mm-hmm. I love the doctor looking stupid or whatever to be uh, underestimated. That's great. But that... Yeah, it's always a huge stretch, especially when, what is it? They don't notice him typing as he's on the, the corner of the table. Yeah. It's a bit much. Yeah. So that's a little weak, I agree. Um, but I do like, you know, it's great scene having the Masters gloat at him on the roof because we're mm-hmm. finally getting to the true Master team up we've been waiting for. Yeah. Dancing around. Dancing around. I love the little callback where they're like, oh, and the <clears> different <throat> ways he's died. She talks about him falling, you know, Legopolis. Like, oh, Legopolis. Um, and of course, of course, he you had to bring it because the master was there. The master's like, oh yeah, that was the time. <laughs> that was cool. Um, and uh, I, I even like the idea of like, did you ever drown? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we could have an episode where he drowns. Yeah. Um, so we have that, and then they they love shoving the fact that Bill's a Cyberman. Oh, look behind you, there she is. Uh, yeah, that, they're being real jerks. They're being real jerks. Yeah. It's it's good stuff. It's a it's a nice scene. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and then of course Missy reveals to be really on his side. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that she, I mean, she doesn't know. She doesn't know? She, I, I mean, I think she wants to be on his side, but, I mean, she said, I'm in two minds. She's like... And, uh, yeah, right. She does probably mean that literally. I think she yeah. feels torn. Yeah. I think she's, I mean, you know, she's, she's been trying to be good, mm-hmm. and she wants, to, I know, she obviously wants to be good, but... Uh, so she frees him, but Cybermen are coming up because of his little uh, trickery. He's uh, added Time Lord's quote to the menu. Uh, the Cybermen are going to attack them all, so that's why he gets shocked by a Cyberman, and they all end up escaping on the shuttle that Nardole has stolen. That's why they're going up through the floors. And I have to admit, uh, I think you've got the same problem flying up in a shuttle that you would in a lift, even going up 500 floors. So that's a bit of a stretch. And then the idea that a shuttle could crash through that many floors and not flatten in a pancake is also it's it's a those that whole thing is a stretch to me but okay let's let it pass because that's where we end up we end up on farmland and i think this is part of my problem it was extremely engaging getting explanations on bridge and seeing what's going on with the cybermen and then suddenly we're in like the alamo last stand with farmers and i think that change in setting i found like a, a gear shift down like i just wasn't as engaged because you, you never met these people and suddenly it's like, oh, and I'm supposed to care about these guys the, and who, that we've never been set up in part one at all. So I felt that that was, I kind of see what you want to do, like a, a last stand kind of moment in a big fight. But I think just structurally, it's like, I think we needed to either set these guys up or we needed a different setting and make it connect better to part one, mm. uh, either down in the hospital or up on the bridge. Um, 
and that's where I feel they they kind of made a mistake. I just I just wasn't into these farmer guys and them doing the classic. You know, we've seen it in so many movies like Home Alone, where it's like we're gonna come up with apple bombs and <laughs> stuff like that. You know, and, and Nardle's doing his tech thing and getting flirted with with the weird farm hand chick and. Yeah. She was into it. She was down. Sure. She was down for Nardle, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you got you got uh, the masters kind of lazing around, being like, "What's happening now? Well, we're gonna leave," you know. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and at that point, beyond the rooftop scene, I feel like they waste the masters. Like they just kind of sit around yeah. and not do much. I mean, there's the nice bit where he gives them the speech, and you know, Sim wants to say "screw you," and and mm. Missy was affected. Yeah, that's not till the end though. Um, there's that little bit, and then. And then the final scene with the two masters is, is interesting, but I feel like, I feel like, I almost feel like they needed to either integrate this better, or we needed to save the two masters for an entirely different story where we could focus on that, or, and then save this just for Cybermen. Like, I, I either want to separate it and focus, or I want to integrate it better. And as it is, it feels like, it feels like soup that wasn't properly stirred. It feels like some ingredients that didn't quite... 100% come together for me. I mean, while I would always love to see more of those two together, I thought I was, I was good with it. I was good with I mean, there's a lot of shit that had to happen in here. That's what I mean. I just think that they weren't given, it wasn't given as much time as it, as it could have been. I mean, think of how great it is to usually see multi-doctors together. And this is the first time we've ever had a multi-master story. And I feel like they just didn't quite hit on I mean, there's some neat stuff. I'm not saying it was totally wasted, but I feel like could have done more with it. I think, I mean, Johnson's master was mostly brought back to show the progress that the doctors made with Missy. I get that. Because you put them side by side. I mean, it's... I totally get that. I see that. Um, but that's also part of where I think some of the fun was missing. Because, you know, when you see a multi-doctor story, I know they did it a little bit in Day of the Doctor with the kind of thing <clears throat> you're talking about. But usually it's just fun to see these personalities bounce off each other and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And you see some of that. But that's where... And this brings me back to the whole arc with Missy, is that I feel like that arc was forced just to give us this payoff. And again, that's why I think they're backward thinking. Because if you look at it, and this is this is just me thinking in terms of if I had to do this, all right, if you're really going to go down the path of Missy is regretful and she wants to go good, and we're supposed to believe her, because I think that's how it's supposed to be played. Mm-hmm. And Michelle Gomez does do a good job. I have no problem with her performance. But I do not understand where the motivation for that comes from. It seems to come out of nowhere. For when her wanting to be good? Yes. All that stuff she has about regretful and crying and all that, it feels like it comes out of nowhere to me. I'm like, where is this coming from? So I didn't trust her for the first couple scenes. I'm like, all right, she's playing a trick. And then I'm like, oh, okay, we're playing this for real. But I never understood where that came from. I didn't see a moment where she had an epiphany. I mean, she was in that vault for seven years. With the doctor know. giving th- her good lessons. That's not enough for me. I, and I almost kind of think that being locked in a vault for 70 years by the doctor might make you want to hate him a little bit more yeah. and tr- trick your way out of it. Yeah, that mm. was where my head was. That's why I thought it was a trick for the first two, three scenes he was doing it. And then I'm like, oh, we're, we're really we're really doing this. I'm but like, okay. Ken, she was in a vault for 70 years. Yes! Oh, <laughs> yes! Man. I love that you're uh, so bothered that I'm not saying those words and you're saying them for me uh no i don't know well that end to a time lord 70 years is nothing too uh i just i want to believe that she wants she really wants to be his friend again no she does she does i get so where they're going she i'm just say, maybe and... i'll try this being good thing uh because it, maybe it'll mean she gets her best friend back. No, I, I think both of you are right. It's just that uh, what you're saying is right, but there wasn't. We didn't see it 
for a good reason happen besides, okay, I'll try. Yeah, that's sure. it. I just want a motivation. There. Yeah. I just need something there that beyond I'm in a vault. You and need a, okay, you say a spoken motivation. Uh, I'm choosing to believe it's the not even spoken. Even if it was something uh, uh, visual, but it, but an event, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, I don't know, he he shows her some consequence of, the, of her actions rather than she's reminiscing on stuff we don't know about, or he he does save her in some way or something. Maybe they both find Gallifrey together. I don't know what it could be, but I'm saying that so, I'm looking for an event that is visually shown where I can see a change that happens with the character to lead her on this path. To make her go, And damn. I didn't see it. The Just her in a vault doesn't do it for me. Just, because I've seen this kind of thing in Doctor Who before, and usually the Master's all about just being, I'm still evil. I'm going to trick my way out of it. So mm-hmm. my history with the Master is, oh, he's just tricking him, or she's just tricking him. And it's not, it's not enough. I felt like it just needed something else seeded in that early part of the season to, to make me buy it. Mm-hmm. Even though I understand the idea that She's at, she's now at this point of her life and maybe it's for some reason she's decided, you know what? Yes. I would like, even if it's more about reconnecting with him and maybe it would even would have been interesting if we'd had a flashback of them as friends pre Pertwee, you know, maybe as kids or something. Uh, yeah, let's not do the kid thing again, but you know, younger, younger, you know, per, you know, something that would have been interesting. Um, just to, so that we see that there, there was this basis and they do allude to it and why she wants to get back to it. Like, that could have been interesting to me. Like, any of these things would have helped me understand and believe what she's doing. Be- without that, it feels like a house that's on a bad foundation. And I'm not, and I don't trust the, I don't trust the integrity of it. That's been always been my problem with this art. Yeah. Um, just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just hearing how the doctor talks about the master mm-hmm. and their history and them mm-hmm. being friends, I just want to believe it's on the other side, too. And then, I don't feel like I need it to be said then, to believe it. Then let me ask you why... Why now does she want to be friends again? I mean, she wanted to be friends since she tried to give him a Cyberman army in yeah, the end but, of season eight. Okay, okay. I want, oh, my, I want my best friend. Oh back. snap! Okay, oh. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's. But okay, then why didn't Sim want to be friends? Why didn't Ainley want to be friends? What, so what I'm saying is, why now? Why in this incarnation? People change. We want different things. Okay, and... that's not enough. I need. No. I need a motivation. Yeah, people can change, but there's a motivation usually. Yeah, there's a reason for it. Yes. She just really misses him. I don't know. Don't give me that scene. This is this give me the scene that explains this. This is I, not working for it me. It comes out. It comes out of the blue. Then. Uh, uh, okay. I don't feel like I need that. If you guys do, then okay. She's way too trusting. She would tell the master would totally get the jump on her, wouldn't she? Well, master, I mean, Missy. Apologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it only took. All right, 12, it worked. It worked for you. It worked for you. It didn't. It didn't work as well for me. Um, I mean, she. She well, she just kills. decides to be good now. Yeah, that's what I mean. It just feels like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be good now. And I get that they're doing it All to right. contrast yeah, her with cool. Sim. No. Yeah. Well, okay. Oy. The flip side, what if the doctor suddenly went bad and he's just bad now? W- would you accept that? No. Why not? Well, then there you go. That's what I'm saying. Oh, why not? This is just, why I'm, not? Just, I'm just telling you, this is... <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah, it's totally the same thing. All right. Well, you guys know the master more than I know the master. So wait, wait, wait. But even with, I mean, you knew you knew Jacoby and Sim, right? For this, you saw those, right? And you're saying that that master totally makes sense doing this this path that they end up putting her on right here. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. 
Jeez. No, it's it's. I'm honestly all right. That's cool. If it worked for you, that's cool. All right. I want so. I want the doctor to be happy, and the doctor loves his friend and wants his friend to be good. So I want her to want to be good because it would make the doctor happy. So I want to believe that the work he's put in to try to make her good has worked. So that's what I'm choosing to believe. I don't need to see it. Wow. Okay. All right. There you go. That's it. I, I forgot about I forgot about the last of the Time Lord scene sort of feeds into her reasoning here. Yeah. Okay. I see what she's doing. You're right. With the classic master plugged into this, it's it's hard to believe it because he's he's always scheming up to something. And even every time you think he's learned a lesson, he doesn't learn a lesson. He's back to he's back to his old ways. So that's why it's so hard. I think for especially classic fans. I think even it. from New Who, I think the master's been bad, 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 bad. Now the master's good. Why? Because the doctor really wants him to be or her to be. No, that's no, that's not enough. I'm. That doesn't have to be enough for you. It's enough for me. I want him to be happy. I don't want him to feel like he's wrong and that mm -hmm. his he has he's wrong to have hope that his best friend. This, this isn't about him. It's not about the doctor. It's about the master. Why did the master decide to be good after X amount of hundred of years being bad? <clears throat> because I don't know. because I want her to be okay. That's not that's not that doesn't work. All right, All right. Uh, you're gonna All get right. no more of an answer yeah. out of me. All right. uh, I, yeah, okay, yes. Okay, it's agree to disagree. It worked for her. It didn't work for us. Fair enough. Okay, so. Um, we, we get uh, so let let's let's round this out then. So we we have a nice scene where they want to escape in his TARDIS. I wish we'd seen his TARDIS. I feel like I chipped there. Um, and they pull a time crash, uh, time paradox thing where oh I don't have a dematerialization circuit. Oh well, it turns out there was a woman who scared me into having one, so now I do. And I thought this is funny how she doesn't remember him being there in disguise, but she'll remember to have the circuit. But. We'll let that go. So we do get the, and I do think as as warped as it is, because I I have a I have I have an issue with the last scene where they kill each other, but putting that aside, it's very well played. I do like the two actors in this scene a lot. I like how going with what they want to go with, even though I got my issues with the motivation. You see her take her stand, stab him in the back. His reaction to it. Then him shoot her, and then that that moment when they laugh at each other, I do think it's kind of magic. That's kind of it's kind of good, kind of good stuff. Um, and he knows he's going to go off regenerating to her, and she appears to at least die for good. But we all know that Master's probably going to be back. So um, the thing I liked about that was it is twisted that the Master ends up killing himself. But um, the reason I have a, an issue with it beyond what we've already discussed is that the Master's motivation for a lot of his stories has always been survival, and and, and making sure he stays alive at no matter what cost and getting the next body or getting the next regeneration. Well, I'll tell you what, to add a mountain of credence to our disappointment and frustration with you not being able to see this, uh, the Master is so fucking evil that he would rather die than turn good and hang out. That is pretty him. amazing. But but it's it's weird to see... He's willing to let that prime motivation go that has been driving him for so many of his incarnations. It just shows how much he hates. I mean, that's that's so that's why that scene felt kind of. It wasn't like it, it wasn't like the listen moment with the doctor kid scene that I I can't stand and I just I just ugh. it wasn't like that. But it was a bit of a whoa, like like an adjustment for me. Like okay, this is this is the same guy that 
fought so hard that turned into a snake and crawled down a man's throat. You know, uh, th- you know this, this is the same guy, and here he is killing himself. And I thought, that's, that's pretty intense. Like, all right. So, I got, I got nothing more to say on it. Uh, there are a lot of good lines as I scroll through the wiki page here, and I don't remember all of them. They don't even actually have a... Are you cool with them killing each other at the end? I mean, I think it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it too. Mm-hmm. I. I mean, with with her. <laughs> I mean, she says it. It's her time to stand with the doctor. Did we, did we not care about that? Was she just telling her past self after she stabbed him in the back, literally, that we've been building to this? It's now our time. My time to stand with the doctor. Mm-hmm. That's why John Sim kills her, because he'd rather he'd rather kill himself than do that. Doesn't mean Missy feels that way. She kills him so that she can turn around and go back. She could have let him go, though. She I mean, she jump-started his regeneration into her. If she, well, she, and it's weird, maybe she knew it and she knew she had to do it, but she, I love how she also claims she doesn't remember how she turned into herself. You can play it either way. It, it works either way. But, um, but, but, but I mean, you, you, you're very strong about this. It's time. But why is it time? We're not. Let's not get back into this. We've already. We've already well, covered. She the, started it. Listen, she restarted it. Uh-huh. Listen, listen this has a lot of good, good, good lines. Um, I think my favorite that hits me right away as I scroll through this was, um, oh, I'm, I passed through it. Uh, when Missy comes up to Nardo and says, uh, "The doctor's dead," he said he always hated. He said to tell you he always hated you. <laughs> That's, I remember laughing a lot. When that happened, and rewinding it and hearing it a couple of times. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I liked I liked Sim telling off uh, Capaldi when they're when they're heading off. This is the face that didn't believe a word you said or something like that. I even like when she stabs him in the back and uh, and even he's like nicely done. She's like, well, you deserve my best. Like that was a nice little exchange. Yeah, there's good little moments there. I mean, you know, once you once you get past these 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 things, I have I go I can still appreciate what it is. You know, it's not like I'm totally rejecting of it, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's an interesting thing. I actually uh, was a little disappointed we didn't see Sim actually regenerate into Missy, but I know they left that also a little weirdly open in case um, it'd be neat to see him again. Uh, in case they want it, well, a in case they want to use him again, but b in case they want to wedge another master in between the two, like they never made it explicit right. that he was going to turn into Missy. They highly suggested it, but they never said it. And I thought, what's the, why, why not just say it? <laughs> you know, but I guess it's like, cause they want to put in a war, you know, war doctor, whatever. And, uh, when we talk about them, them both laughing as they're both dying. And uh, to me, that laugh for each of them was, of course it was going to end this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> course it was gonna end this way mm-hmm. hmm. and i do like sim in this much much more than his appearance in last of the time lords i thought he was much more uh classic master yeah 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 this like, should have yeah. been him all along yeah he was much better here i like his costume i like the fact he has a goatee it's, <laughs> it's great I'm, I'm totally down with his performance in this episode uh not sure if it's i, I do think it was a little weird he kind of came onto himself in that other scene but well, that's what I said. Is it weird that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, putting the Masters aside, uh, back to the Cybermen, uh, I do feel they had a missed opportunity here when they were showing that, oh, hey, there's later Cybermen and they're all coming up after us. It would have been amazing to have seen all the different stages, to have seen some of the other interim stages of the Cybermen 
Um, you mean like after Tenth Planet? Yeah, to have seen like an invasion, an Earth shock, you know, and then and then the two. It doesn't have to be all of them, just maybe like two, you know, just to show a couple because it kind of skips right up to it. And I'm like, I get it; those are the suits you have, but uh, some of the other suits did survive, and there's a lot of really good well, fans. Yeah, suits. yeah, that's right. The newer ones, do the newer ones show up in the end? They only have RTD and uh, the Nightmare ones. They don't have any of the interim ones. And I thought it'd have been great if we'd have like a tomb and then like. And then, like, an Earth shock. Yeah, they should have done that. And I thought that would have been amazing. And just to have a shot of all the multiple Cybermen, like, stomping after them, I thought, I get, I know, fanboy wet dream, but I, I would have been all over that shit. I mean, if you're going to do yeah. one and ten, yeah. you put in some Put uh, in a couple fillers. and sevens. Yeah, it doesn't have to be all of them, but yeah, it was doable. They could have done it. I mean, if they can recreate a Mondas Cyberman, they can recreate one or two of the others, and then CGI some multiples, and then, you know, that would have been cool. Little bit. It, this is my complaint with Asylum of the Daleks when it's like, hey, they have classic Daleks and you barely see them. Um, anyway, so but it's neat that they're showing that they're they're evolving, and and you get that visual, uh, and then there's the idea too that this gets into parallel development with the Cybermen because you know obviously this is a colony ship they established it is going to Mondas. Mondas, I guess, commissioned it. As to where it came from, I don't know. Maybe we'll never find out. Um, and it's a bit weird as to where Mondas is, if it's still in our solar system or if it's off in the edge of space or whatever. Whatever. I mean, you don't have to answer that. But um, the idea here is that I thought this ship was going to show up on Mondas at some point and this would start the Cybermen. But that makes no sense if you've already got all these crazy upgraded Cybermen. You know what I mean? Because if they're going to face Hartnell, where were they? So clearly we're doing another parallel thing here, guided by the master, as he says, when he was down there. And I get the feeling he was doing it like a game. Like he, he's like, oh, it's Mondasians. I'll just point them this way and see where they go. Uh, so we basically have an alternate origin of the Cybermen on this ship that is completely separate to what was really going on on Mondas that kickstarts all the classic stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, which I can generally go with, but it's, I mean, you know me, I'm a fan. I'm trying to work out the timelines and does this, does this, how does it connect and work? So there's a little convenient, but it still gives us a good story. So I guess I'm all right with it. Um, but it would have been neat if they they found a way to, to somehow connect it better. I thought Bill's stuff when she was the Cyberman uh, was pretty intense in yeah. the barn. Yeah. Uh, I would love... There's a number of lines she says as as fake Bill being flippant to people that I would have loved to have heard line delivery-wise from the Cyberman. Because I'm like, all right, that delivers the emotion, but they're hearing it like this. And I don't know if it carries the same weight. Uh, in that sing-song old Cyberman way. Um, especially trying to imagine that... La- There's a number of times she she flaunts her sexuality. Sometimes I think perfectly fine. A couple of times I feel like it's a little overdone. And the, the one time I really was like, why is this here? Is the bit where she's about to walk off and she's like, you know I'm into girls and, and my thing with older guys or something like that. And the doctor's like, yeah. And she goes, okay, just checking. And she walks away and I'm like, what, what was that? What, what was the point of that exchange? Like, the doctor's not an idiot. He's spotted these things. And she's a Cyberman now. And I and I even tried to imagine how that came out of the Cyberman's mouth and went, that is that is doubly awkward coming out of the Cyberman's mouth. I thought that bit was just odd. I don't I didn't need that. I thought that was kind of strange. I guess she was doing it to be funny. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think what else. The um Maybe also way of making sure that there was never anything more than what they were. Okay. I or to plant the seed that she's into younger girls, which she's regenerating into. Yeah, maybe. It's just... All right. Anyway. 
the one thing I, I thought about the last stand too was um, they. So you know, it seems very epic, and he's, he's aiming his Sonic, and they're all blowing up and everything. <laughs> he but doesn't like, uh, shoot guns, by the way. Yeah, doesn't shoot guns, but he'll happily set up explosives and use his Sonic like a gun. Uh, so, I, well, okay. My big thing is so they they they're getting him, and you know he's overpowered. You know he's going to go down. Okay, fine. But then he sets up that last big explosion. And he seems like he's in the middle of it. And afterwards, he's still pretty intact, like the Roadrunner, you know? And I'm like, I wish that had been done a little differently, where we saw an explosion over here and maybe he was just on the edge of it. But instead, because he's in the middle of it, I'm like, I, I, I know he's already regenerating, but how did he survive that, even bodily intact? Because he's right in the middle of a big-ass explosion. That was So that was a, a slight yeah, you're problem right, for me. You're right, you're um, right. Also, how did Bill survive? Uh, yeah, but at least she was a Cyberman, so I kind of can give her a pass. Yeah. Kind of. Um, I so so then of course we get the big reveal that uh, Puddle Girl's back because she gave her a tear in the first episode, and she kind of converts Bill sort of back into a, like a pseudo human, and the Cyberman version of her dies, and now she's sort of transcending in many ways. And you could also look at it as like you know it's um um, um what am I thinking like uh, a near death experience when you see a loved one. You could even look, read it like that. Um, I know you're not supposed to, but uh, so so using that magic power, they get the doctor back on the TARDIS, um, and they kind of have a big. It's but I understand it's supposed to be a take a take a happy ending out of a tragedy, and then they go off into the universe to to be together, and that's nice. My only problem with it is this is how almost every companion story has ended in New Who, where they die but don't die. You know, almost all of them. To have some version of death, but not death. Well, not only that, but you know, previously with Clara, mm-hmm. Clara was dead. Yeah, and then she wasn't dead. Yeah, and now she's traveling the stars and now just she's traveling the stars with another companion. Girl. She's dead now, <laughs> but she had a long period of not being dead. She and did. and Amy and Rory were dead, but not dead with the angels, but living together. And you know, and and Donna was dead, but not dead with the memory thing. And Rose was dead officially in Canary Wharf, but, but she's in a. Donna was not dead. And, uh, whatever. Donna wasn't dead. But it's sad. But, but they said it. Mm-hmm. One will die. Yeah. A, a, a ton of them. Jack dies and resurrects. A ton of them end up dying and not dying. It's this is like, this is how I died. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's kind of got old. And somebody thought that I died. So <laughs> and a, they wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I. This is why, in a way. I would have almost preferred it that somehow Bill does save the doctor or get him back to the TARDIS, but she's stuck as a Cyberman and she still dies. Like, I actually almost wanted that more and just to say, look, it's tragic, but let's actually play one out like that. Like, rather than the the, the, the hidden happy ending. Because I'm just kind of over it. Again, too many too many times using the same trope is my problem. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the main things. And then, yeah, you get to the doctor regenerating, meeting the first doctor in the snow. Which, uh, was a cool cliffhanger waiting on that. I feel like I'm, and then oh, and then Nardle is left to uh, guard the remaining folks on the what five floors up, and there's still this implication that sooner or later the Cybermen will still come after them, and and he might still go down. I was really frustrated with they set up these uh, scarecrow Cybermen. Uh, they don't really do anything except look cool, <laughs> right? Uh, the Cybermen wake up. I what, what was it? At night they wake up. They uh, come up to invade they get beat they're laying on the ground and they're like huh should we uh decimate these guys or prop them up on a stick 
who sh- let's you know let's just prop him up. How do you not just get rid of them? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Because they're supposed to still be strong as uh, in their state like that too. Yeah. I I just wish they'd had a. I was trying to think if they had a clever way to. Because really, they needed to get back to the TARDIS, or think, or the Doctor should have thought of getting to the Master's TARDIS. And I'm surprised they weren't thinking more along those lines. Um, rather what? Than, what? More back to the conveyor belt. I mean, just seeing the dematerialization circuit. Oh, that was yeah, and it was it was right out of the '70s. I was yeah. like, man, it was just a little bit smaller, but it was the same design. I was like, all right, good on the prop department. They didn't uh, redesign that. So yeah, that was a nice little touch. I agree. I mean, so there's still interesting stuff in here. It's just I felt it was a bit of a letdown from part one. I mean, I'll give, I'll still give it like a like an eight and a quarter. Hmm. Anything else on your end, Lauren? Give it a nine. Which brings us to twice upon a time. I'm gonna go six. All right, six. Yeah, I've got these issues. They're telling you, it's balancing it out for me. I'm like, it's I got serious issues with repeating this trope. The, the letdown of the setting. I don't care about this let's defend the farm setting. I always thought that was a huge letdown. Um, despite some cool stuff in it. Don't get me wrong. There, there is still interesting things in it. It's just not It's not enough to buoy up back up to a nine. So what would that average for me? Like a seven and a half for the whole two-parter? So I'll do that. Seven and a half for a whole two-parter. What would you, are you still nine for the whole two-parter? Well. I gave them both nine, so yeah. So you're nine. You're probably around an eight and a half. Yeah, something like that. All right. So twice a month of time, the final episode of Roundout Capaldi. Um, so uh, we, we come in on uh, the Hartnell Doctor, finding him uh, in the snow, where the TARDIS has brought him, because I guess it's where he's needed. Um, he's resisting his regeneration. We find out Hartnell, uh, fresh off the events of Tenth Planet, is resisting his regeneration as well. Uh, a little retcon, but not totally without merit. And uh, they end up having a little mini-adventure. The two of them team up. They come across uh, a World War II guy, World War One guy, sorry, um, played by Mark Gaddis, and uh, they're trying to figure out his deal. And they also find out that somehow, by the two of them being together, there's like a weird, like canceling out effect that they actually get. They're actually able to fend off their regenerations and have some strength. They find out about this thing called the testimony, and they go to the ship and they find uh, it looks potentially sinister, and they're trying to figure it out. And one of the testimony glass robots turns into Bill, so Bill is effectively in the episode. And uh, but we don't know that. We don't know it's. We're not sure it's her until yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, that gets we don't know it's like, testimony her until later. Yeah, on. so then they they try to escape because they they suspect foul play. They but to find out what's going on, the doctor wants to go to one of the best computers in the world beyond the TARDIS, and uh, the, they keep Capaldi's TARDIS. So they have to take refuge in Hartnell's TARDIS, which is amazing. And then we <laughs> uh, go to find Rusty from Into the Dalek. Turns out uh, he's plugged into the Dalek hive mind, and this is the best computer. In the world, I know it's a bit of a stretch, and we find out the testimony is uh, has is totally benign. There's no issues with them, uh, so the doctor doesn't have a real enemy to fight, but agrees to take the World War One guy back to his own time, which is where he belongs. So he does, and he he's supposed to die, but he cheats it so that he pushes it by like what a couple hours or a day. Hours. So he ends up in the Christmas truce of what was nineteen fourteen. And so it ends up saving his life, and it turns out he's related to the Brigadier, Lesbridge Stewart. I think it's his grandfather, I want to say. Um, and that's a nice little touch. And then uh, the two doctors basically kind of say goodbye. Hartnell goes off and regenerates. Uh, testimony, Bill, and, and a Nardle, and, a, and basically Clara all kind of say uh, goodbye to Capaldi. He gets his memories back about Clara as well. 
And then he goes off and finally gives himself a speech and regenerates in the TARDIS, turns into 13. She says brilliant, and because she flips a switch, because we got to do this all the time now in regenerations, TARDIS freaks out, she falls out, and it's plummeted into the ground, cliffhanger. All right, so that's long and short. I did generally like this. I know some people didn't because of the lack of um, a, a proper villain, you know, high-stakes plot. Um, and it'd be nice to have that, I agree. But here's the way I've always looked at this and why I, I liked it, beyond the fact we get two doctors and, and a reappearance of Hartnell, uh, or the Hartnell Doctor. And that is, uh, I've been listening to a lot of the audios recently, and there's a whole sideline of audios called short trips. And the short trips are much more character-based stories. They're not about plot. They're about, let's focus on a companion or a, a doctor characteristic or something like that. There's a great one with Pertwee dealing with his, his uh, exile on Earth that I think is really good. And the way I looked at this was, this is a long, televised short trip. And in that sense, it works really well, I think. And that's and it's a Christmas episode. And it's a Christmas episode. It's one of the it's one of my favorite ones, just because it's not overly laden in saccharine. I think they work it in just right into the story. It's not overly done. Um, it doesn't feel like you know, like the killer Christmas trees in some oh, of the other goodness. episodes. Um, it's it's not. Don't get me wrong. It's not perfect, but uh, I mean, I have some issues with it. But for the most part, it's 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 enjoyable, and I think it works for the most part for a, a send off for Capaldi, but. Uh, over to you guys. So Mark Gaddis, this is what, how many times has he appeared in Doctor Who now? Is this his second or third? Second. It's the second that he's visually appeared. He's done some voices too. He is Sherlock's brother. Yeah. And he has to be, he, he's, he's got to be the Brigadier's grandpa or whatever the fuck too. Yeah. I think he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see him all the time. And now that his best buddy is not going to be the main man anymore. It's probably not going to work on Who again, at least not for the televised Who for a long time. But, man. Um, I hear you. Uh, I'd have been fine with another actor playing it. It it didn't kill it for me, but I I see your point. Um, Testimony says, hey, doctor, you do this thing. You do this thing for us. And you can see her again. And I'm like, they're finally going to do it. We got the first Doctor, the 12th Doctor. We're going to see yes. Susan again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Big ball dropped by not bringing back Susan. Perfect, perfect way to have her come in uh, and even explain why Caroline Ford is older. Uh, to say that this was her older dying on future Earth or something. Uh, that for and You can come up with any reason why she didn't regenerate. Uh, you could even have recast it if you had to, but you should really use it. No, yeah, she's there. Uh, yeah, a huge disappointment. They did not bring it. If they're going to bring in Bill, I feel like Susan should have been part of it. Absolutely. Um, or if they had to, use the uh, the younger actress from Space and Time if you really wanted to do that. Uh, so big missed opportunity there. If not in the testimony scene, definitely in the final scene when they were parting ways on the battlefield. Um, I think it's... Because part of my issue with the, with the episode is... As they're parting, Capaldi gets this big goodbye with his companions and kind of a closure, and you sense that. Hartnell, or I say Hartnell, the first Doctor's motivation of changing his mind and accepting regeneration is a little weaker, and I think would have been way stronger if he had had a closure with Susan, yep. which was so important to that Doctor. And you can sense it when she left during the original run, and in many ways it informs why he always travels with young girls, basically. They're all surrogates, basically, for Susan. Um, and dealing with, the, dealing with the loss, the fact he abandoned her, coming to terms with that, and that it's, it's okay for him to move on both with her and 
himself. And that I, speech, that great speech, that the Dalek invasion of Earth speech. I yeah. will come back. Yeah, yeah. Until I do, go forward in all your beliefs. Yep. And it would have been even greater if it really had been her. But even a testimony version of her would have been acceptable. It's like. Yeah, huge dropped ball to not do it. I can't. I can't. I. I. That's another question I wanted to ask Moffat. In in one of the drafts, was Susan there? Was there any? Did you even consider putting Susan in there, or not? Because that's that. That's my big regret with the episode. No Susan. Uh, I've always found the idea of the the Christmas truce very interesting. Mm-hmm. So especially after this episode, I looked it up, and in this, in this episode, they are very clear. It's the only time it ever happened. Hmm. Christmas truce, mm-hmm. 1914. It happened several times. Oh. Does it happen every Christmas? I don't know. But did it happen more than once in World War One, or just different wars, or what? No, World War One. It happened multiple times in World War One. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, they could have said the first time it happened. I hope maybe that. But they didn't, though. They I, said I this agree. is the only I, I, time that our that the enemies got right. together and blah blah blah. Moffat dropped another. There's small no ball. reason. There's no reason to so to lie about it. Yeah. No, you're right. No reason. Yeah. Just say it was. First time would have been enough. This is one of the many Christmas armistices. Doesn't sound as good. No, you just don't have to say, you just have to not say, this is the only time yeah. it happened. Yeah, just admit that. Or, again, if it was the first time, you could say first time. That works, too. But I get it. I see what you're saying. It was a nice little scene, though. Um... I uh, I gotta say I love Bradley's performance as uh, the first Doctor. He's not Hartnell, but he channels it enough. Right, and, and again, it's, it's he he does a good job. But there's no reason that Moffat had to say, "Oh my God, it's like Hartnell's in the room with us." It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's amazing what he does. As, he did oversell a little bit, but he, uh, good job. It it was a delight to see the first Doctor and Twelve interacting. Definitely, yes, in um, all their scenes, that was great, and it. I mean, again, I'm a classic fanboy out, but man, that Hartnell Tardis, I just... Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh, my God. I mean, it was nice seeing the retro-style one in uh, Hellbent, but seeing that was like, oh, like, it just made me go, this is so overdue. I, I, was, <laughs> I was so happy to see a classic console room. And I, I know that uh, it's a better dramatic thing for the 12th Doctor to regenerate alone, but I think especially for the first Doctor... Spending the whole episode special ripping on women and the idea that they shouldn't be able to do anything. I think it would have been really neat to see him see himself regenerate into a woman and know. All right, then. I don't think we needed that per se. That would have been also really awkward to paste that in there. But uh, my, my main issue is, and I'm not saying Hartnell didn't say some of those things. I do think it was overplayed. I do think... Uh, and I know Moffat's gone on record saying everything he pulled was from Dialogue of the First Doctor. Maybe it was. I don't remember him saying some of those things. Um, and I've gone through the whole era a couple of times. So I'm like, well, may- maybe. But I think it's a disservice to William Hartnell to have totally played him that way. Because if you look at his episodes, he's not doing that all the time. Here and there a little bit because of his age and the era it was made in. But, I mean, they really, really over over hammered that. To the point where I'm like, I think you let him have one or two moments like that, and then you just move on. And instead, I think they did it like eight times. It was like, geez, man. Uh, the smack bottom line was funny, though, and that's right out of, what was it, uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, I want to say? Uh, I could be wrong, but I know that was definitely a line. I think they were overplaying it to really embarrass 12 and to really show 
how ashamed he was of how he used to be. Sure. And I have and, no problem with having one or two <clears throat> moments like that. I just think that they didn't need to do it as much as they did. Right. Yeah. I hear that. But it's also like, what's the, I mean, what's the, how do you apologize for being a sexist? You regenerate into a woman. Well, you can do I think do it was that. justification. I think it was, I think they had already decided to cast a woman. So Moffat kind of wrote some justification in the Christmas special. I guess, again, I just think, acknowledge it and then move on. Like, don't, whatever. Again, I just think more balance was needed. Because there's more to the Hartnell Doctor than that. And that's not, that's not entirely who he was. Um, so I thought it was doing him, the character, a slight disservice. But you know. I don't remember what the line was. But there was one of the sexist lines where the 12th Doctor and Stuart, uh, the captain, they, they do a, they do a just the... <laughs> yeah. And it's just the whole thing that me when you're watching it, it's like, God, they, what about a couple of assholes? <laughs> but, you know, on the flip side, uh, for a good moment, the, my, my favorite bits with Bradley in this episode is uh, I like him criticizing the 12th Doctor's console room. I love that. Like, what is this, a restaurant for the French? I like that. I like him um, criticizing Capaldi's shades and be like, well, you know, you could understand this if you could see. And, you know, and I like him. I like... I like when the Doctor banter is nice and even. The part of my problem uh, with a lot of modern Doctor uh, team-ups is they almost take the approach that whoever the current Doctor is is in some way kind of <clears throat> superior. And so they the, the barbs always feel a little more one-sided to the current Doctor putting down whoever the older Doctor is. And that was big time in Time Crash. And here I liked... It, it still was a bit slanted to Capaldi, but there were some nice moments where Hartnell redressed the balance where you know he was like, if you just observe and not rely on your tech, you can actually get the same thing done. And I thought that was nice when they were observing the, the testimony and uh, stuff like that. And the other bit I liked is his little talk with Bill uh, talking about why he left Gallifrey. I thought it was a nice bit. Also, that wasn't Bill. Or, you know what I'm saying, the, the I know. testimony. Yeah. But I think they tried to make a really good argument in the show. Well, you know, it's Bill's memories, so it's Bill. No, it's not Bill. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Bill. No, no, no. no. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's purely for Capaldi's sake to say goodbye to her, so to speak. And I thought Capaldi's uh, speech was too long. His dying speech was too long. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and that, it's not nearly as good as the uh, the other exit speeches that the last two doctors had. I agree. But the Doctor I Let You Go bit really was like, wow. Uh, yeah, the, the stuff about pears and, and, and not telling your name to children was a bit much. I didn't, I didn't need that. But, uh, but no, his, his last line, like, they really hit me. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, the last line. very great. sad. I uh, may have been uh, emotional. But in uh, the end of uh, World, uh, sorry, The Doctor Falls, when he echoes the Smith and the Tenant lines, I thought wasn't needed. I understand they were trying to right. set up that it's coming, but I didn't need him to, to parrot his old um, exit lines. I would rather he just, I don't know, said something else or didn't say anything at all. But I know that's back in the last episode. Anyway, um, and Jody's entrance was great, and the cinematography again. The direction and the cinematography in this just looks so good. And I, uh, the I like ring the, falling off the finger. Yeah, ring falling off the finger was really good. Yeah, um, it's just again repeated tropes of how many times after the regeneration do we have to have the TARDIS crashing? Right, of course. I uh, had that a bunch kind of over that. But uh, when she sees that she's a woman and uh, that smile and that old brilliant, uh, it's great. I loved it. I think Bill and Nardle got a good enough send off in the Doctor yeah. Falls. Yeah, I they, agree. I don't think they needed to come back in this. Uh, at all? No. Okay. I'm sure. No, I agree. Yeah, I'm fine with that. 
So do you think that he did that the companion should have been Claire the whole time? Or any, any Oh, else? for this special? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if he needed a companion for this well, special. Well, did but so okay, so you would rather you'd have been happy if Nardole and, and um Bill hadn't been in it. Do you think Clara's presence was needed at all for what she did? No, I think I felt shoehorned in. Oh, right. This is why I know Clara is dead. So, <laughs> um, so testimony yeah. harvests memories from yeah. people right before the moment of their death. Mm -hmm. So, how else would testimony be able to gift the memories that the doctor has with Clara unless they? Testimony already harvested Clara's memories. No, but doesn't testimony travel through time and space? Yeah. So I mean, of course she's she's eventually going to die. Yeah. Oh, mm, damn it. Yeah. Well, that and you know uh, they got uh, Lethbridge Stewart's memories, but he cheated it, and now he's going to be alive. They'll probably get him again later. Uh, but by that same token, they could have gone back the way he froze her and faced the Raven, grabbed her memories there. I guess yet, that was one of her hard Yet stopped. she's yet she's still whatever dead alive moving forward. So mm. you know it's it's plausible. Either yeah. way. I see what you're saying. It's possible either way. Uh, yeah, but her... I, that felt shoehorned in. Okay. And Absolutely. I'm, Did you... And so, I... You already said I'm the one of the biggest Clara fans. And I felt it that's wasn't... That's amazing. I well, felt it wasn't needed. So let me ask you, even without her presence, do you think it was good closure for him to get her mem memories back about her in any way? Do you think that was even necessary? I don't think it was needed. Okay. Right. I, it felt... It felt wrapped up. But I mean, that's just you know, what we do. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice says. touch, but... Yeah, it, you know, I was over the Claire thing too, so I didn't need it, but I didn't mind it. If it was a real scene, if it was a real thing, but mm -hmm. I feel like it was a it was a workaround uh, production schedule cop out. They weren't even in the same shot. It's just yeah, clearly they probably yeah yeah. I don't think it was it. needed. I hear you. I, I respect that. I feel like there's a world where there is a, a Claire appearance in this mm -hmm. episode that I'm like, great, mm -hmm. but this is definitely not it. I also felt. Uh, I'm not sure we needed Rusty the Dalek to come back. That seemed like a weird <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah. I'm fine with him finding. Yeah. I'm fine with him finding out about the testimony in some way. But I thought, why? There's so many other. There was a supercomputer place he went to. I know in a deleted scene in season seven. Why not that place? Why not a place on Gallifrey? Why not? There's so many different places you could have either made up or used. Then let's go to a Dalek. You know, aside from, we use a Dalek again. You yeah, know, like, and let's go to let's let's go to a Dalek who wants to kill him. But then him proving to Rusty that he's already going to die makes him not kill him? Yeah. It's like, if you don't want me to go somewhere else to die, you have to stop shooting. Or he could just shoot you. Yeah, yeah. And, also and, that. And after the events so, of the like, why is he trying to really kill him? I didn't even get um, that. Because he, uh, Rusty feels the doctor taught him to hate Daleks. And into the Dalek. Okay. So he, like, hates himself. Oh. He's not like other Daleks. Right. So he has since then been killing Daleks. Right. He's a good Dalek. Right. But apparently, I think he just blames the doctor oh, for, okay. for all right. awakening that in Inter him. Okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. That's all I got. Okay. I did like the fact, though, that by meeting the Dalek, we do have a tie-in with, with Hartnell. And Hartnell would know who the Daleks were when they were seeing the, you know, the, the free crab Daleks or whatever. Well, he didn't know until he picked up the eye stock. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm glad that it's nice that there was that connection between the two of them. I mean, that's the only real thing I get out of that scene of why I like that they went with Daleks there. But otherwise, yeah, it's not it's not strong enough that I'd have been fine with something else. Don't get me wrong, it's not necessary, but it was just if you have to have it, that's one nice little 
connection you got there. Yeah, that bit with Glass Bill and a Glass Bill, you know, testimony Bill, and and the 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 little moment where he does have his little interactions with. I'm talking First Doctor. Like, I liked some of that. Um, where she asked what he was running to. Yeah. When he left Gallifrey. And even again, it's a fanboy moment, but I liked when Testimony like literally shows the First Doctor like his future, like literally shows all these other incarnations he's going to become, mm-hmm. and him trying to deal with the fact that like, holy crap, like, and he's calling Capaldi on why are you telling him your plan? Why are you grandstanding like this? Like, what is wrong with you? And I thought, thank you, <laughs> thank you for yes, exactly. Um, and why are you so overly reliant on this Sonic thing? You know, I, I did like some of that. That was that was nice. Um, so I know Testimony is not a villain. Yes. They're not bad guys. They're not bad guys, but, um, I feel like copying people's memories from the moment before they die Mm -hmm. so that they can walk again. I saw it more as like a repository, not so much a resurrection thing. But in the episode... That chick straight up says in like the projection oh, explaining the end, so the yeah. dead can walk again. Yeah. It's heaven right. on new earth. I get like it. I get it. I, I get still feel like Doctor might have a problem with it. I see. Even I see. though it's not an evil plan. It's still like mm-hmm. making a copy. And in a way, it doesn't that give earlier in our podcast I mentioned that um oh we're talking about um fuck it's, I'm so tired. Um uh, Mysterio. Yeah. Where something happens and you look at how does that change canon? How does that change the universe yeah. that Doctor yeah, yeah. Who happens mm-hmm. in? So this is one of those things for me. It's like testimony exists. So really, any companion, any character who has died... Could come back via this method. Could come back via a glass lady or yeah. a glass, you know, character. Yeah. Or uh, if there were some really, really, really bad guys out there, they could uh, get an army of Hitlers. Fucking Hitler. Hmm. I'm just saying. You're right. It opens a lot of interesting And I'm sure this is just like a one-off. We're not going to see a testimony baddie ever. This is a one-off thing. Moffat's gone, whatever. But I'm just saying, as far as the whole world of Doctor Who, or the whole universe of Doctor Who, how does this change it? Moffat gave carte blanche to any character to come back. Because he created this thing. So in a future episode, if someone said, oh, well, testimony, you know, Moffat set it up in in Twice Upon a Time. Like, well, fuck, there is canon reason for that Mm -hmm. to be real. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Moffat. It's a, yeah. very, it's a very Moffat there, way to go out, is what muddled, I feel about it. Seriously muddled canon now, thanks to the Moffat era in terms of the Time War and Gallifrey's status. And but it's like, I wouldn't stuff, want, so uh, if, if Peter Davison suddenly looked 30 years younger, uh, and he showed up as Testimony Fifth Doctor or whatever, I wouldn't want it, I don't want it to be that character if it's not that character. I get it. I'm not saying I want it, I'm saying it could happen. Mm-hmm. It's, based it's, on the president that this I episode sets. That it's it's an easy way to bring somebody back if there isn't a, an obvious way to bring them back. Yeah, it's a way of um, cheating. You know, if so, somebody has access to testimony. Well, we can uh, assume that they'll either ignore this, which happens a lot with They're going to ignore it. I or that uh, you could always add a bit of canon later that says, oh, that was a weird experiment that uh, ended up collapsing and failing and now yeah. it's no more. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. Or it got erased from the timeline thanks to some whatever time. Yeah. So I, don't, I just I just feel like the doctor would even though it's not a sinister plan I feel like it'd still be something like mm, you're making you could make copies of people that seems a little yeah dicey depending on the limits if there was like a you know I'm thinking like a 
a prime directive of these glass androids to not do certain things. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we have the memories and we can tell you about things, but we're not going to act out and kill people or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I hear you. Anyway, uh, what do you rate this? Nine. Kevin? It's pretty high for such a big complaint. Yeah. Well, it was good. I think I think I'd go nine also. I will go eight. I thought it was pretty solid, pretty also, good. Also, great music throughout. Yeah. Murray Gold. Yeah, some good Last callbacks. Episode. Some good callbacks from Murray Gold. Um, yeah, we got some Doomsday in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, since this is effectively wrapping up Moffat and Capaldi, any any overall final thoughts about the 12th Doctor or Moffat? I just really wanted to see a year of Capaldi without Moffat. So I, I did, too. I did too. I, th- I kind of wish Moffat had left uh, either after Smith or after Series 8, and we would have had one or two years of, of uh, Capaldi with somebody else. I agree. And Chibs has been really hit and miss with me. Yeah, sure. I get it. Yeah, I like Broadchurch a lot, but you're right. His Who is very hit and miss. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for Torchwood, yeah? Uh, yes. Well, RGD. Well, not, okay, not responsible. But RGD was... created, but yes, he was the showrunner of Torchwood for at least the first two seasons. Uh, and, he, and he gave us uh, wonderful episodes like Cyberwoman. Uh, I don't man. read the Torchwood section. Man. That's, that's amazing. That's... I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are, any, any final thoughts on 12 or Moffat for you, uh, Lauren? Um, 12 is my doctor. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. very sad to see him go. Um, what, is, what is your favorite 12 episode? Oh, man. Oh, man. Hang on. I like these last ones. They're pretty badass. Uh, Heaven Sent. Yeah, I get, I get Heaven Sent. I've only got one niggle with Heaven Sent, but otherwise it's very solid. What's that? Uh, the implication that uh, it's no longer the Doctor at the end. It is a 300 millionth copy of the Doctor. Um, oh, I, yeah. I originally thought, oh, it, it's like, but it's it's just in his head. And then I'm like, oh, no, wait, they're saying that time really passed. I'm like, damn. So that's my only real niggle with it. I don't like thinking he's the 300 millionth copy of the Doctor. Yeah, I would like our hero to be our hero. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my main beef with it. Other than that, it was very well done. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, for me, it's always looking to be Mummy. Great. Um, great episode. Yeah, great episode. Flatline's also up there for me. Yeah. Mummy is like a, when I'm talking to somebody who's never watched Doctor Who and they want like what episodes... Like, what's, like, a sampler pack? Mummy mm. is my 12th Doctor adventure I give them. Yeah. I remember the episode before that is when Clara was like, listen, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, is uh, that and Kill I, the Moon? Yeah, it is. And I saw, I uh, had, there were a couple of friends over, and I was like, okay, you remember Clara? Okay, well, she's gone now. And then it opens up, so, oh, well, there she is. Okay. Mm. All right, then. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and she's looking mighty nice in that dress mm, in that episode. Yep. Yeah, very good. And I love, I, I, I love, uh, the fun of flatline with the shrunken TARDIS and the, mm-hmm. and the siege cube. And they had so much, fun. I did, it just, it felt so refreshing to and, play with the TARDIS like and that. And the boneless. And the bone. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of 2d villains. I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah, yeah. I thought Jamie Mathis did some, and I wish Gus had come back. I thought Gus was a great, villain. which one's Gus, uh, the computer AI from mummy. Oh, mm. uh, well, uh. I thought he was a cool villain. He should come back. Uh, maybe he will one day, but probably will be in an audio. Maybe the doctor beat him. How about that? And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to mess with the doctor anymore. There's definitely an implication. He's still out there somewhere. And yeah, he's he's one I'd like to see back. Like, I, n- I never need to see the monks again. I never need to see the, the wood lice again. But <laughs> yeah. I would like to see Gus. I think Gus could come back and have a little encore somewhere. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, but Capaldi is interesting because um, like, I like those episodes. And yeah, I think I think Heaven Sent is overall strong. And if I had to pick episodes from this season, it would probably be... 
a toss up between uh, smile and um, world enough in time. Mm. Um, but uh, so there are, there are some strong episodes, but man, I, I do wish considering how good he was, he had some stronger scripts and uh, is it just me Follow my logic on this? I feel like he was kind of playing it one way series eight and I feel like they kind of softened him for the last two seasons. Oh, absolutely. And I understand part of that could be arc, but it does feel like if you really jump from series eight to series nine, it really feels like, whoa, okay, they've done an adjustment here. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, this is just my standard, uh, this is just what I say. Uh, season eight, they had a lot to figure out. Yeah. You know, new doctor, new yeah. doctor companion relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, they had to fix Clara because season seven was, in my opinion, a waste of a character. So oh, they sure, were re- sure. they were yeah. redefining they were redefining her. Sure. So they had a lot to get through, a lot to do. I think by the end of eight they did, and they knew who they were together, and mm-hmm. that set the tone for the rest of for season, for the, nine. For season nine, which is totally different. Do you feel they missed a boat by not having governess Clara from uh, Snowman be the Clara they used instead of modern Clara? Um, because I really like governess Clara a lot. Me too. Um, I don't think they missed anything. Okay. I mean, I think as soon as they solved the mystery of the impossible girl, they started fixing her. Okay. Immediately. Okay. Um, so we got like two. So we got time of the doctor and or day of the doctor and time of the doctor where she starts like pulling her weight mm. and I start feeling like she's a more of a well-rounded character. Okay. And then season nine is like we're off to the races. I do wish, and this gets into well, last Christmas, like little connector things, like you know, with um, like Bill and her living situation type of thing. I do wish there had been a little more of a transition set up between when she was doing the nanny babysitting thing in season seven, mm-hmm. and then starting with the fiftieth and onward, where she becomes a teacher. Mm-hmm. It did feel like a bit of a whoa, wait, when did she become a teacher? I'm not saying it's impossible for someone to do that, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying it, there was like no foreshadowing there at all and so when i saw her as a teacher in the 50th i thought she was like undercover you know like school reunion style Mm. and then i realized oh no she's a legit teacher i was like oh okay it was it was just a weird thing that i wish they had set up a little better right um i mean she does have a life outside of the tardis so and that's another interesting thing that moffat brought in with season 7a and clara and even to a degree bill but definitely i think clara got it the most where they're not just you know in the old days and even early new who companions with the doctor and they are with the doctor they live like, in the tardis they live in the tardis they do adventures and when they're done they're pretty much done they might come back a little bit but they're pretty much done that was the way it was in the old days and that's the way it kind of was for the most part with new show and then suddenly with moffat with those three companions but especially clara it became we'll have some adventures and then i'll drop you back home and you'll do some home stuff and maybe i'll help you out at home and then we'll go off for a weird adventure and you saw that in that like montage with danny where she shows up looking wet or with seaweed or whatever and all that mm-hmm. stuff and i thought all right, this is kind of interesting, but the reason I, I find this kind of strange is it does... Well, there's two things. One, beyond breaking tradition, um, there's the idea that the Doctor usually can't control where he's going. There's more control later, obviously, but there's this idea that if he can't control where he's going, then how easily can he always be dropping this person back off to enjoy parts of their life, is mm. part one. And part two, I do believe in the um, the narrative rule of... And granted, this is an arc thing here in this case instead of one story, but trying to contain your your story within a a certain frame to give it um, tension. And I think if you spread it out over a lot of time and a lot of downtime, it dilutes that tension. And I, I always feel like it's kind of a narrative no-no, like you shouldn't do that. It was an interesting experiment to try it, certainly, but I, I'm not, I'm always been weird with the, let's drop the companion off to have a domestic thing here and there. I feel that they've gotten rid of the, the Doctor Can't Fly the TARDIS. Not entirely. They do sometimes still have him get a little, ooh, where are we? But you're right. He definitely has way more control now than he ever did in the classic era. Yeah. I mean, 
the I mean the, the TARDIS taking him where he needs to go. I mean that's was a great way to explain yeah. the classic show, but you're right. He's not a hundred percent, but he definitely has way more control. I mean in this season it happened with between Smile and Thin Ice. He was going back to the office and And it took him there. And instead. he ended up in yeah. the you know, Frost Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, we so it has happened recently, but But yeah, I, I know what it's you're not saying. an all the time thing. Yeah. There's no way you could play it like Hartnell did where he never knew where he was going. And, and do the what they did in Series 8. There's no way. Well, it's been long, but uh, I'm glad we closed out the Capaldi era. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks uh, for having me and th- for rescheduling <laughs> a few times. My pleasure. How can uh, people find you on the internet? Well, uh, laurenbancroft.com. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Bancroft, B-A-N-C-R-O-F-F-E-D. I also host a stand-up show called The Tartle Hour at the Ruby on Sunset, the third Saturday of every month. And where can people hear your uh, thoughts on previous Doctor Who episodes? Oh, man. A lot of different places. I was mainly thinking of uh, Prescott's uh, podcast. If you're oh, Mad Men with a Box podcast. Uh, yeah, we did a season season nine um, commentary series. That was a lot of fun. There you go. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Shout uh, out to Prescott. <laughs> thanks again uh, Kevin for uh, going down the who rabbit hole with me where can people find you online uh, I'm at Kevin Kittredge on Instagram and Twitter nifty nifty uh, and people can check out my other podcast Trek to Trek where I talk Star Trek uh, uh, many many different iterations of my buddy Eric um, and I guess that's it for now Kevin and I might be back to, to cover some Tenant Era stuff or certainly cover the, the new season at uh, Jody Whitaker probably in a few months uh, mm-hmm. but until then we'll be back with more costume talk Uh, Next time here on Costume Station Zero.